lot. You're listening to Hot Chopper. Episode 188. On tonight's episode, that vile, disgusting, immortal monster, Nagash, is making his appearance on the show, bringing his legions forth, much to the delight of the fat manling and all his toys. Oh, and the smart manling, he likes him too, but that fat manling's so excited he's like jiggling it's disgusting let's not even talk about it you know what just, just shut it i'm listening to me show welcome to the garage you tools for the next three four or five hours or however long this takes we will be doing our best to keep you informed entertained or perhaps have a laugh too along the way bringing you the things that go bump in the night the things that suck your blood and god there are so many dead people I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm the fearless ghost hunter. And here's my pals Goofy and Donald. Oh, that is a Mickey Mouse episode. (laughs) Threw that last part in because I realized as I said it, that could have been almost anything. But yeah, they were the first Ghostbusters, that old cartoon. Mm Mm-hmm. They did a retake of that not too long ago, too, with the new Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Yes, yes. It's the Mickey and Mouse crack house. Come inside. There's drugs inside. What? What did you... Alex! Wow. Hey, you we know what? starting hot. You know what? When you when you got kids who force you to watch that show for like a year and a half on end, and that's all you can do is watch that show, um, then, uh, then uh, you start making up new lyrics. No, I'm sure. I'm just surprised Harrison's still watching that at his age. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so, uh, wow. Okay, you like you said, hot start. I even threw myself off there. Uh, hey, we should we should say hello to the people who are the kind sponsors of this show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as always, you need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games... In Grays Lake, Illinois. What was with that delay? I sucked. At I was really concerned there for a second because they're had still a grabber. operational for a while. <laughs> Whoa, boy. Chaos Orc Superstore. 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 See, there, I made up for it. Yes, much better. And Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. All right. Uh,. Oh, we should also thank... Okay, so check it. Patreon sponsors. Uh, always thanking the associate producer, Phil Elliott, the executive producers, Bradley Graham and Misty Tempel, and we have a new executive producer, Big Jake! Not Jake from State Farm, but Big Jake. Although he might he wear, wear khakis. I, have I was no, about to say. You know what? I know you're listening, Jake. Need to know if you wear the khakis. Just, I gotta know. You, you know, it's it's important. It's this is not a want; it's a need. Okay, so now is it just Big Jake? Is that the name he gave us? Uh, well, no, he gave us the full name, but you know, not everybody wants their full name blasted out to to an audience of 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 you know some. So you know, prefer so, just like Shirley Tempel and Misty Tempel are probably not there. No, 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 no. I get you. Oh, you know, I'm fine with that. Born just, little Big Jake. Yeah, no, no, I just want to know if this is, like, Jake and the Fat Man, if this is, like, 
Jake the Snake Roberts? Does he play Melusai? Like, no, it's a legit Jake, and it's okay. not a famous Jake. It's not Diddy, you know. So, uh, I'm sorry that was a Parks and Rec reference, but I'm just I'm being a putz here. Uh, oh, and you know what? We got one more new sponsor that I need do need to mention. Doug Griggs is now on as a sponsor, and I want to thank all everyone who's been jumping on the Patreon bandwagon and helping out the show. Thank you to the 1% who make this show and everything we do here possible because you guys really are the best, the best of the best. Um, Rock stars, superstars, um, shooting stars, um, chicken noodle stars, like the 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 whole nine yards. So, all right, so... I know. I am all over the place. This is what happens when you record at stupid o'clock in the morning. This isn't stupid o'clock in the morning. This is normal o'clock in the morning. Okay, yes, granted, but I was up I was up kinda late last night. We had a lot of things we were doing and I was exhausted. I've been tired. I've been literally getting texts from friends at like nine thirty and waking up in the morning and seeing them. Like who goes to bed at nine? Like not this boy ever. But I've just been like falling asleep just be you know, it's I've been getting up a little extra early now to make sure I can get to the health club a little earlier so I can work out a little bit longer. Yeah. So the 5.15 alarm became the 5 alarm. And some days if I if I really need to get to school early, it's become the 4.45 alarm. So, yeah. So by 10 o'clock at the latest, I'm like... So, so yeah, it does feel early because Sunday is the one day of the week I can sleep in past 7 o'clock. So... It feels early. But that is sure. not the listener's concern, care, or want to know. So uh, really quickly, uh, if you would like to leave us voicemail on about how much you love the show so far, <laughs> yeah, you can dial one seven five seven gh show 6 That's one seven five seven gh show 6 and uh, leave us voicemail. Uh, we got nothing right now because guys, Legion of Nagash. Uh, first of all, can I ask you a question, Alex? Do you say Nagash or Nagash? Because I always thought it was Nagash, and I hear everyone else saying Nagash. And I don't. I, I, am I the dummy who's not pronouncing cavalry right, or am I like? Am I just ahead of the curve? I don't because I don't know. I haven't heard. I it. think it's Nagash. I call him Nagy, but that's just me. <laughs> you know, and and I, I I have a feeling he would not appreciate it but nor do i care but you know a fictional character i get it he's not gonna he's not gonna burn you no but even Um, then yeah i like nagash you know what it is i need to i haven't had a chance to sit around and watch uh like the warhammer tv like the 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 twitch channel because i know they've been playing games with it and i could hear how the at least the the gw employees pronounce it which doesn't necessarily make it you know canon but at least i would have an idea of how the people who deal with it every day do it but so i'm just gonna go with nagash because that's what i prefer so i'm gonna go there with it how do we like that folks now that we've dealt with the the searing important questions of the day oh uh, no we got more oh we We do what is it what you got we'll talk about it when we get to the fluff background (laughs) or to the lore but we got some serious questions coming Oh, okay. All right, all right. So let's take a break. Let's roll with this as fast as we can. We'll take a break. We're going to come back, and we are jumping right into this book.
That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the lore of, well, the lord of the undeath. And the lore of the undeath, which is not to be confused, the lores of the dead. But we are talking about the lore and background of the legions of Nagash. Yes, we are. I was looking forward to this book, and I was not disappointed. Not at all. No. Uh, Love the cover. Love what's going on here. Um, If I had any one thing to say about it, uh, if I was going to be a little, uh, throw out the constructive criticism, shall we say, um, it came out actually the same uh, week as Malign Portance. Same day. Same day. That's right. And a lot of this is this. It, it, and I get why, because if you don't play Legions of Undeath and you're not one of the people like us who buy every book, you know. Uh, Malign Portance needs that lore stuff in the beginning so that it sets up what's happening in Shyish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but having read one one week and then literally put it down and started notes on this, there were parts I was reading saying, wait, did I read this already? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, um, and we'll talk about that as we go through this book, but it's like the companion piece to Malign Portance. There's parts in here that I wish was in Malign Portance. Or is Malign Portance the companion piece to this? Ooh. <laughs> but the point is they, they go together, realistically, in terms of the storyline and the development. Because a lot of this talks about Nagash is doing something, but we still don't know what. Yeah, this book doesn't really tell you what he's doing. It just tells you stuff's going on. That book tells you what's going on, at least part of what's going on. Because even that seems, mm-hmm. seems intentionally vague so that we can get some more books with some more uh, moving that story along with more uh, battle plans and more cool stuff happening. Yeah, and again, folks, this is the setup. This is not all-encompassing in one. This is going to be something that's going to take, I think, most of 2018 to flesh out. Yeah, this yeah, this seems to be the story for 2018. We've 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 stopped Nurgle from rampaging through Gyran and um we've closed off a few of the realm gates to Archeon. Um and now it's time to find out. You know what surprised me in this in this book is and I, as I was reading the first book uh with the malign portents um you know, you got part of what 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 he's doing, and if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to the last episode. Um, this one actually lays it in the frame of the space timeline, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how much of this stuff he started way before Sigmar start. He started before the the, the age of chaos. Yeah, he's been doing this for a long time. 
And that's to understand the character of Nagash, who is this power-hungry megalomaniac, who, and even immortal. from... And, well, yeah, he's immortal. Um, even if he does have to take a while to take some like very long naps to restart after he gets blown up. But the end of the day, he's got plans within plans. He plays the ultimate long game. The and, most patient of any immortal we've seen, I think. He's patient in the grand scheme, but he is still very impulsive. He's definitely given to lashing out. Yes, but when we talk this big picture stuff, I don't see anyone, with the possible exception of Zinch, who seems almost confused about his own long plan with all the weird change and things that go and mess with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's crazy. And we'll get to that when we talk to some of the story, because you read Malign Portents and you almost think he starts this stuff because he's mad at Sigmar. I mean, it almost yeah. sounds that way. And it's like, wow, how long between the betrayal and, and now his past? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now, he started this stuff way before that. Like, he basically, basically, I think about 10 minutes after Sigmar freed him from underneath that mountain that he got buried yeah. under, he started this. Yeah. And yeah. that's just, Nagash and Sigmar have a really long and tumultuous history of the two of them together. So there's yeah. there's a lot of background there. Yeah, exactly. And we can talk about that a little bit when we get to it. Uh, just kind of explaining what their relationship was like before we enter the Age of Sigmar. Yeah, because um, for those of you who aren't aren't uh, haven't been playing or reading a lot of the the Black Library stuff that came out back in in near before the end times, actually, there was the yeah. Nagash trilogy, and. Um, I know at least was, in one of them he came back, or no, it was in God King. The it was the Sigmar trilogy. It was in trilogy. God King, the Sigmar trilogy, book three. Yeah, is when Nagash comes back because I, mean, I guess we can talk about it now. Yeah, I so, mean, might as well because that's not stuff here in the book. Yeah, in the founding of the Empire of Man, Sigmar comes into the collection of Nagash's Krem, which he took off of the necromancer Kadon, I believe was his name, um, and he buried it. Or he used it for a while to heighten his power, but that was kind of the thing that helped wake Nagash up. Yeah, and so it was Nagash... also all of his friends were like, dude, take that. Like, it was one of those things like you'd see in a movie where it's obviously corrupting him, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, like the ring. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's got like one ring corruption powers because Nagash's mind and, and his essence, a lot, some of it is still in that crown. Yeah, there's so many different pieces and different horcruxes to Nagash. I think is the good explanation for a lot of how he comes back is Horcruxes. Right, and it's but, really hard. It's hard for Sigmar to, to, to ditch the crowd. Mm-hmm, because it is that addictive power quality. Uh-huh. And like even when uh, Azhag the Slaughterer had it for a while, too, mm-hmm. it was still Nagash was controlling Az- Azhag through his hat. Right. But that's neither here nor there. So... That's what brings Nagash back up, and he invades the fledgling empire of man as it's been growing, and Nagash invades, he wants his crown back, and Sigmar obviously doesn't give it back to him, they have a nice fight, and Sigmar ends up beating Nagash and banishing him back, and fast forward a couple thousand years between when Sigmar passes into godhood 
in the end times when Manfred brings back uh, Nagash. And it's still that kind of tumultuous relationship. He's still mad at Sigmar for, one, using his crown, for denying his rule, and, you know, making this massive empire on which it's still people. Because I think we need to, when we get to talking about what Nagash is and his ultimate goal, people are the very anti of what Nagash wants. So... His, we'll, his dream still, I will say this, his dream makes no sense to me. Like It makes no sense to anyone unless you're Nagash or Archon. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, and it's not just because it's so convoluted and long. I, I guess there's vampires there. I just keep picturing him over, like, ruling over an, uh, eight realms of just skeletons. Because eventually even the and zombies... And that's what he wants. Yeah, but those don't even think for themselves. You're alone, you know? Like, you are literally mm-hmm. alone. And it's like, how is that even close to fun? Like, wh- what do you get out of that? And then I forgot that he's got, like, there are vampires and things like that that are his minions, his... His servants, they still work for him, and they are, well, they're on debt, but they, they can think for themselves. When yeah, you, when but you think I of, don't... You know what I'm I mean, there's got to be something to rule over, otherwise you're just... I mean, what is he literally playing? I want to be the last man standing? Like wh- That is literally his He wants, and we'll talk about this, like the difference between Sigmar and Nagash again. Sigmar is order within... Realms like he is like you know that lawful good lawful order. He wants people to be able to live their lives, do it safely, live for the right reasons, etc. Nagash at the end of the day is chaotic order. He wants perfect order. Everything must be perfect. He must be in charge of everything. He has to be the supreme power. He wants pure order where he is in control of everything, and there's no. Opposition. There's no spontaneity. There's no change. Right, and that's it been brought up in, in the other books too, where it's it, once everything is completely there. Yeah, but it is. It's complete stagnation. I just, I, it just seems so bizarre. Like, I mean, yes, it's perfect order, but there's you're you're, you're there's nothing there. You know, you're alone. I but guess that's fine for Nagash. He is I, alone. Yeah. That's true. He's always been alone. He's had these like menials, the servants. He's been alone. Yeah, if you read those books, he was a loner even pretty much when he was human. Yeah, everyone for him is a means to an end. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. the end is total control. And if you read and I don't remember which it wasn't all in the in the Nagash trilogy. I know there was was there a Neferata book because I remember reading about her how she becomes the first vampire, and Archon, yeah. Archon the Black is in there. Yeah, Archon has been he's been attached to Nagash for a while since he was alive, since they both yeah. were alive, which is crazy. And if I remember correctly, he was like a like a straight up drug using. Like, because I remember them talked about that drugs they used that turned his teeth all blackish yeah, gray. Yeah, that's where he got the name Archon the Black, is because his teeth were turned black by the lotus root that right. he was addicted to. Yeah, I mean, he was like, he was a straight up criminal. He was like, <laughs> he was Nagash's seedy underworld criminal dude who he would go to when he needed stuff taken care of. Yeah. And so. Yeah, and they've been together all. You know, I guess we'll come back to this a little later, too. 
But that is one of my favorite and also one of the strangest relationships in this entire world, this universe. The Nagash and Archon bromance? Yeah, because it's it's like Nagash doesn't trust anybody. But he if if he completely trusted someone, it would be Archon. He doesn't because he can't. I don't think he's capable of it. No. Uh, but then you've got Archon, who is just completely content to be number two. Like, mm-hmm. if, like you know, uh, uh, it's, it's at that point where I'm like, you know, I don't know why you don't trust him. He's made it clear over millennia, eons, that he is happy to be your number two. Because someone's got to be your number two, and he knows he's never going to be number one. You know, major difference between him and Manfred is Manfred... <laughs> You know, entertains dreams of being number one. Well, that's also, I think, feeding into the soul blight end of things. Right. And Manfred has always been the conniver. Yep. And again, these four characters have such deep roots in the lore, going back to the world that was, that there's going to be a lot of stuff in here that... We're excited talking about that if you don't see it in the book and you've never read this stuff, I apologize. Just take our word for it. It works. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah. I mean, when you realize Neferata was the first vampire. She was the first vampire, yeah. And she's still around. <laughs> she's doing her thing. Um, yeah, this is this is one of those things that came over from the world that was uh, and that I was happy to see come over. You know, uh, it wasn't just the the eight avatars of magic that some of these other people managed to come through because they're so much fun. And especially for this race, just the undead who can, who are functionally immortal, you know, uh, with, you know, Nagash is actually immortal. Um, They are functionally immortal. And uh, for them to have survived and still come through here, like they, they literally have the, they're the oldest beings in existence, aren't they? I mean, because they are older than Sigmar. Yeah, I think... They're way older than Sigmar. The only one that might outpace them is Morathai. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She would probably be the only one that could be older is Morathai. That is possible. Just because she... Because Malaria isn't, is he? Malarian was born oh. after Nagash was around because the 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 yeah because that ex- that stuff already existed. No, they'd be older. Malarian, formerly known as Malekith, would actually be older than Nagash, I think. Oh, that is see, and look at us sitting here pondering who's the oldest. Who's what a silly you know. But yeah, yeah, but with, that's with the few thing exceptions. to understand the deep roots that these characters have in the background of both this game and previous incarnations and for an army and like a whole race in general that is very devoid of personality because they are they're dead there's no essence there except for like some there's some elements of personality into the constructs but with the exception of like the characters themselves those There's skeletons, not a person. Yeah. yeah, zombies don't think at all, and skeletons don't think for themselves. He literally uses his necromancy powers to to animate them and to give an order, and then they just carry it out until it's done, and then they wait for the next order. Right. So they need characters that have such dynamic personalities to make up for the fact that the rest of their race 
is essentially no personality. Exactly. So that's why these characters are as crazy as they are, and that's why we spend so much time talking about them, is because they are the thing that's going to drive this forward. And I, I'm going to admit, I like when you get links back to the world that was. Not because, not because of the, you know, the, not because of any silly reasons, but because it, it, it pulls this much larger, grander story together. You know, the thousands of years of struggle on this one little planet, which eventually goes boom. Yeah. And when it goes boom, all these new realms are formed. Suddenly, the, the, and it's it's funny. It blew up, and suddenly the the battle just got bigger and more desperate after that move. Like, mm-hmm. it, it didn't destroy it, which was the plan. It actually gave birth to something so much larger it became more powerful than you could possibly imagine but it's it's i i love that we've kept these links to make it a, a just a much more sprawling tale um you know especially when you've got thousands of years in between the, you know the age of myth was at least hundreds if not thousands of years uh, in fact, it was thousands. We know it's thousands now because we're reading this, and we know that 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 uh, Nagash was literally doing stuff for thousands of years before this. These other these other uh, before the age before of chaos the coming happened. of chaos. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 kind of crazy. It's a bit bananas here. So um, should we jump into just some of this? You know, some of the ba- like hit, hit some of these uh, entries here. I guess. Yeah, I suppose we could. Now we start off with your, you know, the Lord of Undeath, and you get your basic, you know, first page overview. All of these books, you get the one page sort of overview. Um, I I had to look up Osseus because I had not actually heard that word before. I figured I had an idea what it meant because I know what an ossuary is, but uh, it talks about Nagash wearing Osseus armor, and that means made of a resembling bone. So if anyone's mm-hmm. looking at that, I was like, oh yeah, the bone armor, I get that. Um. And what I have here written in my notes is uh, that Nagash has what his fellow gods don't, and that is ludicrous levels of patience. Because, like you said, he is sitting there um, just slowly but surely building his power, building his plans, um, doing all that. All undead serve Nagash. And it says, even the mightiest of undead creatures, your vampires, your larger uh, undead beasts... Uh, he can dominate them with a thought, and that uh, I suppose includes all three Mortarks. Yeah, to a point. Yeah, he does give Neferata and Manfred a lot more autonomy. But he could. Uh, well, all he I'm could. saying is, if they decided at this point we're going to do something you don't like or that you told us not to, he could give them a look and be like, mm, "No, you're done. I'll just kill yes. you where you stand." Like he has complete mastery over all of them, which is the thing that rankles Manfred to no end. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I did like this part. I was reading. Um, they talk about uh, his his little hometown of Nagashazar. Um, I like this. Uh, the center of his power is Nagashazar, a foreboding, shadow-shrouded necropolis that echoes to the screams of tormented souls. Here the great necromancer dwells, feeding upon other gods of the afterlife and consuming their power. So 
that's one of the things that you're reading this, you find out, and they describe, is he is literally, now we talked about the Shyish before, how, um, and there's even a little more description in here that I thought was interesting. Basically, any religion, any larger group of people who have a, a, a set belief system in what the afterlife is, that afterlife will come to existence in the realm of death. And that's where all the dead people go. And there is at one point I, I was in the I think it was in the Malign Portents describing yeah. how the levels sort of stack on each other, mm-hmm. and they stack and they sort of build up. So like the realm, the levels, these these realms of undeath almost sort of form an inverted pyramid on their own. Is what I was gathering from it. Correct. And um, something I didn't think about that this said is that none of these realms are permanent. Because when the civilization or the group or whatever it was that believed in this afterlife are completely gone and there's nobody to believe in it, that afterlife goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question then is what happens to all the souls that are residing there? I would believe that then that would become Nagash's property. <laughs> I mean, he already Not that they aren't it already, as yeah. his property, but there was... What else are they going to do? They're kind of homeless. So, yeah, he just he just gathers them all up. You see, he's a nice guy. He takes in homeless souls. <laughs> he's not, you know, malevolent or anything. He gives them a cup of soup, a place to sleep. Yeah, you know. exactly. He's the ultimate community service guy. There, there you go. Listen, okay, that's all dead eventually come here. I take care of them. Yes, even yeah. though he just uses it as power, which is the ultimate thing for Nagash is that he uses these souls to power his machinations to animate his armies. The soul is the real power that drives him. Yep. And that's where we get to what Nagash is angry about. Yeah, and um, he's the got next... a list. He's got a list of, of people he's mad at. And the list is a little more impressive than I first thought. I, I, I will say this. This does flesh out these sort of things that we didn't get in Malign Portents. Yeah. Um, top of the list or, or right now, or at least the first thing I tell, is is Slanesh. Mm-hmm. Because he's been eating elf souls as long as we can remember, and those aren't his. You're eating my food. You know? Yeah. And uh, so Slanesh, and he wants to find him. He's been looking for him because he really wants to try to take him on. Which, I don't think it has anything to do with taking on, is that or, Slanesh is a glutton. So he's ingested all of these souls. He ingested all of any one of them during the end times, um, including like Marathi and a few others. But he's just holding on to all of these souls. He's not expelled them in any way. So he's essentially a storage tanker for elven souls is what I gather. Yeah. So you have an entire God who is essentially just a big battery pack for Nagash waiting to be found. Right, and apparently elf souls are special. Even 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 Nagash recognizes this. Of course, they're special. <laughs> so special. I don't know if they have a special flavor or a special glow about them, but they got something. Um, and apparently, everybody wants them. So he hates uh, Slanesh uh, uh, because he's feasting on the souls that are rights belong to Shyish. No better are the arrogant elf gods Tyrion and Malarian. I, I, I noticed they didn't mention Tackless. 
And I'm wondering why he's not mentioned in there. So Well, Tyrion and Teclis, they're they're bros. Right. So uh, and they stole away the spirit essences of their dead kin in order to rebuild their shattered civilizations. Um, and I'm not certain. There is a mention somewhere of them hiding Slaanesh away and sort of trying to get some of those elf souls back while he's in a food coma. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they're doing. They're just sort of reaching down there and pulling out, you know, souls. Well, jump ahead. Uh, Morathi, she described how she crawled out of Slanesh. Yeah. I mean, she didn't come out the same, but no, no, she had to slither out of him. So it sounds like Slanesh is obviously still alive. He's just in a process of forced regurgitation. Yeah, yeah. There, that, there's a whole weird thing going on there that we don't quite get, and I don't know if I need all the ex- I don't need all the gory details on that either. Not yet. No. We're gonna get them. Oh yeah. I just yeah. I'm just wondering. I'm wondering how much detail they're gonna go into. With something that can be that kind of gross. Most egregious of all are the actions of Sigmar Soul Thief. He who had the nerve to offer the hand of peace while looting the priceless souls of mortal champions to forge his celestial armies. He, Nagash, yearns to make each of those foes pay for their transgressions. Though now he bides his time. For none know better than the great necromancer that revenge is a dish best served cold. Nice intro. Strong intro. Mm-hmm. Um... I like it. I, I like it. It it's it it puts everything in sort of a perspective. Um, but yeah, I like Sigmar the Soul Thief. And it okay. Can can I like ten minutes after Sigmar freed him and said, "Listen, I know we've had our differences, but you need to join up with me. We need to make this place nice. We should kind of sort of." rule together justly fairly and keep out any threat from you know the stuff that blew up our old planet and Nagash agrees to this and then like as soon as Sigmar goes home he's like alright let's start working on our plans to stab everybody in the back I mean and I'm not exaggerating like literally the second he, in fact before he left he was planned starting the you know the plan was in his head however Sigmar had the nerve to come up and offer peace and then steal souls. Sigmar is the backstabber in this in this scenario, apparently. I I'm just Nagash is a bit of a hypocrite, I'm saying. That's all I'm saying about that. No, it's a lot a bit of hypocrite. I understand, but in his mind, everything in Shayesh, and when they reforge the Pantheon, all of these gods essentially take a realm. Right. And are watching over it. And obviously Shayesh goes to Nagash. So any soul that goes in there, he feels should be his by right. And then for Sigmar to use the souls to recycle and create the Stormcast by denying that those priceless souls, because these are like obviously the best examples of mankind is what the Stormcast Eternals are. Right. You're denying Nagash's power, which is then a personal insult because you're denying him. But even then, the betrayal happens before Sigmar even starts using the souls to build a Stormcast. Right. Because he abandoned Sigmar at the Battle of Burning Skies because he was more concerned about preserving Shyish instead of the ultimate goal, which is to defeat Chaos. Exactly. Yeah, so... It's it's a, it's an interesting bit of um, 
I suppose, working the facts for yourself. Um, Point of view matters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, then you get a nice, a nice another, another bit here talking about how his plans date all the way back to the Age of Myth. Uh, he hunted down and devoured all the other gods of death, consuming their power, so he alone rules the afterlife. So he's, he's glutting himself on all these other gods of death until he alone runs the place. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Nagashazar is so, um, so filled with death magic that nothing living can, can even go inside. You you basically you will die. You go in there. There's so much death magic. Your skin and your and your stuff will just just come off your bones, and you will be one undead skeleton. It'll just basically reduce you to an undead skeleton um, the minute you walk in there. Which I thought was like, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it funny that he names the capital Nagashazar, which was his capital in the world that was. Yeah. On the shores of the Sour Sea. This guy just wants to recreate that perfect vision that he had even way back then. Well, and wasn't and Nagashazar was based off of his home back in the in the deserts back, you know, pre, It wasn't based Kings. 100% on Kemri and right. Hekara, but it was built into the side of a mountain is what Nagashazar was. Previously, right, but even the stuff he was building there and the things he was doing, they all—I mean, it was all basically that sort of his own version of that the place from home that he always wanted to rule. Right, and I do find it funny that he made sure that it's so saturated with death magic that nothing living can get in there because he was undone by Skaven in the world that was, yeah, burrowing through. So I do find it funny that he's already started to take the precautions from lessons learned. Well, you know, you you need to if you're going to sur- I mean, they managed to get him down to one like one speck of like ash of his ess- of his being was survived after they got him with that blade and destroyed the body. He was literally he had one piece that eventually regenerated. And that took a long time because it was just that one you know Crop one minute, yeah. Part. So, uh, but uh, what else goes in here? Okay, and this way before the age of chaos, he starts what we talked about last week: the grain by grain movement of the um, realm stone, of the, the realm sand. stone, the grave sand. Uh, no, we talked about before thousands of miles. Now, picture this: it's just skeletons, just marching. In a row, thousands of miles, and he and it actually, you know, describes almost like you know, like like the like a row of ants at a picnic, sort of marching toward the thing. And I'm I'm sitting here picturing this, and this, if nothing else, just try to picture some. What did we say it was like almost two and a half times around the world was one way, one way to that destination, right? So yep. just picture a line of skeletons that is that long. Try to picture that in your head. A couple times around, almost three times around the world, in your head, stretching out, going to that place, finding one grain of sand, turning around and coming back. So it's a loop. So it's more like five, almost six times around the world, you know, loop of marching skeletons. Every single one of them animated by Nagash. Every single one of them controlled and given a, a, a job to do by Nagash. Now, just think of the 
and I'm talking to the power he wields. I mean, this is no joke. Like, and this is just one thing he's doing while he's got hundreds of thousands of others building black pyramids. And now, granted, he infuses them with some power and gives them a mission and they just go out. It's sort of like clockwork, I'm assuming. He doesn't have to actively think. But he can see through any of these, can't he? Can't he see what's going on through them as well? I thought he could. I believe so. And then he's also got overseers like Archon the Black and various other and the, yeah, his commanders. Black, yeah. But it's 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 crazy. And I, I mean, granted, yeah, you're right. You know, it, he, Archon and his other necromancers are 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 working that as well. But at first, you know, it's 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 him that that type of power over the undead is. I mean, I can't. I I really I don't think I can understand. I, I can't overstate the the amount of power he has in the realm of death and 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 it's growing uh and that's kind of what i was as i was reading this i was just like wow that's that's crazy um Mm -hmm. so um basically before the age of chaos he's he's running through this plan that's when he betrays sigmar and that's when sigmar kind of loses his mind and loses focus on what's going on um you know, if you're that close to, to succeeding, though, because it seemed like they were doing pretty well, uh, and then that betrayal really just left him hanging and turned the tide against them. So I could see why Sigmar would would get so angry. But then that's exactly what Sigmar does. He just he sort of forgets the purpose and just starts trying to hunt down Nagash. Um, and then Chaos shows up there because, of course, why not? That's where Sigmar and Nagash are. And all that's going on, and all that fight. And it really weakens his power in Shyish. And then finally, Archeon shows up. After. And I, was that. Now, did he show up after Sigmar said, forget it? I yes, think he did. I think this is after. Because the, Sigmar goes on the rampage trying to hunt down Nagash. And Nagash stays one step ahead of him to the point that he diminishes his forces. And that's when he pulls everybody back to Azir. So then, after he goes back to Azir, Archeon comes in to try to snuff out the Great Necromancer, and that's the Barrow Wars yep. that we have going on. That lasts for centuries, the right. wars between the Death and the Chaos, until finally Archon is able to cut down Nagash at the gates of Nagashazar, I think is what it is. So he finally blows up Nagash, the Slayer of Kings does its job, yep. like... And then all, all of course, and this is one of those things. All those armies stop and fall mm-hmm. down because without him to to animate, they just all drop. Yeah, almost all of them, except the ones animated by the Mortarks. Yes, I think they still function. But anything that was controlled by Nagash is dead. Yeah. And I'm certain those ones controlled by the Mortarks faltered there for a moment when you've got that oh, sort I'm of a sure. power sh- surge going on. Yeah, and the walls and the gashes are start to crumble a bit. It's like when. The ring finally gets destroyed in Lord of the Rings. Things start to break up. And there's an, a counterattack led by the Mortarks to take what's left in the gash and run away. To They ran to the underworld of Stigix to hide and recoup. Right. 
there they were able to put his because once again, as long as his body is still there and you've got it, it'll he'll come back. It'll take a while, but he'll come back. So yeah, they take him to safety and get him out of there. Um. Now, when Nagash does come back, he kind of he's biding his time. He knows better at this point. He need uh, chaos has large chunks of his land. Yeah, uh, if not all of almost all of it, and don't they, and didn't and they, and they sacked and burned Nagashazar to the ground. Yeah, they destroyed it and they set up eight black iron citadels around it to keep guard over it. Right. Um. So Nagash does Nagash does come back, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not in charge of pretty much anything at this point. So he needs to start he starts slowly building back his power, getting himself ready, and he's just sort of waiting for the right moment. Once again, patience. And when the Realm Gate Wars begin, all eyes turn to Well, actually, really, because that's where it starts. Um, but then they start turning to all the other realms where where Sigmar's stormcast are coming down and now there's this new war. When all eyes focus on Sigmar, <laughs> the guy's just like, yep, now's the time. And so while everyone's focused there, he comes back. Uh, he takes out the eight citadels first. Um, basically, you know, kills chaos, te- tears down the eight black iron keeps, and then he takes back Nagashazar. And um, this is... This is this just shows you when you know like one of the reasons not to mess with them I guess um, the chaos lords that held the city um, didn't get to die didn't get that sort of a you know there's no slow and painful death there's no death uh, or else, actually that's not true he does kill them but then he brings them back to their bodies nails their bodies up to the walls of the city and then sets bale fire. You know, magical fire on those bodies. So they're sitting there screaming in pain, in agony, as their souls are basically being burnt. Um, and he just leaves them there forever. That's that's cold. <laughs> you know? Yes. That's, that's Nagash. Yeah, that's not I'm going to punish you for a while. He that, And that's one of the things that like he's got in his back pocket and things that he will pull on people, um, which is why some of these people side with him. Because when they point out that if you don't side with him, you're going to die. And when you die, he's going to remember this and he's going to stick you back in your body. And he could literally torture you forever. I mean, there's, you know, when you see these things in, uh, in, in any other place, the worst you could do is kill me. You see that sometimes in movies, you know what I'm saying? Or it's like, you know, you can torch me, whatever. I know you're going to kill me when this is over. But that's all you can do. You know? Heck, I was watching The Dark Knight the other day. And uh, Batman's in that police place. And he's beating the heck out of the Joker. And the Joker's like, you got nothing. He's like, with all your strength, you got nothing. There's nothing you can do to me. Um, And that's not the case here. Because he literally can grab your soul. And just torture you forever. And he has no qualms with forever. You know, I'm certain these guys learned their lesson not to mess with him after 20 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. 
you know, after a year, it's like it's really hammered in. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm certain they're all insane at this point. Those souls have been driven mad through just unending pain and suffering. It's crazy the kind of things he does. Like when you actually stop to sit and think about what he's doing, he is one of the cruelest, r- most ruthless beings in existence. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he he rivals the chaos gods in his in his cruelty and his malice because those guys are doing that because they do it. And you know, I mean, heck, even Scarbrand's being punished by Corn forever, but he's not just straight up torturing him nonstop. He's just horrible and mean and 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 cruel. But there's it's there's, it's nothing compared to what Nagash does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like what he is, which is it takes infinite, you know, it takes millennia to do things. Like I'm looking at page nine, uh, second paragraph in on the third column. Okay, uh, saying it'll take many life lifetimes for Nagashizar to reach its former glory, but Nagash can wait. He he doesn't care. He's got plans within plans. He's this great schemer. And this is where they talk about what he's doing. Aside from consolidating his power, he's got Manfred and Neferata going out on vengeful crusades to erase the taint of chaos from Shayesh and then spreading death across the rest of the realms. And then he leaves Archon to do the Gravesand trick and continue that work. Nothing, right. it just got paused. Yeah. Everything else must continue. Yeah, that's that, and that's one of the reasons he can wait. I've got other things going on. I'll get to that. Um, one of the things that I also saw in here is um, he uh, now it says entreaties from Sigmar to join the war against Chaos have been spurned for the God King's rampant soul theft has not been forgotten nor forgiven. That's another thing about him is you know, I know he's immortal and I know that he's like a super genius and, and has all this knowledge and power, but. Man, he just does. He, he does. He. I mean, never forgive, never forget. That's when a person does something like that. You're like, oh, you're kind of being petty. Do you really want to waste your life being this way? He's he's eternal. Again, <laughs> yeah, that never forgive, never forget takes on a whole other meaning. Um, but what I thought was great was here as many of his agents have been dispatched upon important missions into lands controlled by Sigmar's faithful. Searching for clues to the true nature of the Stormcast Eternals. Yeah, and they're also breeding different cults of Nagash. Like in, what's the book, Sphere of Shadows, they encounter a group of Nagashites, which are essentially just death priests and death prophets who are trying to convert the populace to follow Nagash versus Sigmar. Right. So, And that ties into the Legion of Blood, but that's neither here nor there. So right. it's more than just scientific. He's also trying to subvert power away, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, before we start jumping into his thoughts on Sigmar and the elves and Shadespire, let's take a quick break. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we come back, we'll hit all of that stuff next. And then um, more info, info about uh, what he's doing in his realm. Mm-hmm. 
We are back with Sigmar versus Nagash. Fight! Um, I even like the pictures on this. The giant statue with the real, you know, of, of Sigmar standing there. And then across from him on the other side is the is the profile of <laughs> Nagash. And they're just sort of staring each other down. The bookends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, now... We do talk about, it does go into stuff about Sigmar here. Uh, you know, they both, they're basically, like you said, polar opposites in their beliefs and how things should live and stuff like that. Um, and it's funny because, I mean, Sigmar is the guy who got him out. He was imprisoned, trapped, couldn't do anything. Sigmar got him out and said, look, we got to put this other stuff aside so that we can, we can have realms and we can rule this and we can all live peacefully you know and okay sure except i won't um but this i mean this whole thing is just how much he's mad because sigmar it made the stormcast eternals and boy is he ticked you know Mm -hmm. um and it's funny because i love the way they describe describe it uh Nagash, mired in the centuries-long barrel wars against the hordes of chaos invaders pouring into Shash, felt a stream of precious souls slipping from his grasp. This could not be countenanced as the father of necromancy and the undisputed master of death. He claimed the spirits of the deceased as his property alone. I mean, I mean all of this basically comes down to, I and mean, we've all heard this before, you know, I, I don't like Sigmar. He took souls he shouldn't take. Uh, that's kind of, that seems to be his beef through almost everything. All souls come to me. If it does, if it doesn't, if they don't, um, then we got beef. Yeah, and this is where you see the kind of petulance and arrogance with Nagash. So, right, because I I would think that Slanesh has taken way more souls than Sigmar has, and I would think that uh, Tyrion and Malarian are grabbing away and, and gathering up all the souls that they can gather of their elf kind to help, you know, build back the elven race. Uh, they've probably grabbed more than Sigmar has as well, but Sigmar came to me in friendship and said he wanted my help and then had the nerve to steal from me after asking me. Uh, so it's, 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 it's complete pride that makes him hate Sigmar more than anybody else. Yeah. It's like because these other guys just ignored him. They're just stealing. They're just thieves. Here's a guy who came up and came to my door and knocked on the door and said, hi, I want to buy some Girl Scout cookies and was hanging out with me and then stole from me. Yeah, I think the big thing is he doesn't see that his betrayal came first. He was thinking that I have to protect my seat of power. This is going to do us better in the long run. So he thought he was doing right, even though... That isn't what happened. Yeah. I and mean, again, I, its point of view matters, and Nagash's is slightly skewed. Yeah. but Because one of the things that doesn't fall into Nagash's point of view is, um, you know, had I not betrayed them, he wouldn't have needed to make these things. Mm-hmm. Like, if none of this might have happened had I just kept my word. I mean, if we want right. to start, start following the threads back. So... Yeah, so this all kind of falls back on him. 
Um, I do like that they talk about Shadespire a little more here mm-hmm. and how he cursed them. Um, you know, I mean, this was a city and they made the shade glass and they were able to hold the spirits of their... I mean, it's kind of like what the elves did with all the gems in both 40K and in some of this stuff in, in you know... Um, like in the spirit stones? Yeah. Um, they make this shade glass and shade glass, for anyone who doesn't know, is... Uh, basically, um, realm stone, the grave sand that has been, you know, the sand has been turned, has been crafted into glass. And because it's got that death power in it, it can literally hold the souls of, of the dead in it. Um, it kind of reminds me almost of soul stones from, yeah, like you said, soul stones, like from, uh, from, um, uh, Freddy King, the Eldar, or yeah, or even from Malifaux. Just you know, I'm assuming when these people die, their souls pass to here instead of going into that realm. And uh, it's great because they can keep their wisest and best, or they're able to be, you know, able to, to continue their 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 work, to continue to help lead the the living descendants um, of Shadespire into the into the future. And he's just not having any of it. That's not how that works. You don't get to just stay there and not come here. Um, you're mine and you're late. So he curses the whole... Now, what is, how does this work? Do you... I mean, did you did you uh, digest this a little better than I did? How does this work that... I mean, what did he do to this city? He puts it in a pocket dimension? Yeah, essentially, like, the physical city itself is still in Shyish. Right. But it's kind of split dichotomously between the realms of light and shadow. So it exists in like this essentially time warp where nothing dies and it's... But it does I, seem to age because it's like the people who got yeah. stuck there they're all like... Aging and decaying and everything like that. So I mean there is still death but you're devolving and essentially just rotting on your feet. Right. And so, unlike where souls die and then, um, well, here's a question, and this is leading me to, I distinctly recall, and I, I hate to bring up the Tomb Kings, but when the Tomb Kings were brought back by the, the, the Tomb Priests, those were the actual souls of that body going back to that body. So they had actually some level of autonomy, or at least a remembrance of their old skills and their abilities, which was yeah, diff- that was why they were the more like elite skeletons. That's why they couldn't just reanimate units. Right, they could only add back. Now, when 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 Nagash reanimates skeletons, he's not sticking their actual souls back in their bodies. He's just reanimating them, which is why they're completely mindless automatons. With skeletons, he's putting a little bit of essence or spirit into it, just to give them the drive, the purpose instead of the walking corpse. Right. It's a little more different with more complex ones like Graveguard or Black Knights where you have to put more of that essence in there to make them the more elite troop that they are. Okay. that's And that's kind of what I thought. Now, these people in Shadespire, that's not what's happening to them. They're not dying and their spirits no. are going. Their spirits are stuck. He's basically locked them into their bodies. Mm-hmm. You will never die. Although you will rot, you will fall apart, you will wind up eventually just being a, a skeleton. Yeah, Except but you're a skeleton with your full soul intact, which yeah, that, you can't 
move on from. Horrible and torturous and sitting there just watching yourself decay and decompose down to the bones. And then for the ones that are trapped in the shade glass, they can't move. They're stuck looking at that particular hallway or whatever for the remainder of the time that Nagash lets them live out that existence. Oh, that's right. Because couldn't they kind of flitter between the bits of shade between glass? Between the or... way and everything like that. Right. Now, they so, couldn't actually come out of the glass. Like, they weren't, like, walking around spirits. But they could no, jump between all the bits. They could flit between the glasses. Or between the paintings. And so, so they could move around. They, now they can't, can't do that anymore. So if you happen to be a piece of shade glass that got dropped or left in the closet or you were put off to the side when this happened, you're stuck there. You're in there. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's – once again, he he doesn't just punish. He gets revenge, and it's always cruel because his intention is to leave it there, leave Shadespire there forever. I mean, that is his intention. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. You know, and then it talks about how sometimes people go in there looking for stuff and they, they can't, they have trouble getting out. Um, is it because they wind up in the, the little pocket dimension or is it just because Shadespire, because Shadespire, like you said, the the place is still there. You can find it. So what is the danger of these of, of these guys getting lost and basically somehow flipping over to this to this dusk realm that's not the realm of light or shadow yeah it's trying to get out now people have gotten out of shakespeare it right. is just exceedingly tricky and you constantly get lost okay okay i see what they do mean. talk about in uh, malign portents when we did that review where there's a group of arcanauts from barrack zilfin right that were able to get in and get out although none but, of them made it home None of them made it home. Crazy. All right. Um, let's move on to some of this other stuff. The Souls of Elfkind. This is the biggest page in the book as far as like world building, I think. Yes, it is. It's very Because it good. answers so many questions that we've been waiting on. Yeah. So being answered. Roll with it, man. Let's go with this. So we have... So... Going back to the world that was, Slanesh consumes most of the souls of Elfkind, because that's what he wants, and he's that's always what Slanesh is. So he devoured so many souls that he grew bloated and sluggish. He was forced to take shelter from his brother gods, seeing that they would take advantage of him in his weakened stupor. So he runs and hides, and Malarian and Tyrion find him and lure him into captivity. So they are trying to extract as many souls as they can from the helpless Chaos God in order to rebuild their worlds, to rebuild their races. So they're literally reaching in and pulling the souls out of Slanesh. And this pocket of souls Nagash is trying to find, it's a great bounty of souls that he doesn't get being torn away by an unknown entity. So he's trying to find them, but he hasn't been able to do so. And then they talk about Morathi. Yeah, because he couldn't find them. Like, he had no yeah. idea where... He still doesn't know where Slanesh is, but he didn't even know who had them or what they were doing. Like, Malarian and Tyrion did a really good job 
of not letting anybody know what's going on. This, I mean, wait, uh, Malarian is Tyrion's uncle, correct? Isn't he Tyrion? Technically, by distant relation. Yes. Okay, but I'm just saying. Just for, so this this uncle and nephew team here um, managed to do what most people couldn't, and that is completely stymie Nagash on on and finding them or doing anything. And then Morathi kind of messes that up. A little bit, yes. Yeah. So she says that she's going to aid Malarian and Tyrion in their endeavor to rebuild these societies. But she also sneaks away a surplus bounty of elf spirits to Ulgu, which is the realm of shadow for her own sinister purposes, and that has now been flushed out with the release of Daughters of Cain. Right, which we'll get to soon. Eventually, yeah. Um, now, Malaria and Tyrion had not taken account for her trickery, um, and how because it's masculine spells of misdirection and obfus- obfus- that word. Um, so this torrent of souls is still like drawing Nagash's eye. And then we have another little nugget here where further acts of theft cause attention across the mortal realms. Trickles of spirit matter vanished into nothing as if broken apart upon the wind. Something was preying upon mortal kind, soul and flesh, whisking them away to an unknown realm. Great fleets of merchant ships or entire townships would disappear overnight. Not a fragment of their spiritual essence remained. All that could be found were a few soulless bodies left inert and comatose, unable to wake. And what is this going on there? Do we? I mean, yeah. Am I missing? The, am I missing something, or do we just not, both not know? We don't know yet. Oh, I'm sa- eventually, yeah. I mean, you don't drop a nugget like that and not tell. But I'm saying we don't know yet, right? Like, yeah, okay. And they, when we get to daughters, it'll tie in a little more. But um, so this is a leech. It's not like a sudden disappearance of souls. This is a trickle, and he cannot figure out what is going on with these souls, and that disturbs him the most. He can't explain where these souls are going or what's going on with them. That's got to bother him. The lack of knowing what's happening has got to be driving him bonkers. Absolutely. So he does send out Archon and the Legion of Sacrament. And if he's sending out Archon, that's how serious he's taking it, is that he's sending the number two guy to go figure out what's going on. But they haven't been able to find anything. No, that's cool. I remember reading that too. Going, wait, what? What is this? This, this. Now that's interesting. Something that even he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. So now he knows kind of where the guys who where the elves are, or short, he has at least a bigger clue of what's going on. Um, there's a whole new mystery that's opening up on top of that, and then, um. They start talking, and here we start building the this this builds literally right here on malign portents. This last half, and basically he's ready now. Whatever this plan is, it's just about ready. Um, the Mortarks have all been unleashed. Uh, Neferata's out uh, corrupting Sigmar's realms. There's she's got she's got blood cults, and in every major city, apparently. Yeah, um, it's just like what she did in the old world. Exactly. Uh, Manfred is out just 
terrorizing people. Just, uh, you know, um, and it's kind of funny. Uh, not, I mean, not ha-ha funny, but it's just he kind of sends him out, and it's just like just caused, caused chaos, caused disorder. Um, everybody that Manfred kills is just making, you know, bringing more souls to Nagash. So he's just like, just do what you do best. You know, make 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 a lot of noise and a lot of it, all eyes to Manfred at that point, and then he can keep him distracted. Meanwhile, Archon's doing the work. Yeah, and when you look at pages like sixteen and seventeen, where it talks about the different legions and how they kind of break down, with Legionite, it's sowing terror, it's sowing fear, and it's driving the souls. And then the Legion of Sacrament. And what a sacrament is, is it's a ritual. Yep. This is the actual work. So this is where Archon comes in, is doing the actual work of what Nagash once acted out. And then the Legion of Blood is obviously the infiltrators, and they are like corrupting the machine from the inside. So again, continuing to expand Nagash's power base and eroding Sigmar's power base. Yeah, exactly. Um, I never thought about that. The, the, the actual, just the word sacrament, it means ritual. I never, it was, I'm never even was thinking about that as as their title. The one is the blood, the one is, you know, what's in the night. And this is, yeah, the legion that is performing all the all the work, like yeah. you said. It, it's one of those that when these models first came out with End Times with Archon, Mortark of Sacrament, it's kind of like, how does that really fit in with where they were going with the direction of the vampire counts at that time? And it makes more sense now that he's completing the rituals, that he's doing the work for Nagash as opposed to just a lieutenant, essentially. Yeah, no, exactly. And basically now this is where it says how the plan is, is sort of, is, just about ready to spring his trap. Um, uh, well, I mean, it's not even a trap. He's basically he's just about ready to to send everyone out everywhere. Like this is the all-out blitzkrieg is about to happen. Um, this is what it was talked about in Malign Portents. Um, he's gathering all his power. He's gathering all his forces, and crazy things are starting to happen among the eight realms, um, which is tipping off all the people that something weird is happening in the realm of death. But at this point, he doesn't care. No. Um, and and he's so arrogant. He knows this plan's going to succeed anyway. Right. And so he's just like, all right, I'm, you know, things are happening. Weird stuff's happening around there. It doesn't matter. I am this close to, 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 to completing this plan and getting this underway that he's not even worried anymore. Um, and no. it's, it's that bit of arrogance that is going to possibly save the rest of the realms because this... He, now that he's not hiding what he's doing anymore, they're all seeing it going, whoa, thank you. how did they, you know, it's it, where you wake up and you realize, oh my gosh, it's really late. Hopefully it's not too late to stop this. And that's kind of where we're at with, with that. Um, mm-hmm. Him letting him see what's going on. Um, then we get to the realm of death and it talks about. The realm this of one definitely felt like a repeat straight out of Malign Portents. Yep. Yep. I mean, it explains how, what we talked about earlier, all the different 
all the different undead realms. Like I said, the thing that I liked in here is that it explained that they do eventually dissipate if all their believers are gone. So apparently, if you're a believer and you go there, your belief in it while you're there doesn't count as much. Uh, someone has to believe in you from the outside. And so that's kind of, like I said, it's just, it lays out the realm of death. And it talks about the Black Pyramid. It talks about the realm of chaos. I mean, some of this stuff is rehashing the stuff that we got in the earlier chapters of this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally just talking about how, you know, they, when chaos took over, they really just sort of ran the civilizations down, destroyed a lot. Um, It was interesting how some of the, some of the, you know, chaos's minions we're not just killing off all the people who lived in Shayish, because there are people who live there. And there are people who live there who live not horrible lives. Like, I mean, it seems like, you know, when you used to talk about Sylvania, you're like, oh, those poor people who are, you know, like being born there is just the the total bad luck, you know, DNA lottery. Um, <clears throat> but, like, these guys had nice, there were nice places where people lived happy lives. Not as much grew there. You had a little bit of a rougher life. Like, you know, you had to work hard. But, um, you know, the spirits of their of their families and friends, like, would, you know, because it was a realm of death, they could often manifest themselves there. So, um, depending on where you were, uh, it literally says in here that the, the living and the and the dead often sort of lived together in a lot of harmony, and depending on where you were and how much death magic was whirling around your area. So it's actually, the thing I liked about this is that it, it fleshed out that it's it's not, you know, it wasn't just, oh, these poor, these poor people being born into the realm of death. There was, there was some, you know, niceness to that existence. Um, yeah, it's not like a full-born like hell or something like that, where it's yeah, perpetual you, torment. You're not being born into the Walking Dead, you know. Mm-hmm. You're being born into places that are that, that can have good and normal lives. Um, chaos comes ripping through, killing all those people, and just like destroying some of the souls. Like they had stuff that could that could destroy and torture the spirits as well. So it gets that gets. A little, you know, I was like, oh, really? That's, uh, that is kind of horrible. But, of course, every one of those souls that they wind up torturing and mangling, that just upsets Nagash more. Because he can do it, but that's because they're his. These guys best step back. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, we're up to the legions of, of Nagash and the space timeline. And then... There's, you know, the the unit entries, not the scrolls, but talking about them. And I think we'll get through that pretty quick because there's not a whole heck of a lot that we haven't already talked about with these things. Yeah, there's a couple couple little nuggets in there, but a lot of these things are known quantities. So, So, um, and okay, even this, you know, you're reading Legions of Nagash. It shows you the Legion of Night, the Legion of Sacrament, the Legion of Blood. You've got all these things here. The only thing in this part that they hadn't already talked about um, was the Flesh Eater Courts. I mean, they do talk about the Mortarks were chosen. But, like, the Mortarks were chosen by Naga- Nagash not for their loyalty. Only Archon the Black appears truly content in the face of his master's dominance, but they're for their unique and invaluable skills. And it Literally in the the previous part, like two pages back, talk to us about the different legions, sacrament, blood, and night, and what they do. 
So it's like it's sort of another another rehash. Um, was there anything in here that stuck out that you wanted to talk about other than the flesh eater courts? Um, no, I mean the big thing was the flesh eaters is that understand that these things are not truly dead; they are mordants, they are decrepit cannibals. They are still alive, right? And though they revere Nagash, he can't control them. So. Because he can't control them, that kind of chuffs him. So they're kind of this sporadic ally in the grand scheme of things. That's why they fall into death, because they still like the buckets of corpses and everything like that. It's just he can't depend on them. He can't control them. They'll show up. Right. They'll fight for him. They'll do stuff. But they are they are on a, a variable and he doesn't like variables. No. Because they if, if they may not go to the place he wants them to go, they may get distracted. But boy, they like to have a good fight with him, and they can help out, and then they can eat and leave him the mm-hmm. skeletons. Yeah, I mean, they do eat bone marrow and everything like that, but he doesn't care. He wants souls. He doesn't want bodies. Right. I mean, the bodies help, but the souls are really what he wants. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, then they go a little bit into sort of the the legion structure, but there's not much to say here because it's literally you know zombies are the are the bottom of the barrel, skeletons a little better than that, and then you can get into some of these you know the the you know you get your grave guard and then you've got your some of your constructs and things that uh, are are better because they are just basically made better. Correct. So do we want to jump on the space timeline here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's a couple things in here I would like to address. Okay. Uh, the first of which is the prayers for the lost. And this one I'm going to read because this needs to get addressed. Uh-huh. Um, so the Legion of Blood ambushed the Sons of the Storm, which is one of the storm hosts, obviously, at the Molten Lakes of Chamon. After three days of hard fighting, the undead host was driven off. It was only in the aftermath of battle that the Stormcast Eternals realized that several of their number were missing and not been carried back to Azir upon the storm. There are some people that thought, oh, we're going to get Deathcast Eternals. No. No. I really You're not yeah. going to get Deathcast. Yeah, I hope not. I don't want to see Stormcast. I don't want to see Chaos. I don't want to see Death Stormcast. I don't... Yeah. No. Nagash has his own... Like elite troops, he has Graveguard, he has Morgas, he has Blood Knights, he has Vargas. He's got that. What he doesn't have is the soul, and he's got one soul, as far as I remember, of a Stormcast Eternal that he has kept, and that is Tarsus Bullhart, right from the Mortark of Night series. So he's got one soul, but he can't experiment on just one soul. Because if he screws up, that soul goes away. Right. So he can't figure out how to interrupt the process using just one, because if he makes one mistake, it goes away, and then he's stuck. So he's trying to figure out how he can interrupt the cycle and get the souls back to him, not to create Deathcast. I really don't think that's where they're heading with this. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Why would yeah, Like you said, why would he create Deathcast? He doesn't need them... He just needs that soul to stop going back to Sigmar. That's what he's trying to unravel Sigmar's power. Um, Figure out a way 
to stop them from going back to Azir. Mm-hmm. Um, cause at that point then he doesn't need to create, he doesn't need to create an, that arm. And why, and like I said, why waste time when he does create something, he creates more guests. Right. And those, and those are good enough. Oh yeah. Those are more than good enough to do the job. And he yep. doesn't need elite troops. He's got more bodies than he knows what to do with. What he wants is the energy. Cause that's what really drives the engine. Exactly. Um, no, I did like, you know, when they talk about how um, in the Consecrated and Blood, how you get these guys fighting, and suddenly during the night, their own, uh, the ruins around them, their own ruins that they're fighting, you know, in and around um, at night may just reform and take the shape of the Blood Keep, and then there they are in your back in your back lines. Mm-hmm. Coming out with yeah, and Prince this is Ford a new guy. character, and we're going to talk about him. In a little bit with Prince Vordhai. Um and I do find it funny that you picked the thing that talks about flagellants getting slaughtered. So thank you much. Well, I didn't mention them. Notice I just mentioned that the, just what what they are able to do with the Blood Keep now because I thought that, I thought that was interesting. You know now Blood Keep Blood Keep still it came over from the world that was the whole idea of Blood Keep, um, but it's no longer a fixed place that they that they work from. It just can form out of any ruins, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And we'll, when we talk about Vordhai, that'll come into play, too. Yeah. And then um, the only other things that are going in here is you've got uh, uh, Maremgar, the greatest of Archon's Black Disciples. Uh, he's striding off with his guys into uh, into Ulgu to see what they can find out. They're still sending guys out there. Um, they already said that they're doing this and nobody ever comes out. So I just, I liked the mention of this because, you know, when you're sending numberless, you know, guys, just unit after unit after unit and they're hoping someone comes out, to mention one specific group seems odd unless maybe there's more story that we're going to get through there. Um. And then the last thing I like is that the Duarden are trying to harvest ether gold above this place, and uh, a bunch of they were swarmed by hulking, leather-winged monsters who snatched scores of crewmen from the decks of their vessels. So you're not even safe up in the skies if you're the overlords. No, and fun fact: Barak Moore yes. is Tyler Mendel's homegrown Skyport. Yes, it is. Yeah, he yeah he was working on that, and uh, I think that's interesting. I wonder if uh, I mean because I know he works. You know, he he does a lot of stuff with the guys from GW. I'm wondering if they heard it. This book, I mean, this stuff had to have been written pretty early, though. I mean, I suppose more than one person could come up with that idea. Yeah, I, but for the same name, same spelling, and everything. Right. Um, right that is. But in any event, you yeah. know, just fun little mention. Exactly. I don't know if he listens, but... I don't know. Don't know. But uh, I tell you what, let's take a quick last break, and then we're going to come back and... Not a last break, but a, another break. Um, and then we'll we'll run through just the, the unit uh, descriptions here, uh, most of which we can just kind of, you know, gloss. We're going to kind of take this one pretty quick. Yeah, so we'll do that as soon as we're back. I have 
And we are talk. We are back talking the dramatis persona and the not so dramatic people of the Legion of Nagash. <laughs> oh, so I mean, what else is there to say about about Nagash? He's got a nice hat. Yes, he does. Um, he's got a lot of good weapons. This does go into that little bit of detail. You know, he's been he's been around long enough that he's become a pretty good swordsman. Um, he he disdains. Fighters, um, people who rely on on fighting to get stuff done, he'll usually stand back and magic the heck out of them because that's where true power lies. Um, he'll just sit there and 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 you know take their you know just age them or or do whatever. Uh, but he apparently is no slouch with a sword, and if you do get up close, he will do that. Of course, it also says that he can just touch you, and you will age hundreds of years. Yes. So, the sword isn't a hundred percent necessary in that uh, <laughs> when you can do that. But I mean, you know, he is who he is. I think we've covered him uh, in another. Pretty detail. thorough, yeah. So, who else we got here? We've got Neferata, um, and we've kind of talked about what she does too. She sends people out. She sends out. She is the most beautiful of of the vampires. Um. And she looks for that when she makes new vampires because those are the people, the the temptresses, the the um, the seducers, the manipulators. Right. You know, uh, these are the people she is sending out to the cities. Um, it does also talk about Nulamia, which is her home that she's created. And okay, uh, yep. All right, we got to talk about this. Okay, so. Just bear with me on this one. With the it. name of the domain in which she rules is Neferadia. And she rules from the capital of New Lamia. Could we have done something more original with naming? Uh, apparently, when you've got that much power and you rule over that much that you build your own home city, not just a home like base, you name it after yourself. I guess it just definitely felt like it was. Yeah, Neferatia or Neferadia. That, that's that, that's uh, Nagash's art doesn't bother me at all. Like it seems to work, but this I don't even know how to pronounce it. Like you know, and it's literally only adding one letter. It's not as good. Yeah, and then New Lamia, the capital of her empire when she was in the world, it was was Lamia. Oh, she's got she's New now- Lamia. New Lamia and you. And it's just like, okay. But it shows, again, that tie to the world that was. And they're kind of. The thing with the vamp with Soul Blight is that they want power. They crave it. They crave the control. And I think this kind of just speaks to that is they still are empire building, regardless of who's in control. Well, and I think by that new Lamia, I think. A lot of them, they're still, in some ways, psychologically, sort of bound to that. I mean, that was that was where they lived. That mm-hmm. was the, that was where they were still alive. Uh, and she ruled over Lamia when she was alive, uh, and then in death she ruled over it. Now that it's destroyed, she is going to like. Sh- there's there's a connection. There's an attachment to their personal past that they cannot let go. Yeah. Um, with with the exception, well, I mean, not even with the exception of Archon the Black, because his whole past was just serving 
Gosh, he does. His is a little different, though. And when right. we hit Manfred here, he rules over a region called Carstinia. Yes, the underworld of Carstinia. Which Carstinia. Yeah, this is all. This is this is this is a bit. This seems a bit. I don't want to say lazy writing, but it's it's, it's kinda... lazy. It seems like lazy writing, but it also demonstrates again. This is the megalomania part of it for the undeath for the for these particular characters is that it's again the control, it's the power, and to name something after yourself is to own it, and exactly that's what these guys are. Yeah. So, so as much as it seems like, oh, that's so lame. Yeah, it plays into it, and then it just sounds lame, so that doesn't help anybody. Right, but but it, like I said, it does go back to that. You know, A, like you said, name it after yourself. You own it. It's obviously yours. But B, that connection to their to their former lives. Yeah. And you know, when he's, we read, you know oh, he's got okay. a bathroom somewhere in the castle named, like, you know, Vlad and, Sta- Vlad and you know, Stein. You know, because he's just angry at those people that he used to know. So he names crappy stuff after them. I'm telling you, that's how it works. Yeah, that checks out. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and then when we read about Archon on the next page, he doesn't talk about ruling over a kingdom. There's no mention of him ruling over anything. It is strictly Nagash and working for the cause. Right. But hold on. Let's so, Before we jump to Archon, let's right. talk a little bit more about Manfred. Uh, now he does have some places. His seat in the city of Sternista or Sternist. So there's 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 actually a city, and his capital city is not named after him or anybody from his family. It was the name of a seat of power he controlled in Sylvania. Oh, it was? So, oh, it's just yeah. not Eastern East. Okay, so I was wrong. I need probably to edit this then, but I won't because who cares? You guys can all... You, you, everybody who listens knows how dumb I am, so they'll just hear the dumbness. Um, now, I do like how they talk about how he does keep an eye on... Manfred. Nagash keeps an eye on Manfred, uh, gives him lots of freedom, but he knows Manfred's in it for Manfred. That he is only serving Nagash or Nagash because he has to. Um, he doesn't have much of a, many options, but he also knows that given a, any chance, he'll take it. You know. In fact, it says several times he, the vampire has overstepped his bounds and invited harsh punishment. Um. I'm trying to think what else is going on in here that oh yeah why would he keep him around and he says basically there are few he, there, Manfred is the guy who can show fear in the mortal realms he is the vampire that terrifies everybody else um and so he is he is a blunt object he is the guy he can send out to do what needs getting done um, and he and he's clever. He's really. I mean, Manfred isn't just. Uh, he's not brutal and stupid. He's 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 brutal and cunning. He is. Uh, Even back to the world that was, he was the trick. He was the strategist, and that carries over into the new age. Yeah, and and he revels in this sort of manipulation and, um. 
just the 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 the, the fear and the pain that he inflicts. Um, he's because it distracts him from the one thing that I think dominates Manfred's existence is that he is essentially still a slave to Nagash. Mm-hmm. You know, and it even says here, inflicting terror and agony upon the mortal races is the only thing that eases his frustrated rage, if only for a fleeting moment. He does not like being under the thumb of Nagash, and he can't take it out on, he can't do anything about it. You can't fight it, you can't do it. So I think that's part of what, it, it, the, the cruelty and the, and the, and the, the, just the enjoyment of that sort of is, is, you know, he's sort of taking out on his enemies what he can't do to his boss. Yeah, and this even harkens back to the world that was the end times, because as the good guys actually might stand a chance of stopping the world from exploding, Manfred kills Balthazar Gelt because he would rather be dead than live in eternity under the thumb of Nagash. And where is he? He's still under the thumb. Well, yeah, and even that, like, I mean, every, I mean, Teclis is out there giving people power, and he, and part, I remember that, the fact that Teclis was the guy who was running the show down there upset him. Once again, I'm not going to, no, no, you're not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do someone else's bidding. And, Everything's working, but he's like, no, you know what? If we do get through this, then it'll all be Teclis's glory and and his plan and all of that. And nope, no, I'm not. He, he You know what? He kind of has the same psychological issues that Nagash has, if you think about yes. it. Um, he's like a mini Nagash. Although Archon is literally the mini Nagash. Looks like him, acts like him. Does his bidding, you know, but Manfred's got the the temperament and the personality, and that's it. It makes for he is the one that interests me the most because he's just fighting an unwinnable fight there. Correct. So I don't. That's like I said. I he fascinates me. I wanted to talk about him, but let's get to Archon. Okay. Um, And Archon, we've talked at length about already for what he is about. He leads a group of arch necromancers called the Black Disciples, who are like his chosen formidable wizards, but they're still nothing compared to Archon, who is in nothing compared to Nagash. Right. Right. And but even to even to come like necromancers will come and find him to learn from him because he is I mean, you ain't going anywhere near Nagash. Don't be stupid. No. Um, this is the the, uh, the of all the teachers you could have, here's the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but he won't even take you unless you like, like he will set you a task, something normally amazingly horrible and inhuman, um, to prove that you don't have an attachment to the living basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just love, I love his description. Even when it says he slays his foes with a cold dispassion for his belief in Nagash's ultimate success is absolute. And when that day comes, when the legions of the dead have conquered the entirety of the mortal realms, the Mortark of Sacrament will be at his master's side as he has ever been. 
Yeah, and I love that. that. Was, it's like it's not. I'll be at his side, his most trusted servant. I'll be at his side, his most glorified servant. I'll be at his side because that's where I am. Mm-hmm. I love it. it. It's like he's. It's weird. He is so. He is completely selfless, and he he is a, a like a Nagash's perfect servant. He is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I said, down to the fact that he actually dresses like him. Yes, the armor, the stylings, it's all very reminiscent of Nagash. Yeah. So what else we got here? Uh, more ghasts, which are cool. Um, yeah. Any necromancer can stick together a Frankenstein or some zombies. Only someone as crafty as Nagash can put together something these awesome, this awesome. Um. There's two kinds. There's Morgast Harbingers and Morgast Archai. The Harbingers uh, Instruments of Vengeance. Send them out. They either have a big halberd or two swords, and they they kill a lot of stuff. And that's their job. And, um, and is to go and murder and just kill things. And they're very aggressive. Yes. Whereas the contrasting Archai are bodyguards and custodians who protect Nagash's champions in battle, um, but they are also his executioners. Yeah, I like that part. Here's a bunch of bodyguards. They'll keep you safe. If I have any inkling that you're betraying me, I'll just turn them on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. So, again, it's the control. Yep, exactly. Um, I do like about the Harbingers, or sometimes he sends them out not just for their brutality, and their aggression, but the fear that they cause. It, it literally talks about if you're coming out there and you see the armies of the undead are coming and you're just expecting zombies and skeletons and you've prepared for this and you know that your forces are strong enough to take on maybe ten times your number, and then these things show up. and it, well, What are those? You know? <laughs> and here As your head goes flying away. Exactly. They're pretty cool. I've liked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remind me when we get to their unit entry because... Um, it used to be um, one of them had the better weapon or the, the heavier, you know, the stronger weapon, and one of them had lighter weapons but armor, and now it seems like you can mix and match. It's just they're uh, – but we'll talk about that when we get there because I was confused. Yeah. Um, who else we got? Okay, now we're on to the Soul Bite Vampires, and we get Prince Vordry. Yeah. Now, this is a new named character. Yep. For them. And he's the model itself he's built out of the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon kit. Right. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, but what Vordai is, is he is the feared Lord of the Crimson Keep, and he launches rage against the living um, with the express intention is just to kill things. Yeah, so like the Blood Knights. You remember, if you remember from the old edition, you, you, some, some Blood Knights, you could like they used to be able to make one unit, the the Blood Knights from Blood Keep or Crimson Keep or whatever keep. Mm-hmm. Um, this is their leader. Uh, yes and no. To, yeah. Um, You're drawing a parallel because he is not Wallach right. Archon. He is somebody new, but he is the new essential, like, Commander of Blood Knights, right, right. He's not the same guy, but it's that same that same role, basically. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that clarification. No um, problem. 
And and I didn't. Uh, I did not mean that to sound sarcastic. I just realized that could have come across as really snarky. That's totally not what mm-hmm. I meant. I do appreciate it. Um, what I like about this is they they made an interesting because that keep can sort of pop up and go anywhere, as we've already heard. Um, that would be a really cool thing and a really powerful character, but they've put a really interesting limit on him. Um, this guy tried to betray Nagash. Like the fact that he's not against a wall on suffering soul fire is uh, surprising. But when Ar- when Archeon destroyed uh, or, or you know dropped Nagash. Uh, before the other Mortarks could get to him, he was trying to get to him too, and he wanted to grab his body and go throw it out into the chaos voids and mm-hmm. let the chaos gods basically torture uh, Nagash for eternity. Um, except he didn't get there, and they found out about it. And so now, not only is he the leader of the, what is it, the, we say the Crimson Keep or Blood Keep, whatever it is, Crimson Blood Keep, Keep or Blood Keep. Um, it can pop up anywhere, and he can take them out and lead them out, but he's a prisoner in there, whereas the other guys can sort of be out and do what they want. He's got, like, 24 hours. He can be out of there for a day, and after that day, if he's not back, he suffers true death. Mm-hmm. He's a very good blood instrument of, like, sowing terror and harvesting souls, so that's why Nagash keeps him alive, but he needs to keep him on a short leash. Yeah. But here's here's the one person who who was was trying to pull some serious betrayal, who didn't get the typical punishment. He's still out doing his job. It's just now he's uh, he's kind of under house arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, That's gotta be one bad ankle bracelet. Oh yeah, yeah yeah, <laughs> and uh, just being stuck in the keep like you can't be out. Uh, the only reason he goes out is to destroy, and you've got a time limit. I need you to destroy these things. All right, well, we need to do it fast, and we need to do it right, because I've only got uh, so many hours to get it done. Um, they got a little box here about the Soul Blight curse. Um, basically just telling you what vampires are all about, and... Uh, and um, you know, that a lot of these rumors on how to kill them are pretty much false. Um, that they uh, And that they can be out in daylight and stuff like that. They don't like it. But that's why they summon up huge swarms of, of bats to blot out the sunlight so that they can move around <clears throat> more easily. Um, and that's, that's basically what they tell you about soul blight vampires. Coven thrones are still coven thrones. The Bloodseeker Palanquin is, uh, is an interesting new ad. Yeah, this one's a new unit, and it's essentially a rehash of the Mortis Engine and Coven Throne kit put together in a different way. So what these vampires are, it's they're obsessed with finding the best vintages of blood. The best blood, yes. The best. The they want the best tasting, the best vitalizing. They want to feast on just the blood, but they're not like fully devolved. Like a Vargeist is. No, this is still maintaining that presence. It's kind of funny because they're just basically, um, they're like, uh, they're blood chefs in a way, like blood they, sommeliers. Yeah, like they mix blood. Like they're literally using like Neferata's network to marry and intermingle tasty bloodlines. 
they're like they're blood connoisseurs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it literally will mess with other. Like they'll go out there to battle with it, and the blood that they've got in the chalices and in their in these in these things is just intoxicating. It'll it'll get the other vampires kind of do what they want. It's a weird thing. Like when this came, I was like, "Wait, what?" I mean, and it's basically like the coven throne without the coven. You get the mm-hmm. one vampire on it, but it's it's a strange. Like this was a strange. Uh, if you're going to take the two kits and mash them up to get a new unit, um, you know, fancy connoisseur blood sommeliers, as you put it, was not the thing that I would be thinking of. No. Um, but it is, I mean, it is interesting. You know, so I just, uh, you know, and, oh, she's a, a, a sanguinarch. That's who's on yeah. the, That's who's writing on it. Um, you know, a, 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 a blood, uh, a blood master. Um, just weird. Or the Red Widow or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got Vampire Lords. Um, we know all about Vampire Lords at this point. Um, it, I do like that they are not immune to sort of taking on the traits of the land they live in, which we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, we've talked about before um, in the in the different mortal realms. You know, depending on where you live, will actually sort of influence. Not just how you have to live, but influences sort of the the makeup of the people who live there. Um, in the land of Gur, their their bodies are covered in coarse hair. Their fangs are huge and jagged. Uh, the ash va- vampires of Akshi's parching wastes are pale skinned and skeletally thin. Their eyes pits of black, and their claws long as knives. So you 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 get that in there too, which I thought was interesting. But I mean, I think we all, other than that, know what a vampire lord is. Yeah. Uh, and then we go on to Blood Knights, which are the elite cavalry of the Vampire Lords. We've had these guys before. They're always trying to prove that they're the best, and the concept of honor that they have, they adhere to a very strict warrior code, and believing by only by mastering their innate bloodlust can they achieve martial perfection. So these are the guys that are the interesting part. They want the glory. They want the honor. Whereas somebody like Manfred cares not about honor. No, not a bit. He just wants to win. I mean, it literally said in there, I think in Manfred's uh, thing that uh, it says, that, you know, people who uh, believe in that stuff are fools. Like, he's really like, you, you're an idiot if you follow any sort of a code of honor because you just do what you got to do. Um, now, I like this because they do have a weird code of honor because it literally says... There are tales of roving bands of deathless champions vowing to rid settlements of the threat of rampaging monsters only to demand a tithe of innocent civilians upon their return. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they got to Oh, those people are being terrorized. We'll go out and prove our ability in battle, but you owe us. Okay, we'll pay you, not realizing you have to pay in blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we got next? Vargeists? Um... Now, I like this. They are the darkness in a soul bite vampire's heart made manifest. Um, if you're if a vampire is starved of blood for too long, um, they could basically, they can go feral. And yeah. That's what these guys are. Yeah, and in the world it was, their description of them was, like, it was a vampire that was 
tormented and locked in our coffin beneath uh, one of the castles in uh, Drakenhof. Um, locked in those coffins, and they were exposed to warpstone-laced rivers underwater, and it, it just didn't make any darn sense. Um, it was just an excessive explanation. Now it's, this is what they are. And even, they mentioned the Evangori, which is a soul-like dynasty in the realm of beasts, who, they have their champions who willingly submit to, to being bound by heavy chains and suspended face down above a pool of boiling blood, and that torment drives the inner beast in them to a frenzy, which accelerates the transformation process. So, to some people, this is an honor to become a Vargeist. Yeah, and basically, the chains are enough to hold the vampire form, but if they do change to a Vargeist, the Vargeist can basically break free of that that, that prison that, it, that the vampire's in, um, and then just drop into the pool of boiling blood and 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 feed. Um, that's crazy. That's some crazy stuff. I like it though. I like that they've added this to it, um, and that these vargeists, they are these sort of feral vampires, um, and they didn't completely drop the long ritual process. But that's just one group that does that now. That's <laughs> just yeah, and they group. made it. So they made it more interesting than just a crazy blood hungry vampire monster. Yes, far more interesting. Um, because at first when they're describing it, it seems like, oh, this is a vampire who's just kind of, you know, had everything going against it and the beast has taken over. But nope, there are places who think that that beast taking over is a good plan. And so they do it on purpose. So I kind of like that. Uh, fell bats, they're fell bats. They're giant bats. They're giant bats because they, you know, they've been feeding off blood. They're vampire bats. They're, they're big. And then there's bat swarms. Tons and tons of small bats, and they do exactly what the vampire wants them to do. And they may be tiny, and they may not be able to do a lot of damage, but there's a bajillion of them, and that's enough to, if not terrorize, then, then death by a thousand cuts most mortals. Mm-hmm. All right. And then we move on to the Night Haunts, and this is a pretty small section where they talk about just the various spirits that we have. So the Karen Wraiths are mass murderers or executioners that are reanimated to continue their work in the afterlife. Uh-huh. Um, we've had these before. Banshees are anguished shades that were betrayed or tormented by their loved ones and now exist solely to deliver retribution against all living things, and they can get incorporated into the Legions of Death Hex rates, these guys, when they initially came out, they were the claimers of souls in the world that was. Their right. job was to write out claimed souls that had been trying to escape death. Um, and now these guys are re- like re-envisioned as uh, proud or cruel knights, and that's their thing. They're still out there claiming souls, but they're, they're just jackhole... Knights. Yeah, that's and, what it is. It's like they don't serve a purpose aside from to collect souls and kill people, but it's not like an expressed purpose for their existence. Right. No, they just liked killing, and now they come back and they still they still killing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. The black coach hasn't really changed that much. 
Um, and spirit hosts are still spirit hosts. Basically, all of these were the things that would, were ethereal in the you know when we had an ethereal rule. Um, except the Which black we coach. still do. Well, yeah, to to a degree. Uh, do they call it ethereal? Yeah, they, they do. do. Yeah, they do. That's right. Um, and then you got the black coaches, which become ethereal. But so yeah, night haunt experience five entries, only about a page because that's just all fits in. Um, and then we got death rattle legions, which correct me if I'm wrong, but it's still pretty much the same as it's always been. The white kings. Yeah, they changed the white king though. Like he's, they actually have like substantial sections because before they were just like animated bodyguards or lieutenants or bannermen or whatever. Now these guys are actually like undead kings ruling over sections of land, and people actually want to seek out and work with them because of their power, because of their numbers, and they actually have like personalities as opposed to just a mindless automaton. Oh, okay. So. They do mention that, and they actually give them, like, some depth of scope. It's like, what is this character, aside from a really big skeleton? So, they gave them purpose, which is, I found to be very nice. And there's a very nice section here. I'm not going to go over too much of it, but... Right. Um, Black Knights are still Black Knights. Um, You know, the ones noble uh, knights... Going out and they're bringing back now their lifeless martial champions who ride in service of the White King. Um, Grave Guard, Elite Infantry, Skeleton Warriors. If you don't know what the Skeleton Warriors are yet, you you, go, you know. Yeah, they did mention some differences uh, between different skeletons depending on where they're from. Like the ones from Gyran, which is the realm of life, um, are often riddled with corpse fungi and creeper vines that move in between their moldering bones. Oh, that's interesting. And then the necromancers native to Chumung, or the realm <laughs> of metal, often gild their undead servants with precious metals and gems. I'm not saying I did a golden skeleton army, but... Pfft, uh. <laughs> See, I'm cool too, Tyler. <laughs> uh, those of actually are fond of wreathing their minions in ever-burning flames, enjoying the terrified screams as ranks of blazing skeletal warriors charge into the enemy. The first guy that does the ranks of blazing skeletal warriors. It's going to be pretty awesome. Just throwing it out there, folks. I'm telling you, of all of the ones I read, that's the one I liked the most. If I could sculpt, I would sculpt flame on the top of all, like on the shoulders and heads of all of my skeletons. I you just totally can't do, do Ghost Rider, though. Because that's lazy and Nicolas Cage. We just don't want to talk about that movie. <laughs> All right, so let's get up to next. Death Mages and Dead Walkers, Necromancers. Shock. Yep, Necromancers. Hey, they're people who are interested in the power you could get from raising the dead. Um, you know, they are what they've always been. Um, Necromancers are always sort of a confusing race, just, you know, once again... You're commanding all the dead to do your bidding, but the living hate you, and eventually you're going to die anyway. And it, there's just it's that's not that's just a bad path to go down. But if it's for the right reasons, like there's people that have experimented with it. It's the same thing with like any sort of dark magic. If you go yeah. on it for the right reason, it'll still corrupt you. Yeah. What right reason is there for bringing the dead back to life? I mean, love. Well, I guess so. Uh, ask the Elric brothers, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, Mortis engines are still Mortis engines. 
Corpse carts are still corpse carts. Zombies are still zombies. Dire wolves are still dire wolves. Um, yeah, that's it. Once again, a whole page for one, just over a page for all that stuff. Um, and then we're on the last couple beasts of the grave, terrorgeists and zombie dragons. Um, is there anything different about these? No, we've gone over these and we did our flesh eater course review. Right. It's pretty much the same stuff. So there you go. There's everything in the legions of Nagash. You've got everyone and everything sort of listed out here. Um, and that's all the lore. Uh, and I, like I said, I you know, we kind of ran through that part particularly quick because we have so much more to cover. But a lot of this stuff is stuff we've had before, and it would take so much longer if we went back and decided to revisit all of that another time. Stuff that we've obviously covered so many times before. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we take a break? Because I think it's that time. And we've got. We'll come back talking about the grand host of Nagash and the different legions, and then get into some of their cool stuff and the new magic lores and stuff like that when we come back. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back talking the Legion's abilities for the Legions of Nagash. Yes. Now, this will be a really short segment because there's not a lot of rules here to cover. Boo nanas, brother. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's only six sets of the Legion's abilities. We got this. Only six. Oh, yeah. Well, heck. I mean, it's not like we can't go. go. <laughs> this show got stamina. We got all, you know, we'll get it done. Um. Okay, so there's six uh, allegiance abilities, but there's four that that you kind of group together. I mean, you know, there's uh, the Grand Host of Nagash, Legion of Sacrament, Legion of Blood, Legion of Night. And we've kind of talked about this already. It's Manfred's, Neferata's, and Archon's uh, uh, thing. Individual legions, and then Nagash's right. personal. Right. And um, now... 
uh, what was I going to ask? There was something about this. I was actually confused in the beginning because, and part of it is I got, I'm on this this uh, WhatsApp group for for this, and you know people are asking all these questions, and I, and I was kind of getting confused as to how things work. Like if you you know like if if you could take things and put them into almost any of these grand hosts, and and, and you kind of can. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is cool. You can just you can take the different uh, the different battalions and stuff. Um, now, the one question that I had, and I'll get to it later, is when we come up to the different uh, actual uh, the big war scroll battalions. You know, can they overlap into different things? Which is weird. Why you would want to? But I suppose you could mix them if you wanted to get crazy. Yeah, the biggest contention piece is the Mortarks themselves. Right. So that's Neferata, Archon, and Manfred. And we can kind of clear that up now. If you're going to be taking one of their specific legions, so that's Blood, Knight, or Sacrament, then you need the Mortark of that respective legion before you can take another Mortark. Right. They don't have to be in it because you could just have a Vampire Lord or whoever be your general. Right. But if you take a Mortark... They have to be in it. So if yeah, you, it has to be the first one in. So if you want to put Manfred into Sacrament, which is Archon's, then you got to take Manfred and Archon because you can't have one without the other. And Archon would have to be the general. Yes, he would have to be the general. So so okay. Uh, do we want to start with kind of like the common traits to these guys? That's probably the easiest place to start. Sure. I just wanted to uh, flesh out just a little bit uh, of the rules for the uh, for the allegiances just a little bit more just because there's i mean it's small it'll take a second but the unit rules um if you want to be grand host of of nagash uh anything in the anything in this battle tome can be in grand host of nagash if nagash is included he's your general in the grand host and it makes sense because when wouldn't he be your general Correct. Um, then for sacrament knight and and blood as we said if you take a mortark you have to have; they have to be one of them for their particular uh, legion. Um, the only other rule for units is you can't take Nagash in the Legion of Sacrament, Blood, or Night. Mm-hmm. So if you take, basically, if you take Nagash, you're either taking a Grand Alliance Death or the Grand Host of Nagash because he can't be in the other ones. Correct. So that's yeah, that's just uh, making sure it's all clear there. So okay. Uh, commonalities. Yep. Um, anything with the units has to come from this book. Right. So you can't take a mort or a, a Morngul in a grand host oh, or boy. a legion because it's not in this book. Right. So you, that's that's still with the uh, Grand Alliance death. If you want to take a Morngul. death or night haunt or night haunt, yes. I have a so, Mongol somewhere. He's in, still in the box, though. I got him at like Gen Con like a year or two ago. I never wound sure. up building him because I never rebased my army. Now I don't really need to. Yeah. So I mean, he's still a cool piece, um, but he's going to fit better with the Soul Blood with the uh, Night Hunt anyway. That's just where he kind of lives. But Agreed. If you want to take him, Grand Alliance Death or Night Hunt. So with these Grand Hosts, then the Legions. They get additional spells from the Lords of the Dead, which we will get to at the end of these four allegiance abilities. So additional wizards get additional spells. So for the Grand Host of Nagash, uh, if Nagash is in the army, you have to take 
an additional three spells from the lore of the dead on him. Yeah, so, which is awesome. Yeah, he knows three more spells. Yeah, everyone else knows one more, but yeah, of course, and of course he, he knows. Does. Of course he does. But then he knows all the spells of all the other death wizards, so his book just gets substantially bigger. Yeah, his spell we'll, list is just stupid. Yeah, and we'll get to that when we talk about his particular war scroll. Um, so the unique battle trait to all of these grand hosts in the legions is the unquiet dead. Now, this is a new mechanic, and it's kind of weird. You get essentially like four gravesite markers. Now, these are not terrain features. These are not line of sight blocking. They're just markers. Yeah, it literally says you could move them if you need to. Yeah. So, essentially what you can do is you place up to two points in your territory and up to two of them anywhere else on the battlefield to be gravesites. And... Instead of setting up a summonable unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say that it is in the grave. So, essentially, a lot of these new unit, a lot of the units in this book got a new keyword, which is summonable. Summonable. <laughs> Summonable. Um, so, what that means is they will be affected later by one of the additional abilities of the grave sites, and then you can place them in the grave and essentially ambush them out of these grave sites. Because at the end of each of your movement phases, you can have a death hero within nine inches of a gravesite, pick a single unit that you held off to the side, and set it up wholly within nine inches of the gravesite and more than nine inches away from enemy models. And if it's still in the ground when the game is over, it's considered dead. Right. So you have to be careful about where you place these gravesites. Because if your opponent can kind of block them off from summoning stuff out by being within nine inches of it, you're going to have to find a new place to deploy your troops. Yeah, so that's the one problem is that if they if they have enough units where they can get close to it, um, basically if they can get right onto the summoning point, you're there. You're out of luck. Yeah, because you so, can't be within nine inches of that and away from nine inches of them. Yep, so you got to be careful. The next trick they get is Invigorating Aura. So off of the grave sites, at the start of your hero phase, you get to pick a friendly summonable unit within 9 inches of the grave site and just heal D3 wounds to the unit or restore D3 models if no wounds have been allocated to the unit. So right. basically, you just get to put guys back for free, which is great. And you get to do this actually quite a bit through this book, which is kind of a neat thing as I'm looking at it going, wow. Mm -hmm. um, so then the next thing that they all get is the Deathless Minions. So we've had this before. So if you're anytime that you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly death unit within six inches of a death hero, you roll a dice and on a six plus it's ignored. So they still get the resilience. And then... All of the generals in these Grand Hosts and Legions get an additional ability called Endless Legions. This is a command ability. So if your general uses it, you get to pick a grave site within nine inches and then pick a friendly summonable unit that has been destroyed and set it up again, wholly within nine inches of that grave site and more than nine inches away from enemy models. So you do have to pay for it to set it up again but you still have an extra trick to pull units back. 
Yeah, exactly. Now, here's my question. If you put something off to the... No, you couldn't do that. You can't put them off to the side as summonable and then summon something else because those points have already been paid for once you set them up Correct. as off to the side. So you'd have to set aside a, a bank for them. Yeah. No, you can still... Um, where did it go? So, I mean, you don't have, like, the summon per se by spells anymore, but you do have the summon by these effects. So, right. your summon pool is not as you don't have to easy waste spells as it used it. to be. Right. And that's, which means it can't be unbound. That's which true. Which is the biggest linchpin with summoning is that you could just stop it with a couple of dice. Right. Now you can't. You have to block off these grave markers. Right. And I mean, I, I like that they're doing this. I like when they did it with Nurgle. I like that they're doing it here. Too often you get a couple of wizards in your army and they each get one spell. And if you want to summon, you're either giving up their casting in order to summon stuff or you're not getting to summon or you're, like you said, you're trying and, and it's getting shut down. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you can just that they've made it a separate mechanic. Summoning has become a separate mechanic from the rest of your magic, at least in the last right. two books. And I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it makes it actually a part of the game again uh-huh. instead of was committing there, so much. Am I am I imagining things, or was there something in this book that allowed you to summon, and you it, it said, like, like, specifically you don't have to pay summoning costs to put that back on the table or something like the that. The Von Karstein ring? Or the Ring of Immortality was one of those that, uh, with your generals in the Grand Allegiance death. Uh-huh. So, if you kill that character, they roll a dice on a three-up. They're not slain, and you don't have to pay the points for it. Oh, you know what? I think, I'm, I'm thinking of something else. It might have been in Malign Portents. Yeah, it might have been, too. That was it. That, okay, yeah, that was it. There was some weird thing where it's like, if you summon it, you don't have to pay points for it. It's some... That was something different. I think that was if you're playing with the playing the rules for Shyish and you know so many things yeah. you get. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, I'm confused in my books. They're so similar and they came out on the same day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sorry about that. Um, it's all good. Now that's all the common things that they have between all four of the new allegiances, right? Mm-hmm. Now um, they all have. Um, an extra, like, just allegiance-specific rule, too. Yes. Um, now, they, actually, they have two of them each. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I particularly, my favorite so far from what I've looked through the book is the Grand Host one. Um, you get the simple one called Chosen Guardians, plus one of the attack characteristics of all melee weapons Used by Grand Host of Nagash Morgast units. So plus one attack for all their weapons for the Morgasts. That's okay. Nothing, I mean, it's. I'm, I'm not, you know, doing backflips, but that's pretty good. Um, what I like is Legion's Innumerable. Yeah, this one's a big one. Yeah. Uh, roll a die for every Grand Host of Nagash summonable unit on the battlefield. On a five up, you get D3 wounds back. So you can heal up to D3 wounds, or you can put back, if it's a one wound, if the wound characteristic is, is one, you can return D3 slain models. So, yep. you, you know, if you don't get a lot of fives and sixes, if you don't get it, then you're out of luck, but there's, you could have quite a few summonable units on the table. 
Yeah, and they're very, very cheap. And they do die in droves, but then they come back just as quickly. Which, when we get to the War Scrolls, there's an extra ability on top of the Grave Sites, on top of Legion's Innumerable. Yeah, I mean, so, we've already, yeah, we got the Grave Site, we got the Legion's Innumerable, and it's, it's, it's gonna just keep coming, and uh, that's kind of exciting. Which is what they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I always played it. I, I'm being honest, I love it, because when I was playing Vampire Counts, that was my army. You know, it's like, if I got off a couple of good magic phases and could keep summoning, I was, I was gonna, at the very worst, draw mm-hmm. because that's you know i had the just the never-ending parade of undead coming at you um and now i'm reading this getting i'm so excited like i gotta rebase some of my stuff and maybe start getting this playable and on the table because this is exactly what i loved about this army and they made it just a core mechanic i'm like oh i like it yep so in addition they also get their own set of command traits and artifacts, because why wouldn't they? Yes. Um, and I don't think we should be covering all of them. No, because that's a dozen per, and I'm not doing yeah. six dozen of these things. Cause, and, and so many of them are so similar. You can look them up. You know, um, I do like a couple of things. Uh, I know in the Grand Host of Nagash, he's got uh, bonuses for death rattle and Morgast units, like reroll failed charge rolls for those. Or plus one attack for melee weapons by friendly death rattle units within six inches of your general, which isn't a huge range unless you're running with Nagash and he's got a bunch of different skeleton units and all those other things around him. But um, he can't take this. Oh, that, that's right. He can't take a command trait because he's Nagash. But you, yeah. could, you could still give this to someone else. And Yeah, you could do this to a vampire or what I think is probably the best general besides Nagash for Grand Host of Nagash uh-huh. is a White King. Okay. Any particular reason you favor the White King? So we've got Ancient Strategist, which affects Death Rattle stuff, and the Morgas. Right. You've got Lord of Nagash's R, which affects Death Rattle stuff. Okay. And then you have an artifact, which we'll cover later, which affects Death Rattle. So your whole thing is keyed on Death Rattle, and then the White King has a command ability that affects Death Rattle. Pick a friendly death rally within 18 inches until your next arrow, uh, one attack characteristic. Man, a big horde of skeletons. Already. Graveguard. How many Graveguard can you take total? Enough. Oh, that's right. So they already start off with two attacks. So they get up to four each? Up to four each. Oh, threes by fours, one rend, one damage. That's pretty good. And then you have the Mortal Wound Bubble. And they're they're nice. And I think, oh, look at that. Um, if you take the Grand House and the Gash Allegiance, Graveguard are battle line. Oh, Mama Lucia. I need more yeah. Graveguard now. I have 40. And that's I enough. I have 40, and I have a box that I've never busted open with the, with, the, with the 50 when I was doing the hordes, and I wanted to get that extra rank, and I never built it. Mm-hmm. That's That's good. Four attacks apiece from those guys. I was thinking the skeletons with one attack, and they get two extra if you've got 30 or more models, so they could have up to five attacks apiece. Yeah. So you have a lot of good options, and I think the White King is a really good option for Granos and Nagash because there's so much in here that wants the death rattle. Uh-huh. I have to may have to pull out my Krell and get him painted up proper. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, the other command trait I want to talk about is Master of Death, 
Okay. Which is you get to reroll results of one for friendly units affected by the deathly invocation ability within 12 inches of the general. So you're going to be trying to get those rerolls, and that's the result. So if you roll a one or a two on a D3, you get to reroll that because the result is one. Oh, right, right. And the so, deathly invocation is the thing that all the different characters have that we're going to get to. Yes. Which is so basically you, the the D3 healing, except they get to pick multiple units. Oh, God, this is going to be good. Yeah. So those are the big standouts for the command traits. Uh, what about the artifacts? What do you think? Um, I was looking at them. I like the Terrorgeist mantle. It's not bad to be able to get to do that. And I kind of like the Gravesand Time Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, Gravesand Time Glass... Uh, while the bear is on the battlefield, once per battle in your hero phase, you can pick an enemy hero, any enemy hero on the battlefield. So there is no range on this. They take D3 mortals, and at the start of each of your subsequent hero phases, roll a die on a four up. They take another mortal wound. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, you use this your first turn. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of like that. You know, hey, you got your little five wound guy there. I got a D3 shot at him, and then every turn afterwards, I got a 50-50 shot of plucking him, even if he's way across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that uh, quite a bit. You got any that stand out for you? The other one that I was looking at was the Ossific Diadem. So this one, you get to roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly death rattle unit within 12 inches of the bearer, and on a six-up, it's ignored. So does that go on top of the deathless yeah. minions? So, so they got a crummy save, six up, six up. So they got two six up saves for any type of wound, mortal or regular. For death rattle. For death rattle, yeah. So that's graveguard. That's black knights. That's skeletons. So you have a lot of extra layers built into their defenses. Yeah, and that well, that, and that's good because let's be honest, you know, skeletons have a six up. They've got crummy. Uh, Graveguard mm-hmm. are five up. Black Knights five up. Um, of course, now the White King having that with the three up ain't bad. No. Um, I'm just. Oh yeah, so you got the White King with the black axe and the White King with the tomb blade. Oh, this is just all sorts of neat stuff going on here. Yeah. There's some good stuff. Yeah. See, and and and. The thing that's cool with the artifacts that they're giving you right now is you have so many options just of yes, how to build your army. One, yeah, and not one of them is a definitive standout. Well, like, I mean, if you build your army a certain way, it, it is a bit of a standout. But yeah, it's not that for every single – it's not like uh, – it's it's what what is that thing that we have with the Stormcast, the dumb Staunch thing? Defender. That's it. I always forget the name. It's the only one that we take. Because, because it's the best. Because it is the best. Yeah. This, you have multiple options, and we're seeing that with, uh, we saw that with Nurgle. There was a lot of good options, depending on how you built your army. Now with Nagash, it continues. So we're starting to see good multiple choices. I gotta say, they're, they're really kind of outdoing themselves. The writing team that's putting these rules together have really managed to stay away from the, um, uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to pick on them, but it's sort of the Zinch effect, where it's like, I'm just taking this thing because it's awesome, and everything else sucks compared to it. We haven't seen that in the last couple books, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping we're not going to see it in the Daughters of Cain book either. That there's not going to that it's 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 still going to, you know, give you these options where you're you're going to. I just 
I want to be able to go up and play against people and if if you wind up playing the same army a couple of times, I don't want to be playing the same army a couple of times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be seventh and eighth ed dark elves. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's a hydra and a couple of bolt throwers and the, and the big unit of that, and it's like the exact same thing in every army. And with this, it really it's like, well, how do you want to play it? Well, I like mm-hmm. this. Do it then. Yeah, and there's multiple ways to play in each legion. Yeah. So, but um, so far, like I said, and, and unless unless suddenly I missed a lot, and you're going to start pointing all the cool things out, I still the grand host of Nagash is the one that stands out to me. This is the one that I like, I think, the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it doesn't hurt that I've got. Um, well, I haven't actually ever built him, but I think I might have to build Nagash. I may have to have one. <laughs> I think I have to have one. Never played with him before, but I may have to. So, all right, shall we move on to the Mortark uh, allegiances? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I guess we'll just go in order. We got Sacrament. So this is Archon's Legion. Yep. Uh, same thing, like we said as before. One extra spell, Lord of the Dead. They've got the Unquiet Dead, so they've got the Grave Sites. They've got the Six Up Deathless Minions. And they've got the Endless Legion's command ability. So that's all the same. Where do they mm-hmm. go different on the uh, on their battle traits? So the first one, this is the one you're going to see the most commonly, which is the Black Disciples. So this is Archon's inner circle. A friendly Legion of Sacrament Wizards may add one to their casting rolls, which is always nice to get these high-value spells off that we're going to talk about later. Right. And then the second one is the Master's Teachings. So whenever an enemy unit is destroyed... Before removing the last model, you may pick one of your grave sites within six inches of that model. Roll a dice, then remove the model, and on a four plus, you can pick a friendly, summonable unit that has been destroyed and set it up again, wholly within nine of the grave site and more than nine from enemy models. Again, you still have to pay the points for it, but it gives that nifty trick of, okay, the unit just got butchered, so we're going to raise them back right away. That's so basically what's happening. Words. I mean, that's right. that's that's the 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 fluff behind it is that unit that I just wiped out is what's coming back mm-hmm. as a bunch of skeletons or whatever. I kind of like that. Now, um, if your opponent, now, I mean, as, if it's not within six inches of a gravesite, they can't. You can't do it, right? Yeah. So if your opponent kind of knows what's going on, he's mm-hmm. pulling models to make sure. Unless the unless he can't, unless the unit's just too close. Right. But, um, but this is one of those that if he goes in to try to shut down the grave site, you can catch him in something. Yeah, if he camps on it, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Especially if I've already set them aside to be summonable. If I can wipe this out, they just pop up. So it's a neat trick. You're not going to see a whole heck of a lot of it, I don't think. But it is an option to play for. Sure. Now, question. Go. Um, do you... Put aside points to summon units often. Like, I just... I don't play an army that summons. Oh, well, that's true. They don't. But when I've tried these out, I generally didn't. Yeah. Because uh, if I'm going to dig something, I'm going to use the gravesite to dig out. Or I'll just put it on the table and just deal with it. Right, and like I said, I mean, I've played against people. The one I see most commonly having stuff to summon, like like is like when I played against Trunzo at uh, Paca, you mm-hmm. know, a few skinks 
or yeah. or and, and it's stuff that's so cheap that you're only putting 120 130 points aside you know yeah it's for especially for like seraphon and zinch i think are the big ones for summoning so or anybody that wants to take a bail in vortex so right you have some options but you don't want to invest too much in it because again, especially with Zinch and Seraphon, where it requires you to cast and actually hit the number, this doesn't anymore. So it takes that barrier away. Yeah. So at least you know that's going to get out there. That's yeah, that's the one nice thing. But I'm just, I don't see myself doing a ton of summoning. No. Uh, so much as putting a lot of guys on the board and just keep growing them back. Right. And I think that's where the strength of this army is. Yeah. But it gives you that thematic element that was always there with Undead. So, Okay. All right. So then onto the command traits. Is there anything you see in here? Um, uh, I have to look up. I mean, I don't – okay, I got to look up Bound of the Master. That's the one thing I keep forgetting what it means. That one's a big one. Yeah, and I, I remember liking it, and then I'm like, wait, what does that mean? So yeah. this says... Uh... So this is Archon the Black's first of the Mortarch's command ability mm-hmm. that this general now gets access to. So the general that I would take with this, if it wasn't Archon, would be a Necromancer. Okay, and first of the Mortarchs, uh, if you use this ability until the end of the hero phase, all friendly death wizards with an 18 increase the range of their spells by 6 inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, yeah, that is good. Um, yeah. Peerless Commander is not bad either. Nope. Uh, the only problem is that you're limited to your general, but he can summon from a gravesite within a foot instead of just nine inches. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. The other one that I like is Mastery of Death. Mm-hmm. So this one at the start of your hero phrase, all friendly death units within six inches of the general immediately get a three-inch move, but you can't run. As a part of that move. Cool. So you get an extra little bump because your your army, and then when we get to it, it's slow. It's mostly movement four. Right. So having an extra little bit of movement to get up the table is a big deal. Yep. Um, I I would I like dark acolyte a little bit um, if you're playing someone who isn't a wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, because it basically makes him a wizard. And you get the Arcane Boat, Mystic Shield, and the Lore of the Dead spells. So if you want to take someone who's a little choppy and doesn't have spells, although so many of your guys have spells, that it just seems... If they are a wizard, they get an additional spell. But I'm just like, Ooh, one spell isn't all that impressive with all the other junk that you can get here. Yeah, if you were a White King or something like that where he doesn't have a spell, mm-hmm. you've suddenly made him a wizard, which is cool too. Indeed. Um, now, a lot of the stuff in the artifacts, you know, it's like, a, you know, two of them are once per battle. Um, and then, uh, subtracting from, you know, people hitting you and stuff like that or wounding you. Um, what, which one of these jumps out at you? Okay. I've got a few. Um, now, the big thing to understand is that Archon's Legion thematically is led by necromancers. Right. And necromancers are squishy. So then you go so, with the wristband of black gold. The wristband is a big one. So that one is anytime you take a wound or mortal wound in the shooting phase for that bearer, 
You roll a dice, and on a four plus, it's negated, which is good. And then you've got the Shroud of Darkness, which is you subtract one from the hit rolls of all attacks that target the bearer in the shooting phase if the unit's within eight inches of them. So if they're close, it's minus one. The second that it's more than eight inches away, it's minus two. So it punks things like Skyfires or Vanguard Raptors, things of the long range that can pick your characters very quickly. Or Overlords. Or Overlords, yeah. Yeah. So they're there to protect your very, very squishy wizards, which is what they should be playing to. Anyway, so these guys are more thematic in that regard. Right. Uh, and then the happy one, and I love this one just even by some of the description of it, is the Azir Bane Standard. So this banner is woven from the skin of a Sigmarite battle wizard and deconsecrated with the blood of the God King's faithful. So this is the middle finger directly at Sigmar, which is amazing. <laughs> um, and the first ability it gets is you subtract one from wound rolls for enemy units within six inches of the bearer, which is a small bubble, but is still very effective. And then in addition, you get to real successful casting rolls for order wizards within six inches of him because they're obviously afraid that they're going to get turned into the next banner. <laughs> so I like that one just from a pure background perspective, but yeah, that, uh, that, that really plays to what we've talked about in the whole beginning of the show. And of course, Archon is going to do exactly what Nagash does, which is skin people and use them. And just all other sorts of horrendous violations of the of the human body. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. All right. Um, I, I, I like. I mean, I don't know. I I don't. There's so much here. Like I I can't even figure out which of these I would really want. I think, like I said, I keep falling back to the grand. The grand host of Nagash, but um, yeah, in comparison, Arch- Sacrament and Nagash, I would personally go with Nagash. But when we get to the other two, they're a little more. It's a little more tossy. Depending on your play style, I think exactly is really how all of this breaks down. Because you mm-hmm. can really play Sacrament, though, if that's how you want to. If that's your play style, that that'll work really well for you. Yeah. And the biggest advantage to these particular allegiance abilities is that they use the same models for four to six sets of different allegiance abilities. So you can keep trying new things using the same models. And they play differently when you use the new allegiance ability. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to go out and get a whole new army. You could literally just shuffle around a couple of support units mm-hmm. and and keep going with it. Yep. All right, uh, Legion of Blood, Neferata's group. Uh, same magic, same battle traits, same command ability. The two that come out different on her, uh, minus one bravery for enemy units within six inches of any friendly Legion of Blood units. So basically all your units have a six-inch uh, fear bubble, basically. Yeah. Oh, or immortal majesty, so you you know you can't stand up to it. But minus one to bravery, and then plus one to the attack characteristics on all melee weapons for Legion of Blood Vampire Lords and Blood Knights. So if you're taking Blood Knights or you have any Vampire Lords, they get plus one attack. And that's a big deal. 
Yeah, actually, because they're they're lethal. Yeah, every extra the, attack is hardcore. Yeah, especially given those units, the Blood Knights do a ton of attacks, and then God forbid you let them get the charge off. It's they do a lot of work, and the Immortal Majesty. It on paper it sounds meh until you combine it with the unit standards from all of the death units, which is an additional. If you're within six inches of a banner from a death unit, you're minus one bravery. So now, across the table, you're minus two bravery. Right, because all the different banners don't stack. If you're within six inches of any banner, it's just total one, minus one. Okay, so. But this is one of those that inspiring presence can only be in one place. Right. And that's, you know, I kind of like, now that you're mentioning I kind of like that because I remember, you know, especially like if I played against. Every time I play against Seraphon, everything's leadership 10. Mm-hmm. This helps crack that nut. Uh, that's what I like to hear. Cracking nuts. Here we go. Um, Did we suddenly go to getting nuts real quick? <laughs> I'm so glad that you caught that. Yeah. That's the best podcast ever. Probably because I don't know. each podcast is literally one minute long. Yeah. So they could put one out every day, and you'd never run out of time to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh. I did have pistachios earlier today, but that's besides the point. All right, so command traits for the Legion of Blood. Yes, yes. What do you think? Um, I think uh, Walking Death might be pretty cool. Yep, that's one of mine. Uh, if the hit roll for an attack made with one of this general's melee weapons is a 6+, plus, don't roll the wound. They just suffer mortal wounds equal to the damage characteristic. So a 6 or more to hit, much like my retributors. Uh, except this just goes to the damage characteristic. Yep. So when you have damage D3 on a vampire lord, it's D3 mortal wounds. Yeah. You know, uh... You know, even if it's even if it's uh, just a just a two damage, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. You know, anything over damage one, and you I mean heck, I'll take the one mortal wound automatically rather than the roll into wound. But yeah. if, if I can get a, a two or a D three in there, shh, yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this particular legion, this is very vampire focused because it obviously it wants. The soul blight stuff. So, for this, the command traits are going to focus on that main character. So, a lot of these are if your general does something, it doesn't do a lot to help the army, but it's on what the general does specifically because vampires are selfish and, you know, greedy individuals. Yeah. The only other thing that affects your army in general is aristocracy of blood. So, this lets you reroll failed charge rolls. For friendly soul blight units within nine inches of the general. So that's obviously soul blight characters, Vargais, and Blood Knights. Right. So that's pretty good. Um, the other two I like in here are Aura of Dark Majesty. So you subtract one from the hit rolls of attacks that target the general in the combat phase. So it lets them go into things and be there with a little bit more of safety. Um, and then Swift Strikes. So this one, each time you roll a hit roll of six or more, 
In the combat phase for the general, you get to make one additional hit roll for the same weapon against the same target. So it's more potential for output. Or walking death, obviously, you just do the mortal wounds. Right. It's all pretty good. I mean, once again, it's you got. It's, there's so much here. Like, I feel overwhelmed. Like, I feel like I can't tell, you know, what's going to be great and what's not. Like, okay, that's all good. How does it mix up with its units and stuff like that? And there's just so much. Yeah. And if I'm looking at these command traits, my first instinct is a vampire lord on a zombie dragon. If it's not Neferata. Okay, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because that that will make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will act that that suddenly makes these a little bit better. I wasn't even thinking about that. Uh, lots of artifacts. Lots yeah, of artifacts with a long set of rules too. Yeah, there's a couple in here that are a little iffy. Yeah, and uh, it's a lot of ones for battle things again. You got at least two of those. Um. The Oubliette Arcana is kind of interesting. Yeah, this one's nice. Um, except it's now six plus. Okay, so with this enemy wizard successfully casts a spell within 30 inches. Instead of unbinding it, can you unbind it 30 inches? I thought you no. could be within 18. But here, mm-hmm. if they cast a spell within 30 inches, instead of attempting to unbind it, declare that the Oubliette Arcana will attempt to capture the magical energies. Roll a die, and on a six-up, not only does the spell negate it, but they can't cast that spell. That wizard can't cast that spell for the rest of the game. So yeah. it's, it's a small chance to get it, but if you get it, they can't. they don't get that spell anymore. Yeah, on that wizard. Yeah. So what that allows you to do is then to focus on the other characters that have it. Because if you're playing in Seraphon and you take Mystic Shield off the frog, he suddenly has to look for the skinks that he may or may not have, and it makes them much more viable, much more important targets. Right. But still, a free chance to stop a spell from ever coming back yeah. on a, that particular wizard. Exactly. Pretty good. Exactly. Which ones did you really like? Uh, so I've got two on here. The Shade Glass Decanter is one of them. So after you set up, but before the first battle round, you select an enemy hero. And in your hero phase, as long as that hero is on the battlefield, roll a dice. And if the result of that, and if the result of the die roll is higher than the number of the current battle round, that hero suffers a mortal wound. So it's not as good as the chains in... Grand host, but it's still another option to get around tough characters mm-hmm. to do a couple of mortal wounds. And then the soulbound garments, which is pretty simple. It's you reroll save rolls of one for the bearer. Yeah. Which is nothing to sneeze at. No, no. That one that one stands out, actually. Well, I just get to reroll my ones. Okay. I'm yeah, we're good with that. I know how good that is. Yeah, especially for some generals that are like a three-up save, and then you put a Mystic Shield on them, so now a two-up reroll ones. Yes, it's pretty yes. good. Love it, actually. Love it. I learned to love that with my uh, Liberators. It's it's a good a good thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's jump Legion of Night really quick before we take a break. Um, 
Okay, Legion of Night. There's Manfred's unit once again. One extra spell from Lord of the Dead. Unquiet Dead. Deathless Minions. All of that. Um, his two specialties are the bait. Plus one to save rolls for friendly Legion of Night death rattle units wholly within your territory. Mm-hmm. So if they're still in your territory, you get uh, plus one to save, which ain't bad at all. Nope. And then also Ageless Cunning. Instead of setting up a Legion of Night unit on the battlefield, you could put it to one side and say it's set up an ambush. You can do this with up to three units. At the end of any movement phase, you can set them up wholly within six inches of any battlefield edge more than nine inches away from enemy models. Um, I like this if for no other reason than it, you don't have to worry about um, you don't have to worry about people blocking your grave, sti- grave sites. Yeah, and you do have to watch the edges yes. of the battlefield, and then they can't be targeted. Um, and then the big thing is this does not have to be a summonable unit, right? Just any unit More from guess? the alliance. Oh, wow, that is, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, this is what Manfred is supposed to do. He's supposed to be the terror driver, and then he's also, like, the best battlefield general, and he is Trixie. He is Trixie. This plays to what Manfred is. Yes. But being able to ambush on a unit of Morgas, which charged 3d6, is amazing. Mm -hmm. Or if you ambush Blood Knights... So, like, any of your heavy hitters can suddenly get across the table much quicker, and they're in the grill turn one. So it does give you an alpha strike ability without being, like, full-on abusive alpha strike. Right, and because it can be anything, you don't have to... It's not like the summonables that you can put aside to come out of the gravestone. This is anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, they can't get blocked. You know, nine inches... It seems to me like that's a pretty decent sized bubble like the enemy would your enemy would have to get right on top of the center of it for you to not be able to put down a small unit here or there not granted yeah, huge the markers. Unit. yeah i mean i guess people can block it but i'm wondering if like i'm over worrying about these gravestones being being completely blocked by my opponent now granted you could have a tiny unit and they could put it right dead center and then they got it you know mm-hmm. um, but a tiny unit's going to get attacked and stuff like that i just I keep I keep hearing people being concerned about the grave sites and how you know they're going to cover them up and then we're going to be completely messed up. And I start thinking like um, I almost wonder if that's like a worry you don't have to have. Like when you were a little kid, well, when I was a little kid, you'd watch all those old westerns and TV shows and stuff like that. And you're like, you know, you're so worried about quicksand being a thing in your life. I hope I never run into quicksand because everybody on these TV shows runs into it like every other week. Uh, yeah, I never run. That's forty six years old. I've never run into quicksand. Like I'm just wondering if I'm over worrying about something that's not going to be that big of a deal. And it's one of those things that, in order to use the grave sites to the maximum degree, you have to put a unit in the ground, and then you have to get a character within range to pull it out of the ground, and then you have to get them in that bubble. So it's not going to be something you're going to use all the time, but. You maybe use it once, and then all you do is let them reinvigorate and reanimate your troops. Exactly. Because the 9-inch block only happens for pulling units out of the ground, not fixing them. Right. So it's not as bad. You just have to be careful with your marker placement. Right. And if you've only got one or two guys, one or two units, then, you know, 
you, you got to be able to keep at least one of those grave markers open. Like if you know that yeah. that's on you, you know. So there have especially since two of them are going to be in your territory, right? You can control it a little more. Exactly. So uh, let's see. Command traits. Uh, there's a couple in here that I really liked. Uh, the big one of those is actually I really didn't have a lot that I liked. Um, above suspicion, so you can set up the general in ambush with the Aegis Cunning <laughs> Battle trait. This is where you can keep your big character off the table. This is where he's not getting shot. Yep. And then he can come in on any edge. Yeah. And what the big thing is, it's the end of the movement phase, not end of your first movement phase. So you get to control a little more when you come on. Uh-huh. So you get behind them. Exactly. That could be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like Unholy Impetus. If the general slays any models in the combat phase, pick a friendly legionite unit within three inches, plus one of the attack characteristics. Oh, that's just until the end of the phase. Yeah, but with the right unit, that's a lot of attacks. Yeah, especially if they're already getting a couple of bonus attacks. Mm -hmm. That could be good. I kind of like that. And then uh, I'm looking at the artifacts. It's still a bunch of once per battles and protection during shooting. Protection during shooting actually winds up being a pretty good one, um, especially for these characters because you know they're going to get sniped. Yeah, and they're such an important piece to the army that you need to keep them alive. Right. Um, if you need to make sure you're getting your casting off, Morberg's Mo- Claw seems like mm-hmm. it's not too bad, um, especially like you said, if you're you know squishy. Necromancers, you just, hey, I'm not going to attack or charge or anything. I'm just going to draw some runes on the ground here and get plus two to cast for me. And friendly legion of night wizards within 12 inches. So it's like, oof, okay. Yeah, and that plays to the ageless cunning. So you're going to be sitting in the back a little bit with your skeletons, chilling, getting your bubble saves going. So this, you can't move if you draw with a claw. Right. But you're going to be standing there waiting for the impact, and then the Ageless Cunning comes in and you get flanked. <laughs> so it plays to the thematic part of the army. Exactly. So. Uh, yeah, this one I kind of like, too. Uh, I yeah. don't know. I, it, there's so much here. There's just so much. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here and say, you know, I like this. Or, I like all of it. You know, it's, it's all pretty cool. It depends on how it's going to play out. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So should we take a break? We've been going for like 45 minutes here. Why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll do the lores and the other two. Uh, the other two. Uh, yeah, and we won't be spending ahead. a lot of time on Soulblight no, or They're pretty much, death. they're almost exactly the same. Not quite, but <laughs> close to. So, All right, so we'll do that, and then we'll be back. I said my prayers and went to bed. That's the last they saw of me, don't I 
was grinning at my window. All I said was, come on in, but don't murder me. I beg you, you don't murder me. Please don't murder me. The wolf came in, I got And we're back! I did the ghost, I did the ghosty voice there, you know? No, that's like the bad Dracula. Yeah, the Blah. one. Yeah, Count Floyd. So bad. <laughs> it's Count Floyd. Blah. All right. If you had done like Dracula Dead and Loving It, I probably would have been more on board with you. Oh, no. Come on. You got to go with Count Floyd. No, I'd rather do Liam Neeson. <laughs> or Leslie. Leslie Nielsen. Oh, Liam Neeson's okay, too. Liam yeah, Neeson would be a scary vampire. Dracula. He would be a scary vampire. I will hunt you down at night. I will find you. Yeah, that's actually fairly terrifying. Great job, Alex. <laughs> I just made a new movie. Give me the money. Good okay. job. Yeah. So, all right. So, we get two new lores. Uh, Death Mage wizards uh, have to take from the lore of Death Mages. Vampire wizards have to take from the lore of vampires. Death Lords can take either. Um, what's important here is not necessarily the lures. They're okay. Uh, in fact, I was reading them today and kind of going over and prepping for the show going, I'm not all that impressed. And then I co- totally, while I'm reading it, I, I completely ignored <laughs> the little box on the top here. The little box out that looks like background? Yeah. But he's not? No. The locusts of Shyish. So if I'm rolling up a spell from one of these two lores, and I'm casting it, and I roll a natural, non-modified, folks, natural, nine or better, I get to do it twice. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. That's such it a is. cool mechanic. That's such a great... This is just a, another great idea. To give this army flavor. Listen, I'm calling back the dead. The dark, the winds of death magic are flying all over the place. And if I cast really well, I'm going to get a lot of death magic rolling through here. Um, Just listen to some of these spells and then think about, oh, what if I get to do that on two units or get to do that twice? Because it's really good. Yeah. The spells on their own don't sound all that great until you think about the double tap. And it makes a substantial difference in effectiveness. And here's the thing. Um, they throw an example over there, which is uh, Overwhelming Dread, the first spell in the Lord of Death Mages. So let's just go and do the spell, okay? We'll do the Lord of Death Mages first because it's listed first in the book. Uh, casting value of five. If cast, pick an enemy within 18 inches of the caster that's visible to them. Until your next hero phase, subtract one from hit rolls for that unit and subtract one from their bravery. I can actually, because I rolled a 9 or 10, I can cast it, and as soon as I resolve the effect, I can resolve it a second time. I am absolutely allowed to pick the same unit twice. Mm -hmm. So it could be minus 2 to hit and minus 2 bravery if I decide to cast it on the same unit because that is allowed. Mm -hmm. So you can either spread it out. I mean, if they're crummy at hitting already, you can just spread it out between two. Uh, but if they're not, you can make them crummy. <laughs> yeah. 
And when you combine this, like the bravery modifier with the Legion of Blood bravery modifier with the banner bravery modifier, so this actually gives you an army that cares about bravery. So wait a minute. If I get to double down on this, that's two. And then the yep. the Legion ability, there's at least one there, right? Yeah. And then the banner, so I could... Hit you for minus four. So like the Stormcast, which are pretty good and hard to kill, and you got to kill a couple of them because they're leadership six. Now they're leadership two. And again, Inspiring Presence can only be in one spot. Oh, Mama Lucia. And even, like, even if you don't, even if, like, the LCO Lord's Lesson on Dracus pops his command ability, so you're immune to inspiring, you're immune to Battleshock, that's great. I have Banshees. <laughs> that also care about your bravery. <laughs> or Terror Banshees and Terror Geist with your minus four bravery. Oh, oh, I, oh. Well, I have, like, three Terror Geists because I've got all those ones from, uh, that I got from from uh, Tomlin when I won his army. Yeah. I had so one, can, and he got me two more. Yeah. I'm going to have to So even just this one spell and one Legion ability, you can tack on so many different ways to play and see the different synergies just by one little ability. That's great. <laughs> you want to take the next spell? Sure. This one's another favorite of mine. This one's Fading, Fading Vigor. Cast value 6. If it goes off, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches. That is visible, obviously. And until the start of your next hero phase, subtract 1 from the attacks characteristic of that unit's melee weapons. And, to top it off, they only roll a single die when making charge rolls. So, it drastically shrinks their movement for getting into combat. If you're already in combat, they are now substantially less attacks. And then... Double tap your minus two. So paladins are now one attack each. Blood knights, one attack each with the double tap. Question. Or any of these. Yeah. It's their attack characteristic, right? Yep. So like skeletons who get one attack normally, and then I've got a unit of 30 or more, and they got three attacks. This really doesn't affect them, does it? Because the characteristic is still one. Is still one. So those two, bo- the bonus attacks you get from having a massive amount of models in the unit, it's not going to negate that because that's not because it, it doesn't actually change their attack. Well, character. It, it says add one to the attack's characteristic. Oh, it does say that. Okay, I I did not for the skeletons. I suppose I should read the things before I ask the questions. Wow! But if you hit a dragon with this that has three or four different attack profiles. In melee, you hit all of them. Oh. Uh-huh. So if you double tap like a Dreadlord on a Black Dragon with this, the bite is now only one attack. The claws go down. The Dreadlord goes down. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And so this wants the big targets. I like this one. This is better yeah. than I thought. Now, granted, you, if you don't, I mean, here's the thing. If you don't roll the nine or better, it's good on its own. Yeah. It's not necessarily amazing on its own. It's good. If you manage to roll that nine, suddenly, I mean, it's 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 more than the sum of its parts. It's, it's not t- twice as good when you get to do it. Tw- it's way more than twice as good. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because it's oh, oh, I like it. Yeah, and the big thing is if you want to keep that big unit out of combat, or if they've got a more combat focused army and you can't handle that right away, if you get the double, you hit two different units and make them not get into combat pretty much. So it gives you a control element on top of everything else. Yeah. Oh, and what so about again, the, And you know what I like? It doesn't reduce it by one dice. It's just a single die. Yeah. So the guys who get the 3d6 charges? Uno. Yeah. All my pigeons are suddenly crawling. They've, they've yeah. been plucked. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay. Spectral Grass. Spell number three. Casting value of six. If you successfully cast it, pick a terrain feature within 18 inches of the caster that's visible. Until the next hero phase, half the move characteristic rounding down of enemy units within three inches of any terrain features affected by the special grasp spells at the start of their movement phase. And that's what kept confusing me. I'm reading like, spells? What? How do I? How am I going to do this more than once? Oh, now I know how. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a couple of pieces of terrain that aren't too far away from each other, you can have one of the just the biggest bubbles uh, of, of, of slow your roll. Going yeah. against enemies. Especially with a lot of these armies that bring terrain features to games. Yeah. Sylvaneth, Nurgle, you turn their terrain against them. Sylvaneth bring the, the, the Wildwood, right? Yeah, and that is a big plate. Now, if they put down three pieces, that's one Wildwood, right? Yeah. So if you cast it on the Wildwood, is it all three of those, those fours? Yeah. <laughs> that's... Dumb. Oh, that's but so good. But again, it gives you an option against a different troop type. And it makes all of these spell selections very important. Yeah. Suddenly, play. suddenly now with Nagash getting three extra of these instead of... Oh. I've got to build my Nagash. Yeah, I put him together quick. Um, <laughs> so uh, the next one is Prison of Grief. So this one has a casting value of seven. If it goes off, pick an enemy unit within 12 of the caster. Um, and until your next hero phase, before a unit affected by a Prison of Grief moves, they roll a dice, and on a five or more, they can't move. Now, it's only a so, five up, but I'll, you know, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I take this compared to some of the other ones, but locking them in, you know, because it's, it's a, a chance to lock a, a unit in place or two units in place. Mm-hmm. It's, again, it's a control element which is something we've not had a lot of up until this book. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Decrepify, number five, casting value of six. Pick an enemy hero with 18 inches of the caster that he can see until your next hero phase. Minus one to wound rolls made for that model and minus one from the damage characteristic to a minimum of one. So if it's like a D3 or a D6... It'll be a D6 minus 1 or D3 minus 1. Right. And if you double down on the same guy, suddenly it's minus 2 to wound and minus 2 damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and heroes often have multiple damage. Especially if they're on a critter. Yeah. We need the crites. Okay. Um, and then the last one is Soul Harvest. So this one, casting value 7, if successfully cast, each enemy unit within 3 of the casters suffers D3 mortal wounds, then roll a dice for each mortal wound that was allocated to an enemy unit and not negated, and on a 5+, plus, you heal a wound that has been allocated to the caster. 
So if you now, there's no real death mage because that's like necromancers that wants to get in and fight. Realistically, but all of the death lords, that's the Mortarks and the Gash, can also take this. Yeah, they got a nice big base with lots of little units. They do have them. a nice big base. <laughs> well, here's the other thing too. Um, you know, necromant base. Basic little necromancers ain't that expensive, are they? They're only like a hundred, hundred and ten. They're yeah. fairly cheap. Hundred and ten for neck. Nec- I mean, that's not too cheap. I just, I remember back. I'm, I'm thinking back to sitting here with Christopher when he was doing the, um, the miscast bomb. <laughs> you know, yeah. take a guy yeah. and, and purposely, you know, hey, take an extra one, just run him up in the middle, just put him right behind your guys in line, and just start, you know. Trying to trying to just make this spell blow, you know go off. Mm-hmm. You know if you can afford one extra necromancer, why not give him this and just throw him right up in the front, right behind the enemy lines, like a psychopath? You could do that. Okay, okay, okay. And that's just the lore of the death mages. Then that's for death yeah. mage wizards. Which ones are the death mage wizards? That's the necromancers and stuff, right? It's the necromancers, and then death lords get these. Okay, and uh, wait, which ones are the Death Lords? Oh, those are the... The Mortarks and the Gash. Right, okay. So, shall we go to the lore of vampires? Sure. Okay. Uh, the Blades of Shyish, casting value of 5. Roll a die for each enemy unit within 12 inches of the caster. On a 5-up, they take a mortal wound. So... That's a big bubble, so it's only one mortal wound, but that could be a lot of units. Yeah, and especially if you can bomb it twice. Yeah. I mean, on the surface, that doesn't look that amazing, but once you consider the bombing twice, and then depending on the size of your base... But once again, 12 inches. I have played against uh, different armies that have a bunch of small units or... Uh, the time I played against the, uh, and I keep going back to the Seraphon for some reason, but the guy had the um, the Slan and the three other characters all kind of huddled up behind a wall so they could do all their buffy buffs. Yep. Uh, I can get up close with this, and it's like, ping, 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 ping. I can just start picking off, you know, I can, I can, I can get, every, I can get, and it's, and it's only on a five up. It's not great. I ain't going to lie and, and overhype it. But if you've got a, guy, a bunch of guys clumped together, a bunch of units clumped together, it's not horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a five-up, whatever. No, I probably don't pick it against these other ones, but I'm looking at the bright side because I'm excited. Okay. All right, let's hear the spirit gale, buddy. So this one has a cast value six. If it goes off, you pick an enemy to within 12 of the caster that is visible to them and roll three dice. For each five-up, that unit suffers a mortal wound. In addition, if two of these dice show the same number, subtract one from hit rolls for that unit until your next hero phase. And if all three show the same number, so if you roll a triple, you subtract one from hit and wound rolls for that unit until your next hero phase instead. So this one is a little weird. It's a little dopey. It's dopey and it's dicey. But if you get the upswing to the max, it is... It's got a lot of big damage potential. Yeah, yeah. I just it's 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 so rare that you're gonna you're gonna hit that. Yeah, and getting two cracks at it is 
nice, but again, it's very, very random, and I don't... It doesn't make sense to me to have that random of a spell in a army that is all about control. Exactly. Like, I'll, I'll go back to the blades. I'll take the blades one. Mm-hmm. And just try to give him a wound on a five up for all those units instead of this. All right. Yep. And now we have Vile Transference. Uh, that one casts on a seven. Pick an enemy unit within 12 inches. And a friendly death unit within six inches of that unit. The enemy unit takes D3 mortals. And then for each of those that was allocated and not negated, heal one allocated to the friendly unit. Now, it's just straight up healing one. So it's not putting back one wound models. Mm-hmm. But if you got something that's got multiple wounds, or if you got a hero or a character, yep, I could just basically take a few mortal wounds off of your unit and stick them back on mine. Yeah, especially if it's like Nagash or one of the Mortarks, or even a zombie lord or a vampire lord on zombie dragon. Double tap this, do two d three wounds to a unit, and then put two d three wounds back on yourself. Yeah, that one's not bad. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. Um, so the next one is Amethystine Pinions. So this one has a cast value 5. If successfully cast until your next hero phase, add 5 to the caster's move characteristic, and they can fly. Inherently, that doesn't sound that great. But if you're going to be playing a combat-type character, to suddenly make them movement plus 5 or plus 10, you're flying across the board. Very quickly, because it's like a... That's right, because you can double tap this one down, too. Yeah. Uh, Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon is movement 14, if he's taken three or less wounds. So if you hit this twice, you're now movement 24, you're in the grill. Yeah, and it it works on the caster. So, like, if you hit a nine or better, you just double down on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of sweet. But even being a movement 19 lord on a vampire dragon is still pretty good. Agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool. I don't necessarily think it's beating out Blades of Shyish or Transference yet, but it's still pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see what else we got. Soul Pike. Uh, casting on a six. You cast it, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches until the next hero phase. After a unit affected by any Soul Pike spells makes a charge move, roll a number of dice equal to the result of their charge roll. For every five up, they take a mortal wound. I kind of like that. I kind of like that a lot. Now, they have basically, they have to charge, right? Yep. So you can charge, uh, and then I may get to put mortal wounds on you, or you could choose not to charge me. Once again, controlling the movement. Mm-hmm. scare them a little too much to, to charge, especially if it's a dangerous unit. You know what? I just don't think I want them coming at me. You can, but if you roll a well, 10... You might pay for it. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. It's another one where I could either pick two units or double down on the first unit. So if I really don't want you attack, I could put that on you twice. Then they I'm don't gonna... do anything. What? Because it says, after a unit affected by any Soul Pike spells... Oh, okay. I misread that then. So this one you want to spread the thicket out. Got to spread it out. You can't just double the dice. Mm-hmm. Think they roll, a, they roll. They get a nice ten on their charge. And I'm rolling twenty dice, looking for fives. And yeah. I got some of those. Uh, what do you call them? I have some of those uh, Age of Sigbrod dice. Those dice are bent. 
Mm. I would definitely be rolling up some some mortal wound damage on that. All right, all right, but it's still it's still spread it around. Especially if your your characters your, your enemies coming up, they got two big walls of units. Gosh, those guys who are coming up with those those big dumb thirty man Nurgle, you know, uh, plague bear units. Mm-hmm. All right, both of them. You can charge if you want, but then they're gonna they're gonna do a bunch of more. And yeah, you get your safe, but I'll still throw it on you, man. Yeah, Make you or anything that's it. really squishy and does a lot of attacks per model. Uh huh. I'm looking at you, daughters of Cain. Oh, that's right. Or grots, lots of grots, lots of grots. And you want to take them down because those guys get. They're another one that the more I have, the more attacks I get. So I want to I want to break their unit numbers. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's have the last one, the Amaranthine Orb. This one's a weird one, so bear with me, folks. Okay. It has a cast value of 7. So if it goes off, pick a point on the battlefield within 12 inches of the caster and draw an imaginary straight line one millimeter wide between that point and the closest part of the caster. Roll a die for each unit, friend or foe, apart from the caster that has any models beneath this line. On a four or more, that unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. The tricky part is the line, but it has potential to do serious damage. And you can draw two lines, right? If you double down, yeah. Or you can draw the same line twice. Oh, that's true. Or, hey, if I'm going to bail in Vortex, does this become a 24-inch line? Yes. Stupid. Yeah, so this is one of those that you would want to take a bail wind if you're going to do it. Um, but I don't know if I would, just because it is a tricky spell to use effectively. Yeah. But once you get in there, if you can stack a lot of units in that shot, it's like the old Purple Sun. Yep, jump up alongside you and just throw it right down your right down your the, the line. Yeah. And then you roll all ones for every unit, and then you're just, like, cursing. Yeah. And I don't mean, like, so, curse of years. I mean, like, curse of explicit podcast. Curse of curse, I can't yeah. Do it. yeah. Cuckoo. So, but that's all the spells. <laughs> Did I just break Dave? I was taking a quick sip of pop, and you cuckooed. <laughs> I'm sorry you made me choke. <laughs> you I just broke Dave. Yes. Okay. Oh. I got carbonation in my nose now. Oh, give me a second. I'm not even editing this. I don't have time. Oh, oh that's the You're worst. Welcome, I hate folks. you. You're welcome, hey. folks. Look, I shut him up. You're such a... See, hey, now... it's better than a brace screen. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, that is... Yeah, that's true. It's outrageous. So, I had to. I haven't done that in a long time. All right, so... You know, I'm sitting here looking at this, going, "Well, you know, this just doesn't seem as amazing." I think it's good, but not. And then it's like, "Oh, wait, you can double down." Oh, now suddenly all of this has potential to be stupid. Yes, I like this. God, I like this. Oh, I missed my undead army. I may have to pack up my stormcast, but not yeah. for a while because it's going to take me forever to build this stuff. Mm-hmm. <sighs> all right, let's uh, let's jump onto the soul blight. Yep. Now, Soul Blight is uh, what? Vampire Lords, the Bloodseeker, the Coven Throne. 
Vargas and Black Knight, or Blood Knights. Oh, so okay. it's a it's a very small allegiance, and we've had it before in the GHP 2017. Right. But this is the updated version. So okay, so wait, so Blood Knights, Vargeist, Bat Swarms, Fell Bats, Vampire Lords, the Palanquins, the Palanquins, Coven Thrones. Okay. Yeah, that's that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then they do have some allies that they can take, but they don't benefit nearly as much. So you almost want to run a pure Soul Blight because the Deathless Thralls, which is the Deathless Minions ability, only affects Soul Blight units. Right, so I mean, they can take a lot of allies: Dead Walkers, Death Lords, Death Rattle, Death Mages, Night Haunt. So they can take yeah. a whole bunch, but you don't necessarily want to. Right, you lose the save, which yeah. is one of the big deals for Death Armies. Where the other four that we've talked about, their only ally is Flesh Eater Courts, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And goes a little with that story. Yeah. All right. So, what's the big difference here with the Soul Blight? You get spells from the lore of the vampires for Soul Blight Wizards. Okay. Which is good. Um, and that's really it. They changed a couple of the artifacts, so they're not as obnoxious. The big thing in here is Swift Death is still amazing. So you get to add... Two, it's one of the bloodlines that you can take that you apply to your entire army, so all Soul Blight models would get this ability. So you add two to the move characteristic of all models that have the Swift Death Bloodline, and then in addition, they can always count as flying. They move as if they can fly. So they don't actually yeah. have fly, but basically they, they can ignore terrain when they move. Right, which is good. It makes them able to get over terrain, and then Barrack Zilfin, or any of the Carajon Overlords players, they get to reroll shots against units that fly doesn't affect them unless they actually have the fly special rule. Aha! So they move like they can fly, but they can't fly. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's got some tricks. It does have a lot of hitty power because all of those units that we talked about, with the exception like the bats, do a lot of damage. Yeah. And they hit really hard. So that's so, a pretty elite army. I mean, it's your blood it knights is. and things like that. Now, I know a lot of people have been complaining about the Blood Knights. We'll get to them because um, they did they did lose a little bit. but And I don't know if they gained enough to, to negate what they lost. In the right combination, I think they made even, but you have to play to them. Well, I've but got five. A, yeah, but they're a significant part of your army. Just by the nature of the unit, it's an elite heavy cavalry unit. Right. So you should play to them and have them involved in your game plan. So I think you can even out with them. It's just a matter of you have to play them differently now. Gotcha. Uh, has death changed? No. No. Because they don't even get... They don't even get yeah, they, spells. They, yeah, they don't get extra spells. Um but this essentially replaces the GHB 2017. So it's not all of that great. Uh, the Blade of Dark Summons used to be the Sword of Unholy Power. And okay. they changed it this way. That only affects summonable death units. Because before, what you could do is pull a Morgast or a Morgul out of your pocket 
and summon it automatically. Oh, okay. This only does summonable units. Okay. And the models in the unit cannot have a combined wound characteristic of more than a 2d6 roll. So you can't summon more than like 10 or 12 guys. So it's a small unit you're pulling out of your pocket. Cool. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if you're going to be playing death pocket case, you're playing soul blight. Otherwise you're going to be playing the grand host. Right. There's, or the legions. There's no reason for you to play death right now. And they reworded Unless, the ring of immortality. So if you do use the ring of immortality, you're not paying for yourself to come back. Yeah. They changed that in 2017. Right. But they kept it throughout, which okay, is good. good. Good, good, good. Um, and that is all the legions. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Yeah. And we just spent over an hour going over those six plus the lures. And we didn't hit everything. Which no. you know hey, I want credit. We I showed restraint for once, so Yeah, which I think shows credit to this book is that we hit just the high notes. There's still a lot of stuff to this book. Yeah. And we're not yeah. done yet. So uh do we go over the units and then go over the War Scroll Battalions? That seems to make more sense. I think we should do that first, because I think that'll make a lot more sense when we start talking about stuff. Okay, so let's do a couple of these before we take a break, because we got a little bit of time uh, before we need to take a break. Uh, let's start off with with the guy, the man, the legend. Or do we want to start with the common rule? Oh. With just the deathly invocations. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Yeah, because so many of them have that. Yeah. So what Deathly Invocation is, and this is built into each one of these characters' war spells when we talk about them. So you get this regardless of your allegiance ability or anything like that. So even if you play Grand Alliance Death, you still get this extra ability. Right. So, And it's pretty much on every vampire lord, and and it's on all the Mortarks. It's on... It's on all the characters. Literally every character. Yeah, I think even the White King gets it. Uh, oh, the Bloodseeker Palanquin gets it. Uh, the Coven Throne gets it. The Mortis yeah, the only does thing not. that the only characters that don't get it are the Cairn Wraith, the Banshee, and the Black Coach. But he's not a leader anymore. Okay. Yeah, even the White Kings get it. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Okay, yeah, let's let's talk about this. So what this does, and you get to pick up to X many different friendly summonable units on the battlefield. So this is no range. This is just the table. And you get to heal D3 wounds that have been allocated to each unit you picked, rolling separately for each, or you get to return models um, with wounds characteristic equal to or less than the role of a D3. So this is the gravesite built into your characters now with unlimited range. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so good, especially if you got three if you if I mean if you build an army with without taking a super huge point sink character, but a bunch of small characters, you can start whipping this around. Now I have a couple of questions. Go ahead. Um it says 
Oh, so now the one thing is, uh, like, Nagash can do this to the most units, but all of these say it's different friendly units. So you yep. can't you can't just pile onto one unit, but you can use multiple characters that have this on the same unit. Yes, they can pick the same unit. Now, um, now they did FAQ this. So if I'm putting back D3 wounds and it's one, like it's zombies or skeletons, you know, one wound models, I can, I roll a D3 and I roll, you know, I get, I get a two out of D3, I can put back two one wound models. If it's a multi-wound model, okay, I can e- either heal it back up. So if it's taken wounds, I can heal back that many up to that, up to it being completely healed. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a multi-wound model and no one in the unit has any wounds, if you roll the D3, um, you can't put back a model with partial wounds. That's okay. the only thing you can't do. So if it's a three-wound model and you don't roll a three, you don't get to put anything back if they don't have any wounds. If it's, right. it's three-wound models and one of your guys in that unit has one wound... You can only put that one wound back because that's just how it works. Um, yeah, and you can't combine it. So if it's two wound models and you've got one model on the in the unit that has one wound, you roll the dice. If you roll a three, you don't get to heal one and put back a two wound model. You can either mm-hmm. heal or put back, and it has to he- it has to come back completely full yeah. on its wound characteristic. So, I mean. It's not complicated or anything like that, but it's just you're not. There's no mixing and there's no partials, basically. Yeah, and there's only one three wound summonable unit, and that's the spirit host. Oh, okay. Everything else is two or less, so it's not as bad as it sounds. Not at all. So, okay. So, almost all of the characters that we're going to talk about get this as an extra ability. And then if you're playing Grand Host, this is on top of the Grave Markers. This is on top of Legion's Innumerable. Like, your models come back so, so quickly. Yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of crazy. Um... So that's the one common thing that they all get. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we want to start with the big man himself? Might as well. Yeah, let's do it. So... Let's see. Big N, uh, he can move nine inches. He's bravery 10, 16 wounds, and he's got a three-up save. Uh, he's He can fly. Um, and then he's got a whole bunch of stuff. I, 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 should we go down his all of his little weapons and stats before getting all his abilities? I guess. Yeah, we can. Now, most of his profile has not changed. Right. I mean, he's still, he basically has a 12-inch missile weapon. He's got. Uh, this is where I get. He's got uh, in one hand the staff of power, and the other is the nine books. Now, he, now he can do either or on this, right? He doesn't. So he's either got Alkanesh or Zeftet Nabar. Am I correct? No, he fights with the Mortis Blade, which is Zeftet Nabar. Right. Um, is protected by Morakane, which is his armor. Right. He also, the books technically swirl around him, even though he can be modeled holding one. Right. 
he always has the books, and then he always has his stick. Oh, so he's he's got the sword and the staff, whether you he's model him everything. holding them both or not. If he's holding right. the book, he's still got the stuff. Okay, that's what I was confused about. That's what I wasn't certain. Because I was trying to mm-hmm. read this going, well, because it's... And I mean, looking at the even at the, when you're building it, you can model him with this, or you can model him with that. But it's not like the other things where you're choosing. He's he's still got them. Okay. Yeah, and if you model him with the hand, there's a bit to put the sword on his hip in a scabbard. Okay. Well, good, good, good. Okay. So he's got so much stuff here, and uh, oh my god. You know what? Take this, because it's just so overwhelming for me. Okay. I, I'm losing so my mind. Here. His uh, melee profile has not changed. He's got right. one attack from the staff. He's got variable numbers from the sword. And then the knives from the ghosts that swirl around him, they have a static number. The big stuff to consider is that his staff of power, depending on how much damage he's taken, gives him bonuses to cast and unbinding rolls. So... It starts with him getting plus three to cast and plus three to unbind rolls, going down to plus one to cast, plus one to unbind. Now, that does not affect the double spells because no, it do it's got to be a natural roll. But yep. they're going to, I mean, A, it's going to it's gonna cast, and B, it's going to be much harder for your opponent to unbind. Right. So he's got that going for him. Um if the ghost roll a six to hit, it's a mortal wound instead of normal damage, um, and it's an and it's a six plus to hit. So great. Um, with the armor, and this is a real big pain in the butt. Anytime he takes a mortal wound, roll a dice, and then a four plus the wound is negated. If you roll a six, the unit that's attacking him also suffers a mortal wound. So he's got a four up ward save basically. And against mortal the- wounds only, this trick works. Okay, against mortal wounds only. Um, yeah, so if you punch his armor, it's not going to stop it. But if you do a mortal wound from, like, a spell or something like that, he has the ability to stop it. And this is in addition to the Deathless Minion save. All right, right. <laughs> so he is very tough to put in the box. Um, the nine books swirl around him, so he gets to cast additional spells based on the number of wounds that he has taken. Now, he on starts his, with casting an unbinding three spells. Yes. Okay. He can go up to cast and unbind five extra spells. So he can do eight if he's taken no damage to a minimum of doing four a turn. Now he starts off knowing four spells. Plus three spells from one of the lores of death. And he can if pick he's between in the, the grand two. Host. Right. Yeah, in the great host of Nagash. In the grand host of Nagash, he gets an extra three. And he has so, to be, though. Yeah. Because he can't put, unless you take Grand Alliance death, he's got to be in that because it, it literally excludes him from the other ones. Right. So you're going to play him in grand host of Nagash. So, okay, so now we're at, what is it? He knows he six knows spells. Seven. Seven spells. Um, plus, he knows the spells of any other Death Wizards on the battlefield. Which he's going to need to, because he can cast eight. Yeah. That's just... Okay. So, he's got the Arcane Bolt. He's got the Mystic Shield. He's got these other two, Hand of Dust and Soul Stealer. 
And then he's taken three extras from there, plus whatever his other guys knows. So if you pick them right, make sure his other guys have them so you have all the spells between them. He's got ten spells in his pocket. Maybe even more because there's two lures. Yeah. No, granted, he is an expensive investment, as he should be. So you're not going to be getting, like, 1,200 spells, but he can essentially take your magic, take your hero phase, and run with it just on his own. And he should be able to. I mean, we've been Mm -hmm. talking about what he can do this whole time. Yeah. I mean, he just looks at you and you could die. That's what the, that's what the, the, I mean, if you're in Shyish and you see Nagash, he can just look at you and you will die. I mean, that's basically what the lore has been telling us. Yep. So this is, this makes sense. Um, No. Okay, and then just let's go over his spells real quick because, um, okay, Hand of Dust, casting value of 8. If you cast it, pick an enemy model within 3 inches of the caster. Then take a die and hide it in one of your hands. Okay, so you're playing pick the hand. It's the Hand of Dust. If the opponent picks the right hand, they're fine. If they're wrong, the enemy model is gone. Yeah, just auto-dead. And it doesn't, I mean, so, you know, he runs up to your super awesome general guy. I mean, this takes out anything, literally. This takes out Croak. This takes out Archaon. This, I mean. Yeah, and this is one of those workarounds for Marathi. Um, Because she can only take three wounds. This just kills her. Right, because it just, yeah. Oh, that's so good. And then Soul Stealer, uh, that casts on a six. Pick an enemy unit within 24 inches and roll two dice. If it's greater than their bravery, they take D3 mortals. If it's double their bravery, they take D6 mortals. And for every mortal you inflict, you heal one. Tinagash. Yeah. Tinagash. Oh, that's so And you remember how we were talking about all the spells and abilities that buff bravery? Right. In this crew? Yeah. Oh. Oh, and I didn't even realize Death Magic Incarnate. So the Deathly. Oh, his Deathly Invocation, by the way, because we talked about the. Nagash gets to do that to five units. The D3 wounds. Mm hmm. And he gets to reroll the D3 if you roll crappy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then what's his command ability? Because you don't get to pick it. This anymore. is amazing. If he uses it, then until your next hero phase, you can reroll hit and save rolls. For all friendly death units, and then you don't have to take battle shock tests for friendly for death units affected by this ability. That's the whole table. It's the table. It has no range. So wait a minute. If I take Nagash on top of all the stuff I get, and I'm like, uh, I, in, I'm sorry, folks. I I've been going through this stuff, but I, I haven't had a time to really sink it all in. You like know, before process recording. all right. of his stuff. So not only does he get every cool rule and all this extra casting and all this awesomeness, but the whole table can reroll hit and save rolls and don't take battle shock tests. Yep. That's uh, dumb. Now, I just played against him over the weekend. I've I almost killed him like 3 times. I got him down to one wound. And he pops right back. He is so incredibly hard to put in the box and then you get this massive command ability on top of everything else it's just he is 800 points of your army 
So he is a he is a substantial investment. However, you're gonna get your money back. Now, how does? Oh, he can heal using the other thing, like the things that he attacks with, and then it just gives him wounds back. Yeah, he can heal with Soul Stealer. He can heal with the Scythe ability from Lore of the Death Mages, the number six that we talked about. Right. So he's got different ways he can fix himself. And then he's got a three up save, maybe a two up save, plus the armor of Morcane, plus the Deathless Minions. Right. Yes. He is a very big thing to try to put back in the ground. Oh, jeez. That's so... Wow. And he's no slouch either in a fight. Like, he's got a a bunch of attacks. I mean, seriously, only one with Elkanesh, but it's threes by twos. It's got a three rend D6 damage. Zephnabar is up to six attacks, threes by threes, two rend, three damage. This is dumb. Yeah, he is a god, and he plays at like a god should. He is a god. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. He's you're you're, you're putting a god on the table. Yeah, which is why he's eight hundred points. So when are we going to see Sigmar taking the table? Hopefully never. That's true. Well, the the whole. I mean, they constantly said in every lore, he's no longer the warrior king. He's the he's staying up in his. But if up. you want to put Alariel against Nagash, because I think those are the only active gods right now. That's just so cool. That's so cool. All right, you know what? We're taking a break because he took forever, and uh, and, he, and and with good reason because he's too good. Um. We'll come back and we'll talk uh, more Tarks when we are done with uh, this interlude. Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. And we are back with Archon the Black. Hey. Hey, hey look at that. Nice ride. That's so bad. Okay. Um, so this is the first of the Mortarks. And he also has Deathly Invocation. But he can do it up to four different units. Compared to Nagash, who gets five. Right. He's also got 
his Mortarker's sacrament ability lets him re-roll the dice for the Deathly Invocation. So it's just like little Nagash, as he should be. Yeah. Um, he actually has a lot of the same tricks. His staff lets him get modifiers to his casting and unbinding rolls. Hey, does that sound familiar? Not as good. He's only got a plus two. Yeah. Um, and then he's also got the frightful touch on the spirits. And this is true of all the Mortarks. They all have the spirits that fly around beneath them. So right. they all get the same number of attacks from the claws and daggers from the ghosts that go with them. Um, he has a couple of different abilities. So if he or Raz... Resurrect, that's his uh, Dread Abyssal that he rides. So he flies. If Archon the Black, the model, does any, displays any models, he gets to heal wounds. He gets to heal two wounds automatically that have been allocated to him. That is also a part of the other two Mortarks as well. So they get that ability too. Um, and then we have. He's got a shrinking stat line, and this is pretty much the same thing for the attacks from the mount and the movement for all of the Mortarks. They start at movement 16 with six attacks from the claws, and it shrinks from there right. as they take damage. Um, now, Archon, he is an amazing wizard. Um, so he gets to cast two spells and unbind two spells. He knows Bolt, Shield, and his own unique Curse of Years, which we'll talk about this one, because that is an amazing spell. Oh, yeah. And, and now that hasn't it, changed from the old, from, from the last, his last entry in the, in the other book, but it's just so no, good. But we do need to talk about it, because people need to be aware of what it can do. And it, um, it, it can do everything. It has the potential yes. to do everything. Mm-hmm. And then... He also knows the spells of any death wizard that is within 18 inches of him. So not so, the whole table. It's not He's as good as Nagash. Literally a mini Nagash. He is. Um, so his command ability, we went over it already. So he gets to bump the range of friendly death wizards within 18 inches of him for their spells by 6 inches. The funny trick that I've seen people do is they'll take Archon and Nagash together but Archon's the general. How, well, how do you do that? Because in Grand Alliance Death, it doesn't have to be Nagash. Oh, so you take him in Grand Alliance Death. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say but, that's the only way to do it, but I didn't, like, why would you want to do that? But okay. If Archon's the general, he can then bump Hand of Dust to nine inches instead of three. If you want to play the hand, the oh. reach out and grabby game at nine inches. Oh, okay. You also have to be careful because he knows the spells of any death wizards within 18 inches of him. If Archon is playing against Nagash, he can hand a dust him at nine inches. Oh. So he can literally just fly up and chase Nagash around trying to grab him with his own spell. So wait, if I if I'm playing, okay, I've got Nagash and Archon. Archon's my general in, a, in Grand Alliance Death. And Archon's my general, and I'm playing against someone else who has. Or if you're just Archon playing against Nagash, as soon as you get within 18 inches of Nagash, 
you know all of the spells that Nagash knows. Well, no, because it's friendly death. Yes, wizards. no. No, I literally, I'm reading it. It says Archon also knows the spells of any death wizard within 18 inches. Oh, of I him. was looking at the command ability. Oh, that's. Oh, I didn't realize what you were reading. I... So, oh, okay. So Archon is one of the best guys to try to punk Nagash because he can fly up to Nagash. And say, oh, that's cool. You know all 1,200 spells. I know all of them, too. And I know Hand of Dust, and I can grab you at nine inches and put you away. Well, gee, that doesn't play to the lore. Not at all, but it's funny as hell. It is funny, but I'm sitting there going, well, yeah. Yeah, I would do it, but I would feel bad about it afterwards. Just because I would not feel bad at all. I would. It would just be hilarious. <laughs> So right. what, what's happened is Archon has served him faithfully for 10,000 billion years, and that was all a big lead up to, I'm going to hand and dust you. Yeah. And I'm now, now I'm the gosh now, I'm the Nagash. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. All right. Um, so then his spell um, is Curse of Years. So it's cast value of six, so it's a very easy cast for him. You get to pick an enemy unit within 18 inches and then roll 10 dice. It doesn't matter how many models are in the unit, you roll 10. For each roll of a 6, the unit suffers a mortal wound, and then you roll another dice. For each roll of a 5-plus on those dice, the unit takes another mortal wound, and then you roll another dice, and it keeps going down. So all your sixes re-roll, but now it's fives, and then you take from those any fives or better, you re-roll those, and it's fours, and then threes. Threes, and then twos, and then ones, and which you, means you eventually just kill the entire unit by process of elimination, because yes, you always roll a one or more. Because if you get down to ones, even if they have something that can heal the mortal wounds, that's not about, it's not, it's not about that. It's about, you. Just, so I could just keep going one at a time, and eventually you're not going to save it. Yeah, now, it does have the caveat that until no wounds are inflicted. So, if you have a save against mortal wounds, you can stop it. Or no, keep rolling dice each way, inflicting mortal wounds and reducing the roll. Yeah. So you're going to be doing just an infinite amount of mortal wounds if you can get it to crank. So you're auto-killing things if you can get this off and roll really well. Yeah. If you can, it's I mean, not going to happen often. If you can get that progressive it hitting it, ten <laughs> percent yeah. of the time it works all the time. But when it works, mm-hmm. you've blanked a unit. That's so good. Yeah. So, Oof. all right. And then we've got Manfred. Uh, same. Same stat. I mean, uh, same eleven wounds, four saves, same movement, save ep- same Evan claws. So a lot of the basics are the same. I mean, he's got different weapons, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can fly. Um, he's got that Feast of Souls also. Heal two wounds on him if he does any wounds in the combat phase. Um, his armor allows you to just... The first wound or mortal wound... Just ignore the first wound or mortal wound that he takes. Um, yeah, and it's every turn. Every so turn. So it's not battle round, it's every turn. Yep. Um, if he causes any wounds, 
to be allocated using Geistver, which is his sword, in the combat phase, he gets plus one to cast or unbind. So uh, the next roll you make. Yeah, the next one. So not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, what else has he got? Um, if he successfully cast any spells, plus one to hit and wound for Geistver. So it, he actually works back and feeds on himself. Yeah. If the sword wounds, he gets plus one to his caster's dispel. If he actually casts anything, he gets plus one to hit and to wound. Which, by the way, that means he's hitting and wounding on twos. With four attacks, run one d three damage. Not bad at all. No. Um. What else has he got? Oh, he gets to pick four for the deathly invocation. All yeah, him and Neferata both get four. So, um. All the Mortarks get four, basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, he can cast two spells. He doesn't get any bonus extra spells, though, so he's just casting an unbinding two. Uh, he's got Arcane Bolt, Mystic Shield, and this Wind of Death. So, casting value of seven. If you cast, pick an enemy model within 18 inches. Each enemy unit within six inches of that model suffers a mortal wound, while the model's unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So that ain't bad. No, it's a little splash damage, which is nothing to sneeze at. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you got a, it, 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 it works really nicely if your opponent has a lot of units packed in together. Uh, and then what else? Oh, his command ability. His command ability. Uh, until your next hero phase, reroll hit and wound rolls of one for friendly death units within range. It starts at a fifteen, and as he takes wounds, it drops to three inches. But in the beginning of the game, re-rolling hit and wound rolls of one for friendly death units within 15 inches of him. So that's a 30-inch bubble. Yep. And it does go down progressively from there as he takes damage. Right. But it's still pretty nice. I like Manfred. I always have. I like like the way his... his, uh, When they came out with this right when AOS dropped and they had these rules from like... Oh, I like it. It's everything he does feeds off of it itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Get a good spell in, I get to do extra. Uh, if I get the wounds in, I get to help with my spells. So you just throw them at something you know you can do some killing on. Because that's the yeah, way Manfred which... works anyway. Mm-hmm. The only thing I don't like about him is that he's bald. I'm perfectly honest with you. That he's bald? Yeah, because the original Manfred model from six and... S- like the old man from Malahim going around on a horse, he had those long, luxurious locks, and I really don't like bald Manfred. It just looks weird. Oh, okay. I didn't think about that. But that's just me. All right. So Take let's go from the ugly vampire to the pretty one. Um, so she's an interesting character. She has the dagger of jet, which is her main knife, and this is a two-by-three Ren 1 damage 1, but with 5 attacks. So she hits and wounds a lot, but it's not a lot of damage. And if a model is allocated any wounds from attacks made using the dagger, but is not slain, then you roll a dice after she's done making all of her attacks, and on a 6 plus that model dies. (laughs) So, pretty good. She has the power to knock you out immediately, but not immediately, immediately. Right. Um, her 
more target of blood ability. So at the end of any combat phase in which Nefrata slew any models, you get to heal two wounds to her. So this is a replacing Feaster of Souls that Manfred and Archon have. Um, and if she slew an enemy hero during this turn, she gets to heal an extra wound. Um, before, she used to set up a vampire lord when she killed a character. Oh, so, and she turned them. Oh, that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, so she lost that ability, which I wish she had kept, but I understand why they got rid of it. Because, um, A, we can't afford to pay for it, and B, they can't give it to you for free. Right. I got so, you. Uh, they've got that, and then she gets to do uh, the Deathly Invocation four times, mm-hmm. which is cool. She gets to cast and unbind two spells, so she gets Bolt, Shield, and her own unique spell, which is Dark Mist. So for this one, it's got a cast value of six, and if successfully cast, you pick a friendly death unit within 18 inches of her, and until the next hero phase, that unit can fly, and you must ignore modifiers, positive or negative, when making save rolls for the unit. So essentially, they ignore Rend, ignore Mystic Shield, and ignore Cover, and any other thing that buffs their save. Huh. So essentially, it makes them ethereal. Yeah, but I mean, there are some stuff that's got that have decent saves on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, she could put it on Prince Vordry, even couldn't she? Yeah, it's any free up. Yeah, it's any friendly death unit. Um, they ignore modifiers. That's not bad. There's a lot of things that have four ups in here. Yeah, uh, blood knights, more gas. Um, if you really did it, where she was in the same list with Nagash, you could do Nagash. But that would be silly. <laughs> and then her command ability is amazing. It's probably my favorite one of them. So if she, it's Twilight's Allure, so if she uses it, then until your next hero phase, you subtract one from hit rolls for enemy units within the range shown on the damage table, which starts at 15 and goes down to 3 as she takes damage. So she is a debuff piece, which is a big deal when you combine it with some of the other spells, like Overwhelming Dread. You could put somebody at minus 3 to hit. Wow. If you double tap it. So. I, don't know, I really like Neferata as like a general. She's not that great in combat, but she's still pretty nice. Cool. All right. So now we got our new character, Prince Vordry. As we've talked about, he is the uh, he's the guy in charge of the keep, isn't he? Yes. He's in charge of blood keep. And uh, this dude... 14 wounds, 3-up save, 10 bravery. His movement starts at 14 um, because he is riding a zombie dragon. Uh, He can obviously fly then, and he's got a bunch of abilities. He has a a lance, uh, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, 2 ren, 2 damage. Um, His his zombie dragon... Uh, has a biting attack, three of them, fours by threes, two ren, d6 damage. That's really good. Do all zombie yeah, dragons have that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. I've never played one. Um, and then... Might have to. I might. And then uh, he also gets his 
claw attacks, uh, fours by threes for the zombie dragon, starting at seven attacks, dropping down when he takes wounds. One ren, two damage. He's kind of a combat beast. Yeah, he's a what was effectively the old blood dragon vampires. Yeah. Um, so he's got some neat abilities. Um, do you want to take this guy? I was just talking quite a bit. No, I mean you can have you can do it. Okay, you, sure. You, you, so you get it a little more than I do. You got big picture more than I do. Take it. Yeah. So he's a new character. Um, first things first, and this is where we're going to see with all the soul blight characters um, from here on in. If they slay any models in the combat phase, at the end of that combat phase, they get to heal a wound. So Vordry gets that. The chalice of blood, which a lot of the the soul blight characters will have. Um, once per battle in your hero phase, you can heal D6 wounds that have been allocated to him. So he gets even tougher to put in the ground, in addition to everything else he's got going for him. Uh, his lance, when he charges, the damage characteristic goes up to 3 instead of 2, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the Breath of Shyish, and this one got FAQ'd a little bit. It's not too dissimilar. So this is the Breath Open Off the Dragon. So you get to pick an enemy unit within 8 inches of the model that is visible to him and roll a dice, adding 1 to the result if this model slew any enemy models in the previous combat phase, and on a 3-up that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds as shown on the damage table above. It starts at 6 mortal wounds, and then goes down to D6, 3, D3, and 1. So... For this, you have to do your timing very carefully. This would be like a good thing to do after you've drunk the Chalice of Blood, because then it'll rev up how many wounds you've got left, even after you've taken some damage by the time you get in range, just breathe on somebody. Uh, He's got Deathly Invocation. He can do that up to three different units. And he is also a wizard. He's not as good of a wizard, so he only gets to do one spell and one unbind attempt. So he's got the two base spells, and then Quick Blood. So this is his own unique, and it only targets him. It's got a cast value of 7, and if it goes off, he gets to add 1 to the hit and wound rolls for the caster until your next hero phase. And this is for the caster, so it's the model. So the dragon gets better, too. Wow. Hit and wound rolls for the... For the caster, wait a minute. Who is Prince Vordry, which right. is the model. Oh. Because it's not a prince on a dragon, it's that he's the whole model. Oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. Um, if he, it was like an artifact or something that specifically says it affects the general's melee weapons, but this just says it affects the caster. So I would have to double check that now that I'm thinking about it. Um. But if it hits the dragon, then that is a big deal. Yeah. Any event. Um, And then he has a unique command ability for himself, which is the Fist of Nagash. Not to be confused with the Hand of Dust, but, you know, whatever. Um, So he gets to pick a friendly death hero, which is not him, within 14 inches of him. And that hero can immediately either be chosen to pile in and attack as if it were the combat phase, or cast a spell. So basically, he either makes somebody else fight, or he intimidates a wizard into casting a spell. 
wow, okay. Hmm. Okay. He's an interesting little piece. and He's not like a new kit or anything. He's made out of the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon kit. Right. So it's not like you have to go out and get a whole new model. It's just... Am I... Oh, okay. So... The breath of Shyish is his is a a breath attack from his zombie dragon. That's what I was. Yes. That's what I was missing. I'm looking at this going. What am I missing here? So he can use that every turn. Yeah. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. And if he slew any models in the pre, as soon as he kills someone in one combat, then it becomes a two up as long as he keeps killing things. Yeah, and when he kills something, he heals a wound. In addition to the chalice, so you're going to be writing near that top level if you can get him in there. Sweet. This is a pretty mm-hmm. cool model. Yes, he is. Pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. You know what? Let's uh, let's grab the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon before we grab the Morgast, since that's the, other, the, the one more of these big creatures. Not as cool as Vordry, necessarily. Um, at least not with all the little specialty things. But uh, he does have a lot of stuff. He's got uh, fourteen wounds, and uh, so basically he's got one worse save than the prince. But he does have a ranged attack, the pestilent breath, and he's got his lance and his sword, and he's still doing two damage, d three damage. You know, lots of attacks, threes by threes with rend. So he's, he's not a slouch, is he? No. Um. Okay, with the pestilential breath. Okay. Uh, let's see. Roll a die when you attack with the zombie dragon's pestilential breath. If the result is equal to or less than the number of models in the target unit, the attack scores a hit without needing to make a hit roll. Well, that's not bad at all. No, it. Essentially makes it so you're going to auto hit units that are uh, six or six or more models mm-hmm. instead of like failing on a three, which is kind of disappointing. But it's weirdly worded, so you have to be careful what you target. And how does the? Am I missing how the breath works? Okay, so essentially what you do is you nominate the unit to get shot with the breath. Okay, and then you roll a dice. And if it's equal to or less than the number of models in that unit, it auto-hits. If it is... Otherwise, you get to roll to see if you hit. Right. I'm just... Oh, that's... Okay, I, I, I just lost where it worked. Okay, so yeah. All right, that's good. I get it now. I was just missing stuff. I'm starting to... I'm starting to... get. There's just so much. I'm like starting to confuse different rules here. Mm-hmm. Uh, kill anything, get a wound back, right? Uh, you charge. His lance goes from two damage to three damage, just like the other uh, vampires. Um, he actually has a three-up save because of his shield. He's got the chalice of blood. He can heal up to three summonable units because he's got three on his uh, deathly invocation, just like Finn's Vordry. And he's got something called Blood Boil. He can only do one spell a turn. Uh, same as the Prince Vordry. Um, but this Blood Boil, casting value of six. 
If successful, pick an enemy unit within 18 inches of the caster. They take a mortal wound. If a model is allocated any wounds caused by this spell but not slain, roll another die. And a four-off, they take another mortal wound. If it's still not slain, roll another die. Basically, it's like your foot of Gorkin, one guy. Yeah, for one wound at a time. One wound at a time on a four-up. Just keep wounding him. Nice. Um, and then his command ability, pick a friendly death unit within 15 inches. Until your next hero phase, you can reroll failed hit rolls. So, uh, that's not bad, but, you know, it's still. No, that's zombie, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Zombie dra- Vampire Lord on a Zombie Dragon is, which you never saw a lot of them before. So I think you could see them now if you don't want to play named characters. They're not necessarily slouches here at all. Yeah, he's probably the go-to general for most of this, but you still have plenty of options. Right, 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 right. Um, let's, uh, let's get these more guests out of the way. Yeah. Now, these guys got an update between the Harbingers and the Archite. Before, if you took the Harbingers, they always came with the two swords. If you took the Archive, they always came with the Halberds. Right. Now you have the option to mix. So you can have a unit armed with Halberds or swords for either Harbingers or Archive. So. So what's the big difference between them now then? Okay. The big difference between the two, um, their profiles are exactly the same. So they're movement nine, save four, six wounds. Great profile. The swords is five attacks, threes by threes, run one damage two, so you can do up to ten wounds with the damage. Or if you go for the halberd, you get three attacks, threes by threes, run two, damage three. So you're going to do nine, but more consistently. So that's cool. The they have a common a couple common abilities. Uh, they fly each, which is cool. The Heralds of the Accursed One, so you get to subtract one from the bravery units of any from the bravery characteristic of enemy units while they are within six of any more gas. So this will stack with the banners, with overwhelming dread, with Legion of Blood. So you could potentially hit somebody from minus five bravery. Oh boy. So, that's pretty neat. Um, and then the Harbingers have, ironically, the Harbingers of Death Rule. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, when they charge, you roll three dice instead of two for their charge. And they can charge a unit up to 18 inches away. Which makes sense, because they can roll three dice. Right. So, they're essentially like everything that Hammer Prosecutors want to be. So, yeah. unfortunately, they're just not. Um, and then the Archai, they have the even wrought armor. So each time you allocate a mortal wound to that unit, will it die, and on a 5+, plus, the mortal wound is negated. So they're more defensive for the Archai, whereas the Harbingers want to go hit you. Cool. Six wounds apiece. Unit, uh, unit can have any number of models, so it can be as little yeah. as one. Yeah, they start in pairs, though, for right. buying. Right, right. So, But that's still 12 wounds at a 4-up save flying around, and they do a truck of damage. That is pretty awesome. How much do those guys cost? What have we got here? What have we got here? They're like 240, 220. I think. 220. 220. 
Two twenty for either set. Two twenty a pair, and you can have up to a, up to a unit of six. And they're battle line in the grand host of Nagash, if Nagash and, is the general. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so you could have a very small elite grand host army if you wanted to. That could be kind of fun. Yeah, it would be Nagash, and I think the total is five harbingers. Or five sets of ten harbingers. Or ten uh, more gas is what you could take. You're right, yeah. <laughs> so dumb. If you wanted to do it. I mean, it's a very small elite army. That's but. the thing. Yeah, you better get in there and kill all your enemies because you're not going to have enough to grab objectives and stuff against them otherwise. Yep. Okay, so that is the characters. Just about all of them. Isn't it? It's the big character. There's a yeah, the lot big more. characters, right? No, I mean, but yeah, the big characters. We've covered them all because yep. now we're rolling the... into the soul blight stuff: the blood knights, the vargeis, the uh, the, the bats. bats, yeah, and the vampire lord. So, um, you know, why don't we take a quick breather here? Yeah, and then we'll come back and talk about the soul blights. Yeah, talk about all the soul blight characters. Soul blight. That's right. We're into all these soul blight things here. So, um, all right. You know what? At this point, Alex, I, isn't most of this stuff the same as it was in the death book? I mean, with I mean, there's some some tweaks here and there, obviously, uh, in the keywords here and there. But I mean, I mean, I know there's still new things we haven't covered: the Bloodseeker, Palanquin, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, most yeah, of- there's. There's a lot of stuff here that is repetitive throughout the course of the army, and then the changes that got made from Grand Alliance Death are pretty minimal. Um, we do still want to talk about the things that are cool and have neat abilities to it, but right. What, what I'm saying is, I mean, we've been already going four hours here, and we've we've we, I mean, the new stuff, and we even I mean, even some of this new stuff we've covered isn't really new, but they've got these new rules. But we're starting to hit the, hit the part of the book where it's not all that new. So I mean, and I, you know, hey listeners, I'm not, we're not gonna. I don't. I just don't want to run through every. We still got like twenty some units. Like, yeah, there's a ton left. So yeah. I, so if it's still pretty much the same as it was in the Grand Alliance Death Book, we're just gonna we're just gonna highlight it. You know, uh, if if you if you have if this is the first time you're hearing about this stuff, then. You're more than welcome to go pick up either Grand Alliance Death or, you know, actually just pick up the <laughs> Legions and the Gash book because it's actually pretty good and you can find all this info yourself. Yeah, and it's not like the War Scrolls are free or anything on the very cool AOS app. Yeah, that's true. You can, but everything in we're any now, you could be looking right along in your app. So Yeah, and you should do that anyway because that's fun. Mm-hmm. But point is, um, so we're just going to kind of run through this next 
these next couple entries really quick. Obviously, we're going to stop for the newer stuff or brand new units, but other than that, we're just going to keep this gravy train going. Yeah, exactly. So now, if we're looking at Soul Blight, which was one of the guys that got a new, you know, got a new allegiance. Yeah. So uh, the Vampire Lord was one of them. Yeah, the Vampire Lord. Um, the Vampire Lord on foot isn't terribly different from his ability from what he did in the Grand Alliance Death Book. He gets the Deathly Invocation, so he gets three uh, summonable, or you get to pick up to three friendly summonable units, summonable units within twelve of him. Um, but other than that, his profile has not really changed. The only real difference here is that you don't have the option to give him a shield, um, and I don't remember if the last one did have the option to give him a shield. But so I think it's, it's just, interesting that for the same points, you can either have him on foot, on a nightmare, or on a flying horror. Or if he's a flying horror. So or if, if he, he is a flying horror. If he's Yeah, that one that had the wings, the old... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could if this model has a chalice of blood, you can heal D six wounds once a game in the hero phase. If I'm not carrying that old uh, Isabella model, I'm just modeling a little chalice. Yeah, it's kind of assumed one. that you're going to do that anyway. Yeah, uh, the Blood Angel kits are good if you want to convert something up because they have a lot of chalices there. Oh, there you go. Um, or any of the old Bretonian kits, there are some chalices, but realistically. Good stock standard fighter. Command ability is good. He gets to pick a friendly death unit within 15, and that unit gets to make one extra attack with each of their melee weapons, which is really nice for units that have multiple attack profiles. Not terribly dis- different. Right. Um, he ha- They have the hunger. And yes, and that's we, common to a lot hunger? of Soul Blight stuff. Um, no, it's been uh, some of the special stuff with regards to... Um, oh no, Vordrag has it, the dragon has it, so when they kill a model, at the end of the phase, they heal the wound. Yeah, if, yeah, if, they, no. if they do any wounds, or if they slew any models, yeah, yeah, at the end of the combat phase, they get a wound back. Which yeah. is good, because let's jump over to the Blood Knights. Yeah, um, or jump back to them. Yep, yep. Um, they, uh, they have the hunger. Which is good, because yep. um, they don't just put models back like they used to. No, that was one of the big changes with this book, is that all standard bears are now, you subtract one from the bravery characteristic of enemy units that are within six of any death standard bears. So the Blood Knights did take a bit of a hit here, because their old banner used to put a model back every hero phase. And because they don't have the summonable keyword, you are limited to how many Blood Knights you have on the table. Right, so because even at the end of the hero phase, you can heal a wound. If you're at full on all your models, you're not putting a new one back. It's not. It's just healing a wound. It's not. Oh, I could put one back with one wound. Mm-hmm. So when they're gone, they're gone. So their their value on the table um, is well greater than you know because you can't afford uh, to lose them like you did before. Yeah, I mean they were expensive before, and they're still about the same ballpark, but other than the big change on the banner, the unit themselves has not changed. They still do a ton of damage on the charge because their main weapon goes up to D3 damage on the charge. Yep. And then for all of these units that have shields, um, regardless of what they call it, 
you get to add one to save rolls for a unit carrying a shield against attacks that have a rend characteristic of dash. So as soon as you get rended, you don't get a bonus for your shield, but you're better against the things with no rend. Yeah, so if you want to fly into a huge horde of, of you know, basic Joes, there mm-hmm. you go. Then you yeah. get your three-up save. Um, what else we got in here? There's the Vargeists. Basic yep. same stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, see, I like bat swarms and fell bats. They definitely made them better, I think, in this iteration for them. Yeah. So the Cloud of Horror is different. You get to subtract one from hit rolls for enemy units that are within 12 inches of them in the shooting phase. And then they essentially get a different version of the Hunger. So at the end of the combat phase in which they... If they cause uh, Alec, any wounds. Any wounds. And granted, five attacks by fives to hit, fives to an overend, damage one. You may not get a lot through, but you're going to be healing whole bases. Yeah. Which and is a pretty big deal. The base has five wounds, and you heal any wounds you took back on any... Yeah, so you're, you're, if you have a model, you know, you're only going to have one model with wounds in the unit, but mm-hmm. it's... They got to hit it with for all five, or else you're going to get something back if you manage to do anything. Yeah, that's nice. And then the fell bats, you know, they got three attacks fours by fours. But if an enemy model is slain within six inches of the unit, that doubles for the rest of the game. Yeah, they go up to six attacks, which is much better given how fast they are. And I think they picked up an extra wound here. Three I wounds. think they used to be two wounds. I think they're three now. They might have been. But a 14-inch move, too. Mm-hmm. So they're flying around the board, and if they can get the, you know get in there, six attacks, that's, you know, that's not bad. Oh. I, I just, I've always liked, I like that the one is, is messing up with their, 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 there's so many of them around you can't shoot well. And then the yeah. large ones come in, and they get a little, they smell a little blood, and there they are. <laughs> Give me some. Yeah. All right. So do we want to talk about the new unit? Um, how about this? Um, you know what? We might as well. Do you want to just the Coven Throne first since people are familiar with it? Uh, yeah, only sure. two slow, There's only two Soul Blights left, so we'll get to the new one once we get this one. Um, mm-hmm. now the Coven Throne, I used, it had the coolest ability in the, in the old edition. With that whole, I could see if you, you'd roll the, you'd do that, uh, roll uh, against your leadership and suddenly you could be re-rolling like everything and stopping them. Now mm-hmm. it's a little different. Um, yeah. But the thing is, the Coven Throne has deathly invocation for three units. It's got the hunger. And if you kill a hero on the Coven Throne because you got that vampire lady on top of it, you get an extra wound. Um, and then she's a wizard, so she's got a, she's got a nice little spell here. Um, pick an enemy unit. It's value. It's called Beguile. Value of six. Pick an enemy unit within twelve and roll three dice. If it's higher than their bravery, until your next hero phase, the caster cannot be selected as the target of any attacks made by that unit or spells cast by that unit. Uh, no, I think that I like that. I mean, you can't double down on it because it's not one of the new lores. But, sure. But if something's getting up there and it wants to, you know, some. Something scary wants to take on the Coven Throne. It's got 12 wounds, a 4-up save. You're going to have to hit it with something beefy or something huge. It's like, nah, you, no, you're not hitting me. You're not even targeting me this turn. Go do something yeah. else. 
And a lot of the nasty stuff is bravery right around seven or eight. So if this is within six inches of a death unit, they're minus one bravery. If they're Legion of Blood, they're minus another one bravery. And that's not including overwhelming dread. So you can definitely hit this as a nice little trick to essentially like stymie a unit of like say 10 paladins or yep. something like that, that would come in and murder this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a different command ability compared to what it was in Grand Alliance Death. Because before, if you rolled a tie, when you determine priority for the next round, you get to pick who went in case of a tie. That was a really cool rule. It was cool. It was situational, but it was cool. Uh, this new one lets you pick a friendly death unit within 12, and that unit can reroll hit, wound, and save rolls of one until your next hero phase, which is a pretty substantial command ability, I think. Yeah. Especially some of these units that are hitting and wounding on threes. You know, suddenly, you know, threes rerolling ones is just great. I yeah, mean, especially like Blood Knights or some of the other heavy hitters. The bar guys, so. not too bad either, you know? No. So... Uh-huh. Um, and this is the Coven Throne would not be a bad death unit for the Vampire Lord to use the Blood Feast on because it has four different melee attacks. Yes. So there you go. Boom. It's adding a lot of attacks mm-hmm. to to the unit. So I like I said, I have a Mortis Engine. I, I would, I've taken it to tournaments a bunch of times. I've brought a Coven Throne. I, I love these models. Um, I think mine need a new paint job because, well... They're not as good as I thought they were. Mm-hmm. But now, as as GW has done several times with death with death kits, you can combine the two kits and get a third kit. Yeah. Now, if you decide to only put on one witch instead of three vampire witches, and that, then you have the Bloodseeker Palanquin. Now, this is new, and I I think this one's pretty uh, pretty interesting. It's different. It's very different. So, so it's go ahead. got this. It's got the same basic profile as uh, the Coven Throne and the Mortis Engine, with the amount of like attacks from the Spectral Host. Its movement. Um, the Palanquin and the Mortis Engine have the same uh, missile weapon, which is the Banshee Scream, and it has varying ranges depending on how many wounds it takes. And you just roll two dice for each enemy unit within range on the table. And if it's higher than that unit's bravery, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. Which is cool, considering how many leadership buffs or debuffs are in this army now. Right. Which is pretty alright. Um, and then they have a couple... This one has a very interesting special rule called a fine vintage. So if an enemy hero is slain within nine inches of the palanquin, you get to add one to the attack's characteristic of any melee weapons used by friendly soul blight units within 12 inches of this model until your next hero phase. Yeah. That's pretty legit. Four attack blood knights? Yes, please. Um question. Do, I mean it, that it and the palanquin counts itself, doesn't it? It's, yes. It, yeah, it's a friendly soul blight unit, so it's getting bonuses too. Mhm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, it's got Deathly Invocation. Now, this Deathly Invocation is only a six-inch range. 
But you can pick two models within si- two units within six inches and deadly invoke it. Um, its attacks aren't bad either. I mean, the spec- no. the ethereal weapons. You know, that's the same with everything. But this bloodletting blade, four attacks, threes by threes with run, rend, and D three damage. Okay, not bad either. It's the same sword that the zombie lord or the vampire lord on zombie dragon has, and the vampire lord on foot. So this thing is not a slouching combat either. Yeah, and then of course it's also a wizard because it's a vampire. It can cast a spell. It's got its arcane bullets, mystic shield, and the blood siphon. It's got a casting value of six. Pick a hero within 12 inches and roll a die. And this is great. Okay. I got a hero within 12 inches. Cast this. On a one to three, it takes a mortal wound. On a four to five, it takes D3 mortal wounds. And if you hit the six, it takes D6 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. And you just you be throwing that out every turn you're anywhere near a character. Yeah. So and especially if, this, especially if this pops a fine vintage. Because then the bubble goes off, because it doesn't say how you have to kill it. It just has to be a hero that dies within nine inches. Oh, yeah. So you can set the bubble off in the hero phase, and then guys move away, and they can still get the bonus attack. Oh, that's right. Between the Whale of the Damned and the Blood Siphon, you could, yeah, you can get the extra attacks going really easily. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. So it's a neat unit. I'm hoping that people start taking it. Yeah, um, and like I said, with the Soul Blight, I mean, it, it, you can run a Soul Blight army. I mean, it's not cheap because you know Blood Knights and stuff are kind of expensive unless you kit bash your own. But you got Vordry, you got the Lord on the Zombie Dragon, you got the Lord on foot or on a horse or on with his own wings. Um, you know, Morgast, Vargeist, all the bats. Uh, you know, if you want to take a non sort of non traditional death army, th- I mean this this in itself is a whole separate way to play. Mm-hmm. So I'm good with it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and then we get to malignant and death mages. What is the Mortis engine? What does that one fall under? It's it is what it is. It's just death. There is no. Uh, malignant allegiance ability or a malignant allegiance. It just got a word that says malignant. Okay. Um, and then death mages is what it falls under as far as um, it used to be its own little entry in Grand Alliance death. Right. They just kept it. So. Oh, okay. Um, um same thing as you said, Whale of the Damned, the the Spectral Host, the 14 move, all the same stats. Um, this one does not have Deathly Invocation. So no. that's it. But it's got, you know, like I said, the Whale of the Damned. Frightful Touch from the Spectral Host. Uh, the Reliquary, is the Reliquary the same? I think so, but it's still important to help because it's a... Kind of a 2d3 wound shift yeah. in units. Now, this one is like once per battle, you get to roll four dice and add the scores together, and everything within that many inches of it gets hit by a wave of necromantic force. Death units that are struck heal d3 wounds that have been allocated to them, so you can't put 
one wound models back, while any other unit struck suffers D3 mortal wounds. Important safety feature, this does not specify friendly death. So if you're playing death versus death, this is actually going to help them as well. Yes. And uh-huh. and plus one to casting rolls for death wizards, minus one for order, destruction, or chaos wizards. Mm-hmm. And again, important safety feature, it does not say friendly death wizards. So if you have a death wizard within 12 inches of this thing, even if it's not yours, they get a bonus to cast. So watch your placement. That is good advice. It works. Do what we can. <laughs> um, and then we're falling into. Well, they got the, well. We got the necromancer, and I don't think he's changed. He's still got Van Hells. He's got Deathly. No, he actually has changed. Oh, okay, well then, take it away. So he's got Deathly Invocation, which is the two uh, summonable units within six inches of him, so a shorter range. He used to have the option to go on a horse. Which he doesn't anymore. Oh, that's no, oh, that's right. And then his spell has changed because it used to be a mordant death rattle or death walk or a dead walker unit to get Van Hell's. Now it has to be a summonable unit. Oh, so no more on the ghouls. No more on the ghouls. Well, that's yeah, and okay. it also means that you can't do this on. Like any of the, most of the soul bite stuff doesn't have it. Um, and then it does give a little bonus because hex race and spirit hosts are summonable. And you oh. couldn't hit them with this before. Now you can. There you go. So we, so it works on different, different units. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's not bad. Um, no. And you can, uh, did it have undead minions before? It did. But it used to be just any death unit. Now, now it's, it's a summonable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, zombies are still zombies. You know, yeah. Five ups, unless you got a unit of 40, and then it's threes by threes, and then you put it near a corpse cart, and it's twos by threes. Um, and they had the newly dead before. Roll a die for every model that the zombies kill, and on a six, you get another zombie. Yeah, I love zombies. Now they did actually lose the horde, the herd up rule, or whatever it was, where if you had two units within X many inches of each other in the hero phase, they could mash together and mob up. That might not be a bad thing. That yeah, that was a really clunky mechanic. I understand why it was there. It was cool. It was thematic, but it just slowed the game down, and it was just really clunky to do. So doing away with it. I'm perfectly okay with. Me too. Um, corpse carts, pretty much the same, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, except now, could you could you use the, could you ah were you able to use the crypt sword before? Was that on them? Yeah, that was a thing. All right, so same thing. Um, what's their big bonus? Uh, plus one to casting, or if you choose the other loadout, it's minus one to casting for enemy wizards. Uh, plus one for friendly death wizards. It just depends on the uh, on the go. So you got corpse cards listed in here, terrorgeist and zombie dragon. All the same, I believe. Uh, yeah. The only, the thing is, these are now like flesh eater courts, terrorgeist and zombie dragons. Um, and in the original flesh eater courts book, 
the Terrorgeist got to heal wounds, if they were near a king, or an abhorrent ghoul king, they don't have it in this version. Okay, so, question. Go. I'm playing Legions of Nagash. Uh, obviously, I've got to use this Terrorgeist. Yeah. If I'm playing is... Flesh Eater Quartz, do I just get to use the other Terrorgeist? Yes. Okay. Now so the two flavors. Gotcha. The real trick is there's three. Um, because I... there's the Beasts of the Grave Terrorgeist in Grand Alliance Death, which this essentially replaces... Right. But that one you could summon. Same with the zombie dragon. You could. In, in that, but there's nobody you can't summon anymore. Not, not unless you use that old war scroll. But I'm saying there's no there's no spells to... Oh, if you have it, it says you can summon one. Yeah, this is why whenever we run events, we specify to players that they have to use the most updated versions of War Scrolls for the models in their army, because there's a huge difference between a non-summoning Terrorgeist, a healing Terrorgeist, and a summoning Terrorgeist in terms of functionality. So, so always double-check. So what would you do with this? Would you say if you're playing Flesh Eater Courts, you use the Terrorgeist in the Flesh Eater Courts book, but if yes. you're playing Naga- Legions of Nagash, you play this Terrorgeist, and nobody's playing the old one? That is exactly what I would call. That's what I would call, too. Look, we're thinking alike. I love it. Mm-hmm. You should be frightened, but I love it. Uh, Zombie Dragon, he's pretty much the same. Yes, he is. So that's still the same, and we've still got so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously, this is ridiculous. There's too many units in this book. I never thought I'd hear myself say that. Eleven more bugs. Okay. And I'm not trying to rush through this. It's just so much of it's the same. And I'm looking at going, wait, this is the same. This is the same. We know what these are. Um, Black Knights, same? Yes. Yes. Graveguard, same? Yes. Okay. The biggest thing to pay attention with uh, any of the undead with horns or musicians is that they automatically charge at least six inches. So... And that's another commonality with regards to these units. Yeah, the standard bear gives you the minus one. Hornblower means you can't charge less than six, which I think is great. Yeah, that is that's getting a- that guaranteed minimum is a really useful item. Yeah, because I get up close enough. If I'm within six, it's like, okay, I don't even have to worry. I know I've made this charge. I'd like to roll it because I'd like to roll higher so I can kind of slide them around and get them all within a, in a good spot. But, you know, a guaranteed six, I'll take that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because a lot of these units are slow. I mean, not not the Black Knights, but, you know, everybody else is, is moving a four, you know? Yeah. Um. Okay, the White King, whether he takes the axe or the blade. Now, if he's got the Tomb Blade, he gets uh, a three-up save. Yes. And if he takes the black axe, he's only got a four-up save. Mm-hmm. But if he takes the black axe, he halves his wounds, which is nice. Yes, it's half the number of wounds allocated to smell from each attack rounding up, and the remainder are negated, which is cool. Uh, it makes him a bit more survivable. I still take the one with the shield just to guarantee the three-up, but 
That's right. just me. Uh, and then their axes and swords haven't changed. They each get deathly invocation two units within six inches. They have the exact same command ability, which is pick death rattle unit within 18 inches, and they get plus one attack, which is cool. Um, the important thing with the White King with the Tomb Blade, he used to be able to take a banner that oh. uh, essentially bubbled out another six-up save. He doesn't have that option anymore. I see. Fun fact, they don't make that model anymore. <laughs> well, there you go. That's why. So, coincidence. You know, I'm just wondering how... I'm just I keep I keep looking I, I keep running a list in my head that's a ton of zombies. Why, David? Stop it! Just a couple of big units of zombies, a couple of corpse carts, and just a bunch of characters behind, just goading them on and adding to them. I got. I just feel like I could just move them across the board and be like, "Here we come!" Just and it would work because there's so many and they could. Then you could literally hit on twos by threes or threes by twos. It's just so dumb. Yeah, I just worry that skeletons have outpaced them with regards to their total abilities. That's true. So, all right, but I mean, I just you know me, and I've got about. I know I'm, you have. Uh, I got a hundred skeletons, but eventually I'm going to have a bajillion zombies again, or at mm-hmm. least I think about two hundred should do it. Because then I could take three units of 60 and have stuff to spare. Sure. So, uh, we just, they're not, they're not oh, going to make new zombies, are they? They're not going to make them. And they I did just put them with round bases, so I think we've got old man winners for a while. Uh, what do you think, folks? Should I just bite the bullet and buy the GW zombies, even though I hate them? Or should I use the Mantic zombies, even though I don't want to use them because I don't want to use them? Even I would just bite the bullet, take the GW zombies, or just get more GW skeletons. <laughs> I could use another hundred of them, too. You could? I could. All right, speaking of skeletons, um, have they changed? Not at all. Nope. An extra attack when they're near a hero. No, extra no it's an extra attack. plus one to hit. Oh, plus one to hit. Yeah. Oh, that's actually not bad because I don't think I have any with spears. So hit threes by fours with yeah, extra with the attacks. ancient blades. With the spears, though, when you attack in three ranks at fours by fours, and then you add one attack if they have twenty or more models, add two if they have thirty or more. Oh, so, so each one of those skeletons is three attacks. I don't for own any of three those. rows of fighters. Not including Lord of Bones, not including any other bonuses to their attack numbers. At fours by fours with rerolls, depending on your abilities. So, there's a lot you can do with a skeleton. Yes, you can. And I just saw someone on one of my WhatsApp groups had just posted up their skeletons. And the little recipe they had, I think I might try, because they looked really sharp. Mm. So we'll see what's going on. Oh, I'm just, you know, I, I, I got to get them at least rebased. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've still got all this Stormcast stuff sitting on my table that I got to like polish off and at least get them cleaned up and done and put away. Mm-hmm. Too many projects because there's so much cool stuff coming out. Man, remember when you had three months between a book and you had plenty of time to build your army? 
Not anymore. Oh, that was the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a stupid thing to say. All right. Uh, Karen Wraiths. Um, have they, are they the same? The ethereal rule has changed. So now you just ignore... Well, they got a four-up save and you ignore all modifiers. Yeah, positive or negative. So it essentially makes them immune to Mystic Shield, immune to Cover, and immune to Rend. So they basically, they just have what, what we... You know, the old four-up ward. Essentially, it's a four-up against all attacks except mortal wounds. Oh, that's true. So, all right. Um, yeah. What about the Banshee? With the exception of Ethereal, she's the same. Okay, there we go. And what about Hex Wraiths? I think they picked up an extra attack. Okay, And their Spectral Hunter's ability lets them do it off 5-up. I think it was a 6-up previously. So that's like, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, in the movement phase... After the unit is moved, you can pick an enemy unit that was passed across by any models from that unit. Um, and if you do so, roll a dice for each hex rate that passed across that enemy unit. For each roll of a 5+, plus, the enemy unit suffers a mortal wound. I think it used to be 6s. And these things, like the whole goal for these is, I think, is to charge them into something. And then retreat out of combat and fly over the unit you were fighting to slash at them. Because you have a 12-inch move. Yeah, plus a run. Well, and they fly, so you kind of go... Up and over anyway. Yeah, you pass across by... it. Yeah, so with a 12... Yeah, you could just yeah be zooming these guys over and rolling dice and just looking for fives to do mortals. Yeah, not so... Bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And now that you're not ranking them up, you don't have to worry about playing and shifting their shape so you can make sure everyone goes across. You just push them all across. Yeah, that was the biggest problem with them in the old edition was to try to get the line to get the movement right. Now it's a lot more user-friendly. Yes, yes. Um, Black Coach, is he the same? Um, I love the Black Coach. The model's a little dated, though. It is. I wish they would put out a new one because it's even kind of tiny. Yeah. Um, In the... GHP 2017, he is a leader, so he's actually a hero, and he still is a hero, um, but he lost the leader battlefield role. I don't know if they FAQ'd that back into existence. Um, so this guy could be your general, if you really wanted him. Okay. I think. I don't know. That it was. It's kind of weird. Um, and it doesn't have ethereal. But it's Night Haunt. Oh, yeah. The the coach is just in a really weird place right now. So, I don't know. Yeah, because I, that was one of the cool things I liked was you could charge it up. And this one, let's see. Uh, the first level, if you get... The, and if you don't know how to charge it up, you count up all the friendly death wizards within 12 inch and roll a die. And so if you got three or four wizards around it, and a lot of these things are wizards... Roll the dice, and for every six, you gain a level. And it's cumulative. So the first one you get, um, after you complete a charge, pick an enemy unit within an inch, and that takes D3 mortal wounds. That's not bad. Uh, Second level, its movement goes up to 14 from 10. 
Third level, plus one to hit. So now it's hitting on threes. Fourth level, it can fly. Fifth level, it can unbind a spell. Well, that's different. Yeah. They used to have six levels, though, and that was the ethereal one. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. I'd love but to see. But in a five-turn game. Yeah, but, I mean, honestly, you think of, I mean, you could have two or three necromancers around it, and if you roll decent, you know, boom, mm-hmm. two turns. I've, I've played the game where I've had this thing up and running in two turns, like full blast. Yeah, back when they used to be different. Yeah. Um, something we missed with regards to all the ethereal stuff, they all have Frightful Touch now. So anytime that they roll a six or more to hit, they get to do that many mortal wounds. Instead of normal damage, so oh. they're kind of like uh, so paladins. Want, yeah, yeah. The black coach it's damage too with that scythe. So with the scythe, six same thing with the Cairn uh, Wraith, and then the Banshee does D three damage. Uh, so they all have that, and I think that is a new change for all of the ghosts. I like that. If it's a perfect touch, it grabs, it touches your soul. All right, I'm, I'll stop that. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> Spirit hosts, uh, still, did, were they always three wounds? Yeah, I thought they were four. Um, even back at Holy Havoc, I thought they were four. Nope, they're just three. And it's just basically ethereal and frightful touch. Six attacks, five by fours, nothing great. Uh, dire wolves. Dude, dire wolves are super popular on the, like I said, the little groups that I'm in. People would rather take these um, than oh, they, oh, they're listed as a zombie too. Oh, they're zombie dogs. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are like, oh, I just want to take a, you know big units of these instead of other things. And I was like, oh, okay. Because um, are they? Yeah, they're battle line. And they're like, oh, I just take these instead of 30 of these instead of 60 zombies. Well, they are two yeah. wounds apiece, so, and they got to save. Yeah, they have a decent save. They're really fast. They get plus one to wound rolls when they charge. And if they're within nine inches of a corpse cart, they get to reroll, or they get to add one to their save rolls. So, so they go up to up. a four up. So they're not a bad unit, and it's a lot less models to paint for battle line compared to, like, zombos or skeletons. Yeah, they aren't too bad. I got about 10 or 15 of these. I may have to try them out. Yeah. So, no, it's a good unit. Um, I'm glad they made one zombie halfway decent. <laughs> um, so, And that's, that is all, no, that's all the units. and It's all the units. Yeah. I don't, I, I just, I feel like we've gone through, we took all this time in these early ones and now we're just, Racing through this. I don't want anyone to think we're racing through it for any... I mean, I got all day to do this. I just... I don't want to read every little stat for something that it hasn't changed in a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we can talk about all these War Scroll Battalions and answer the confusing questions that I had yesterday and had to go and actually read the rules, and I read the wrong one, so I was confused as heck. But now we'll explain it so nobody else has to be dumb like me. So we'll be back.
Hey, check out that guy in the Garage Hammer shirt. Who cares about him? Look at that guy with the Garage Hammer hoodie. That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in garage gear. And we are back with all of the wonderful War Scroll Battalions in the Legions of Nagash, because there's a lot of them. There are. And I got confused, because when I looked at it, it's like, ooh, Grand Host of Nagash, the first cohort, Legion of Sacrament, Lords of Sacrament, uh, Death, Death March, Death, Castellans and Crimson Keep, and I'm like, wait a minute, can I only use these if I'm that particular... Uh, Looking at it now, because... Those are keywords above the well, name of the battalion. Well, and the thing is, I looked, and it's, on, I mean, on this particular book, I looked, it's on page 88, but when it, it explains War Scrolls, if you look under it where they've got the little picture, and they literally use the Grand Host of Nagash picture, where it says allegiance under number four, if a battalion has an allegiance, it can be included in an army that has that allegiance, even if some of the units are from a different faction. However, its units only benefit from the army allegiance abilities if they have that keyword. And I thought, oh, so then I could, there's only one for each of these, and then a bunch for death, who really no one's going to play anymore. What's the point? And then um, the nice people that were on the group with me, rather than make fun of me, pointed out that, A, uh, that just means when you have a mixed group, you know, like Stormcast and A Daughters of Cain, which is in the Daughters of Cain book, that even though it's a, it's a Daughters of Cain allegiance, those Stormcast get that ability and get that thing. So I thought that was the rule, but someone uh, pointed me to page uh, sixty, page sixty, where it says Legions of Nagash. When you're choosing your army, you may decide it is taken from one of the legions. If you do, choose one of the following faction keywords, and they list. Grand Host, and the Three Legions. All units and War Scroll Battalions in your army selected from this battle tome gain that keyword. Mm. So the units, okay. the battalions, everything. So if I'm taking a Grand Host of uh, Nagash, and uh, I, I'm flipping between the pronunciations because I can't even choose one. I'm a dunce. So if I take the first cohort, which is listed as the Grand Host, and the Grand Host, you can't, it has to be because it, it, Nagash is in the list, so he that has to be that. But if I wanted to take the Legion of Sacrament and take Archon and the Necromancers and the Mortis Engine, I could take that still as Grand Host, even though it says Legion of Sacrament. I could take Death March, the Castellans, anything, um, and make it one of those four. So, um, now I don't. You, know, you can't do it in reverse, though, can you? Because you have to pick one of those four. I can't pick one of these and just make it death. Uh huh. I didn't think about that. When you're choosing your army, you may decide to take it from one of the legions of Nagash. If you do, also if it's a legion of Nagash, it, it can be under any of those four, but not the other way around. All right. 
Shall we go through these? Yeah. And there's six of them, I believe, right? Two, four. There are a few, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first cohort. I like this one. Uh, yeah. You take Nagash, you take a unit of Morgaths, and three or more units of skeletons, graveguards, and or black knights. So the stuff that's really popular right now. Um, every time a mortal wound is allocated to Nagash, you can pick a Morgast unit from the first cohort within three inches and roll a dice. On a three-up, you can put it on the Morgast unit. Now, unlike some of the other War Scroll Battalions that says, or you could just add extras, it's literally just one unit of Morgasts. Mm-hmm. So you can't take two or three. You have to take one big one if you really want to protect him. Um, and then you got the other rule. Oh, I like this a lot. This is one of the things I love about it. If he's using Deathly Invocation on any unit from the cohort, which I think works for... I know it's the Skeletons. I know the Grave Guards. Are the Black Knights summonable? Yes. Black Knights are summonable. More guests are not. Not okay. So, but any of the any of your foot soldiers or your or your your um, that D three is automatically a three. So yeah. he's picking five or six units and just putting back three. Don't even need to roll. Who cares? He's the supreme lord of the undead. Mm-hmm. And like he gets it. to re-roll it with his own war scroll, but just to make it a flat three. Yeah. I mean, you could re-roll it and still get a one, but nope, just a mm-hmm. flat three, plus any other guys you put in that aren't part of this battalion. This, I like it. It's It's got stuff you want to take, and it's got a great... Now that, that is a great bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to take the Legion of Sacrament? Sure. So this one is Archon, two or more Necromancers, and a Mortis Engine. And essentially, in your hero phase, each wizard... From the battalion may cast an additional spell while they're within six inches of the battalion's mortis engine. So you get a lot more work out of your wizards. And then in addition, in the shooting phase, you get to add one to save rolls for units from the battalion whilst they're within six inches of the battalion's mortis engine. So it encourages the coven play style uh, with all your wizards bubbled around the mortis engine. who also gives the bonus to death wizards within range. Um, so... Essentially, just plays like a little power ball and just casts a lot of spells. So, the, pretty the, nice. The Mortis Engine itself is not a wizard. The guy on it is not a wizard. No, but he still gives the buff to the Death Wizards within twelve inches of him. Right. So, so your wizards are hitting these numbers higher. Yeah, especially Archon. And then being able to cast that many more spells and, again, compensating for how squishy they are in the shooting phase to make all of your necromancers six or five-up saves. Archon goes to a two. Against shooting, yeah. So it's like you got those behind your wall of skeletons or zombies. Yeah, go ahead and try to pick them off. That's fine. Yeah. You keep so it makes it life a lot harder. Yeah. So that I like that one as well. I can see that one being played or not. Plus, it's cheap. I mean, for that, for the bonuses it gives, you know, just making them all better, it's 70 points? Yeah. Yeah. So you're paying for less deployments and a free artifact on one of your other necromancers, because Archon obviously can't take a trait or an artifact. Right. But then you can pick two different artifacts to go on your necromancers, and 
with how the Legion is set up, you get the bang for your buck because most of those artifacts don't want to be anywhere near combat. Right. Very nice. Um, now, uh, they threw a couple of death ones in the middle. Do you want to go over and keep going through the different... Uh, let's let's jump to the Court of Nulamia. Sure. Um, I might have missed something with this, so I will let you explain why it's good. I'll just tell you what it is. It's Neferata... Two or more vampire lords and the Bloodseeker Palanquin. Um, within nine inches of the Palanquin, you can reroll failed hit rolls for her if the target's an enemy hero. For Neferata specifically. Yes. So if she's trying to kill a hero, and she's got, the, and we already covered it, she has special rules for if she goes after heroes because she likes to kill heroes. Yeah, and she hits on twos to begin with. Yeah. So you're giving her just a little extra security blanket. Uh, and then at the start of the movement phase, units from the Court of Nulamia that are within nine inches of the palanquin can add four to their movement characteristic. So basically, if you're keeping them in another one of these little coven bubbles, the whole thing's just going to move together anyway, and then it's going to move an extra four inches, which makes up for whoever's slowing anybody down. If anyone's got mm-hmm. a lower movement characteristic, because then you can only move as fast as your slowest guy to keep them all in range. Yeah. So, I mean, not the greatest. It basically, it it does what she does. It's like she's really buffing herself. Like, she's in it to, to kill heroes and, and be, that, be that guy. Yeah. And for the Vampire Lords, it's not asking for the Vampire Lord War Scroll. It's asking for models of the Vampire Lord keyword. Yeah, that's right. It's in bold. So you could take a Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon with this, go up to movement 18 on the dragon, and have that thing running around with Neferata just bashing stuff apart. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. You want to take It's the- expensive. You're not going to have a lot of troops, but it's going to hit hard. Yeah, cuz everything on it is is beefy and that's and even the now the the war, that war school is also only 70. Those are the two cheapest ones. Yeah. The first cohort's but, the most expensive at uh, 160 and then 140 for the Nightfall pack. Of course, Manfred's stuff is expensive. He's such a... Yeah, he's out of yuts. All right. I like him. So, yeah, Manfred's pretty cool. And this, one's, this one's a very thematic one. So it's Manfred, two units of Argeist, and three or more units of Skeleton Warriors. And remember, they get the bonus save if they're within their own territory as the bait. So, for this one, it's Swooping Predators. So, on any turn in which they completed a successful charge move, you get to add one to the attacks characteristic for the battalion's Vargais. And if these guys are coming in from Ageless Cunning, they're going to be that much closer. And they have Exploding Wounds. So, whenever they kill a model, they get to roll a dice to try to do more more attacks. attacks. So, you're just increasing your odds to do exponential more damage. And then Call of the Night is Manfred using his Deathly Invocation ability on any unit with of Skeleton Warriors. From the pack, you get to reroll the D3 result. So it makes his replacing models much more consistent. Yeah. Neither of these, I think, are necessarily as strong as the first two. No. But if this is... Okay, here's the thing. If this is the Mortark you're taking... You probably want to take the battalion for the lower drops and because take the bonus. Yeah. 
because it works to their to what the rest of their stuff does. Like these these the synergies actually here aren't too bad for that particular style of play for that particular Mortark. Mm-hmm. So, and then we got the two death ones. Which one do you want? I want to do Crimson Keep because that's just me. All right, so I will take the Death March, and um, this actually has an FAQ, and I actually have it up for once in the you know in a while. So I will include that. Uh, it's got a White King, a unit of Black Knights, a unit of Grave Guard, three units of Skeleton Warriors. So a lot of bones rolling around here. Um, what's the bonus for this? At the start of the hero phase, you can put back one slain model for each Death March unit within nine inches of the White King. So you get back a Black Knight, you get back a, a, a Grave Guard model, and you get back at least one. You get one in you know in each of the. So you're getting five models back if stuff's dead on every turn. Now, uh, March of the Dead, they have uh, slightly changed the rules of it. It used to just be like you can all move up to four inches, but apparently people wanted to use that in ways it wasn't supposed to. So here comes the FAQ. It now reads, at the start of your hero phase, each unit from this battalion wholly within 12 inches of the White King and more than 3 inches from an enemy unit can move 4 inches. So it's got a little extra range, but you've got to be wholly within it. You can't just be stretched out and have one guy within the range. Um, mm-hmm. They can't run or move within 3 inches of an enemy unit. And the distance to the White King must be measured before any of these moves are made. So basically, you know, before you move them, make sure they're wholly within 12. And then they get a 4-inch move. But you can't, that doesn't allow you to get move, you know, suddenly you're into combat. You got to do it the legit way. Nobody's allowed to do that anymore, it seems. No. So, um, not bad if you want to play with the White King and all of his foot soldiers. You know, if you if that's the if that's the path you're taking, if you're going with all those bonuses, uh, an extra a little extra movement doesn't hurt. Yeah, especially if you stack it with Mastery of Death from Legion of Sacrament, where you get all friendly death units within six inches of him, within six inches of the general, get an immediate three inch move. Oh, that's so you could nice. essentially move seven inches every hero phase. Oh, that is nice. With some parameters, yeah. So, yeah, you have to play to it, but it's one of those things that the bags of bones can suddenly be, I don't know, halfway up the table turn one and then on you turn two. They're almost moving as fast as Nurgle people now. Yeah. And there's a lot more of them. Oh, yeah. Okay, um... We are on the last War Scroll Battalion, which means we are on the last War Scroll. Everyone take a breath. <laughs> yeah, last one. So this one I like. I used to play a Blood Dragon army in Old Eighth Edition. And why wouldn't and you? It was awesome. Yeah, it was nice to play with a dragon. So this one is Vorjai and three or more units of Blood Knights. Now this one's got a really interesting rule. So at the start of the game, after you determine territories, but before you set up any units, you pick a battlefield edge and let your opponent know which edge this is. And that's actually in the FAQ. Do I have to tell them the edge? And it's like, uh, yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, instead of setting up this battalion, you can place it to one side and say set up in the keep, 
And then at the end of any of your movement phases, you can set up any units from this battalion holier than six inches of the chosen edge and more than nine from enemy models. So that's cool. A little extra ambush, but not too out of line. The right. Because I'm sorry. I was just saying having to tell your opponent which side they could either choose to pile up there and get ready for you or stay all sorts of away from you. Mm-hmm. So it's making your opponents make a choice. Yep. And it's not pressing an unfair advantage either. No, it's pretty good. So what's their other bonus? So for the other one is while they're within 15 inches of the battlefield edge picked for the first rule, you can reroll failed hit rolls for the Blood Knight lances or blades used by units in this battalion. So these guys are normally threes or twos to hit, depending if it's a unit champion or just a regular Blood Knight. Now you get to pick all those up and reroll the misses. Wound on three, rend one, damage D3 each on the charge. And these guys put out a bucket of attacks. I like that. Yeah, it's expensive once you add it all up, but it is still a nice bit of damage all of a sudden. Crimson Keep cost you 90. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The Lord of the Zombie Dragon. It was the Lord. No, no. It's, it's Vordry. Vordry. Sorry. Vordry. Not just, not just regular one. He's 480. So now you're up to, what, 570? And mm-hmm. three units of Blood Knights. Oh, that's 780. So I said 390. So now we're looking at uh, 11. No, no. You said 590. 590. And seven eighty, so we're looking at thirteen seventy, just Ish, for that. Yeah, yeah. That and that, unless you're running soul blight, none of that is battle line. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, you could run it as soul blight, couldn't you? You could, and then you can pick up one of the bloodlines to make the blood knights even nastier. Whether that's making them charge, or making them plus two movement and flying. Or re-rolling ones to hit on the charge, which you get anyway from the battalion. Um, yeah, so then you, that allows you, that makes it easy to pick something else. Yeah. So like either the uh, what do you call it, the swift death or necromantic to give more <laughs> give more bravery bubble effects, oh. or they always get the six up save. Uh, from the uh, Deathless Thralls, Mike even Quirk if they're not within six inches of a hero. What do you add, What do you take with the rest of this? Then, how do you fill out that army? Um, just, you either do it as soul blight, or you just take a lot of cheap dire wolves. Yeah, if you're going to, if you want to do it as a host, huh? Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, because it has to be soul. Mm, yeah. Because you're not taking a bunch of zombies and you're not taking a bunch of... I mean, you can if you want to make it one of the legions. You would just have to take three battle line units, which with uh, Dire Wolves being battle line, it's not that expensive, but then you're dealing with a very elite yeah. death army. That's coming in from off the table on one side. Yeah, so that means they're not getting shot at their first turn, and chances are with that massive of a deployment... You're going to get to decide who goes first. Your opponent goes first. You have the potential for the double turn. And then your guys don't get shot to pieces before they move. 
Well, that works. Yeah, so I mean, there is definitive value to this battalion. You just have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that. And like I said, uh, every one of these battalions, I mean, depending on who you feel like playing with, I mean, they've literally got one for all the major characters. Mm-hmm. Or if you just want to take a bunch of necromancers, or if you want to take some white kings, there's there is a battal- there's a war scroll battalion for you and bonus artifacts for yeah. your playstyle. And as we've discussed, this is one of those armies that with the same models you can play it so many different ways. So it makes the death faction much more dynamic. Yeah. There's there's this I think was a good fix. Mm-hmm. I think this was a good fix. Um I'm pleased with this book. Yes, absolutely. This is what Death needed. Yeah. And even though they didn't get quote-unquote new models, they definitely made the army feel new. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, gave, it gave them that uh, uh, a little... It, it gave them the bump they needed. They were pretty... Um, they were they a little stale. Voodoo. They were stale. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely stale, and uh, I can understand people wanting to see some fancy new stuff because, I mean, I, I mean, it makes sense in the lore that the Death Faction is just Nagash and everyone he controls. But people, you know, it, it is also the only uh, Grand Alliance that is made up of one faction, you know? Mm-hmm. Because even flesh eater courts fall under his purview to some degree. I mean, they ally with him, and they're and it's not like they're a completely different line, right? You know. Whereas, I mean, even destruction's got orcs, it's got goblins or grots, and it's got ogres, um, which is two to three, depending how you break that down. So I can see, yeah, how this and it's got it. three allegiance abilities in destruction as it is. In addition to regular destruction. Right. So there's a lot to cover in destruction, even though that is probably the bottom of the totem pole right now for overall Grand Alliance, unfortunately. Uh, Well, I got my fingers crossed that they know what they're doing, and after a couple of these elf releases, we'll see some grot releases or some maybe a... a, I wouldn't mind seeing a new orc book. I wouldn't mind it. I, I'm personally just waiting on Grapbag Scuttlers. Um, I just don't want them to play like Overlords. I've seen some guys online doing conversions for Grotz as Caradron Overlords, and that's fine. But that it's not the same. Well, and that's so. the thing. Yeah, they mentioned them in 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 the in the lore section in in the Ko book. Uh, I, I still want to just see regular grot rules, you know. Uh, yeah. I want to see some, you know, some just all the stuff that we've been looking for. The Moon Clan, and and you know, we got this nice new, uh, nice new mushroom brother. Let's see that stuff getting getting built up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not complaining. It's coming fast and furious. It's coming too fast, as a matter of fact. And I'm not complaining. I just can't keep up. I can't keep up. Yeah. I'm like behind on books. I'm behind on the the fiction. I'm behind. I have barely cracked Daughters of Cain. When am I going to have time? Yeah, and everyone, I mean, like, this is what we've been building up for since they stopped with the new 
battle tomes essentially with Blades of Corn last year. I mean, they had to drop the monster that was 40k, and now Age of Sigmar is coming at us like a juggernaut because we're on our third battle tome now with the campaign supplement with whatever is coming next. Like there is, there is no sign of stopping Tau with is GW next, right now. That's not it. Okay, those are your fishmen that are coming. But yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, I like that that's popping up in the Daughters of Cain book, just the whatever those people are called. And you're like, wait, who are those people? And then you showed us the picture. Now, the boat did have the twin-tailed comet on it, so either they're friends with him. Well, of course, if they are elves, then they're order, so they would be. But uh, I don't know. After the troll at uh, LVO with Warhammer Battletome Fishmen, <laughs> and then... The the ship actually looked like something out of Dreadfleet. Oh yeah. So I wonder if that was just a big mock up of something with a goldfish. Ah, that's true. Well, you know what? And all right, let's let's not bring up Dreadfleet. We know what that mistake was, uh, and that mistake was not making it be Man of War so that we could actually yes. play with all that cool stuff. That would be cool if that was a total fake out, and they're bringing out some man of war stuff. I, I would, I would play that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nautical battles in AOS. I'd go for it. <laughs> Why not? That's the only place we haven't gone. We're in the sky. We're in the fire. We're in the metal. We're all over the ground. We're falling off of things. Let's uh, let's have some water battles. I'll play it. I'll play anything at this point, dude. The stuff they're putting out is so top notch. Uh, you know, they've they've they're really. The last thing I think I bought from them as one of these little standalone games that I never really play is the uh, the one with the four corn heroes in, in the pit fighting, which wasn't Core chosen. Yeah, which wasn't bad. It's just it's pretty much you know okay, I played it and there's you know that's what it is. There's no real expansions or extra stuff for it. Yeah, that one was kind of on the weaker end of the one box releases, but you get stuff like Warhammer Quest and then Shadespire. Obviously, is the big standout. <sighs> So amongst all of those so, so good but uh i think that's the book yes thankfully and look we're coming in at about five hours not six we were wrong we hey man it. i just said it would take as long as it took well actually and now it, this is just five hours of recording i'm looking at this with about seven commercial breaks i'm either gonna have to figure out some music to drop or else there's or else i've already if you're listening to this i don't know what i did yet because i haven't done it i don't know if there's readings i don't know what's in here there's still some work to do with this but i'm just excited for this book it is actually making me rebase my undead so that eventually at some point i will get to play it um I have so much because I got all that stuff from Tomlin. Yeah. So. So, um, as far as next episode, folks, um, we're supposed to be releasing Adepticon Weekend. It's supposed to be the next episode. That's twenty fifth. Oh, that's oh, oh. So that means we have to record an episode pre Adepticon, and for those that are not intimately familiar with my schedule for Adepticon, that weekend before Adepticon, I don't do anything. Because that's the only time I get to breathe before Tuesday when I pick up Face Hammer at O'Hare. And that's when Adepticon starts. Oh, that's right. Oh, the Face Hammer guys are going to be there. That's right. Yeah, I pick up uh, Russ and Les and 
one of the other ones. I can't remember if Byron's coming in on Tuesday or Wednesday with the Heel and Hammer guys. So, yeah, Tuesday I pick up Face Hammer, Wednesday is Heel and Hammer, and then it's on, baby. So Nice. So, okay, basically what we're telling you is our next episode is going to be late. It's going to be late or short, I think, is one of the big things. I know everyone's talking about Daughters of Cain right now. I just don't know if it's going to happen it's, by the no, 25th. That's not, no, no. No. It's not. I haven't even gotten to read through yet. We're not doing Daughters of Cain yet. In fact, I think this is a good point. Um, you and I were talking, and it's not a bad point to bring this up. And I'm curious as to what everybody who is a listener wants. So, of course, I'll just put up a poll on the Garage Hammer Facebook page. Um, mm-hmm. Like, do you? Like, I don't know what. I mean, I want to put out shows that the listeners want to listen to, right? And I'll put up a post on our Patreon page too. Um, I just feel like this stuff is coming out so fast that this is all we're doing is book reviews. And the show was never meant to just be book review after book review after book review, really, um, because they never used to come this fast. Uh, And it seems like everybody is rushing to put out, like, you know, my, my, my podcast thing is just a slew of Legions of Nagash and Daughters of Cain stuff. Um, I have a, I just, I don't want to rush. And that's what it comes down to. Like, I don't feel that, that, and I know Alex, you know, you, everyone knows you've played tested this. You've at least played these things. So you have a, 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 a good idea of at least how things interact and how things work on the rule side. And of course we try to deliver the same quality always on the lower side, but it just feels like we're rushing to keep up and get these things out before the next thing. Yeah. And it, then becomes for the listeners that listen to multiple Age of Sigmar podcasts, whether that's us or Healing Hammer, Face Hammer, Age of Sigbra, you know, just all of those various podcasts that we digest on social media, it all becomes the same chatter. We're all talking about the same thing. Right. So then at some point you drone it out because, oh, I heard it on this show, I heard it on that show. Although I will so, say you rarely hear the same thing between us and Face Hammer. There's a yeah. nice dichotomy there. I'm not saying they're bad. I like that show. They know what they're talking about. But mm-hmm. at least it's, at least you're getting something different, you know. I just, yeah. you know, I and I, I think you feel the same way, Alex. We want yeah. to put out a quality podcast, and we don't want to rush things just so we can be out there with everybody. It's not like this is a zero-sum game where... You know, once you've listened to a coverage of a book from one group, you can't listen to it from another group. But it's just it, to hear it the same time at the same time exactly, and everything like that. It just becomes a little much. So so we may just – and when, when the new stuff comes out, at least lore-wise, we may cover that and then come back to rules and things later. Um, we may just do a whole book later. So when something comes out, I just – I don't want to be beholden to this release schedule because it's psychotic. Yes. To try to keep up. Like, I, you know, I I would love to cover some of these Black Library books. When? We've literally got, we've got Adepticon, Daughters of Cain. I mean, that's taking us through March and into April. And who knows what's going to come out by April? I mean, 
there could be three more books the way these guys are going because it's nutty. You know, um, mm-hmm. there won't be three more books, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like with how many releases that are coming out, and it's just just one after the other after the other. We want to produce a podcast that is entertaining to listen to, informative, but is also giving you some different content to listen to. Aside from, I'm going to go from the Face Hammer review to the Garage Hammer review to this, that, and the other thing. So we're just trying to do something to keep it fresh and provide the same quality as opposed to rushing out these episodes. And so. I'd, and I'd, I'd really like to wait and have a chance to digest it a little bit instead of just giving up. Because if we're doing it at this rate, everything we're doing is first impressions. Whether I've had the book for two weeks or three weeks, it's it's still first impressions. And, and I don't want to just be throwing that out all the time. It just it's exhausting for us, and I think it's exhausting for the listeners. Yeah. So we'll you know I'd, I'll I will I would we we welcome your opinions. You can send them to garagehammer at live dot com. You can put them on the Facebook page. You can tweet at us. All that stuff. We're happy for it. Okay. We just we want to have quality stuff put out and you know we'd like to think that our show has something unique to offer and just cranking out book reviews ain't it i mean we do a good job with those and ours are very in-depth and that's what we're known for but let's add ourselves in the back or anything like that but yeah yeah yeah. but let's add a little more to our arsenal yeah, so. and that's what we're saying. I just, I, you know, we have some ideas of other things we can do that might be fun, that might focus on a few other things, and it's not like we won't go back to them. Because mm-hmm. we still have to go back for like Iron Jaws and. <laughs> no, we do. We do. I know, and I mean, someday we will. Eventually, they'll yeah. slow this down a little bit. You know, oh boy, oh boy, I. Who would have thought in seven years of doing this that seven, almost eight years of doing this? I mean, I've never had this problem. Listen, we can't just, we we can't put out stuff. I remember Christopher and I like seeing the, the like when they, would, when they would get them to the store a week ahead of time and you could look at them. So if you knew what you wanted to buy and I was just sitting there pouring over and looking at it and just like, you know, feverishly, you know, trying to remember all this stuff so we can get out that report first to everybody. But this isn't—I mean, th- this isn't the news. You know, it's not like we don't have to rush to be the first to report it. We're not—you uh, know—I mean, we have the Garage Hammer Network news, but that ain't what the show is. So, I think in the future we are not going to be rushing through this anymore because it's hectic and crazy and we've talked too long about it, but I think it's important that you guys know what we're thinking of doing um, because you guys are the reason we're doing this. And if you absolutely loathe this idea, we'd like to know it now. Um, Yeah. If you think it's a good idea or have any suggestions, like I said, we're happy to hear them. So let us know what you think. There will be a poll on the Garage Hammer Facebook page. Uh, uh, Patreon patrons, you will be getting um, uh, some questions and some stuff right on the Patreon site. So go check your messages. Um, 
But I think that's it. I think we're done. We need to be done. We need to be done. Yeah. Y'all need to be done. Yeah. Go home. Relax. Don't was already turned us off. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah, he turned us off. <laughs> he actually looks at if it's more than like two hours, he's like, I'm not listening. I get that. Some people want to listen all day. Some people are like, dude, I have a life. All right. So um, that's it. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Alex, for trudging through this, even though you worked like 10, 12 hours these last couple of days and then come over and podcast. Um, hey, we did, we did get we got a couple of new reviews on iTunes. So uh, thank you, those of you who are leaving reviews on iTunes. Um, I love reading them. They're fantastic. Um, if you're leaving a review on iTunes and you are leaving it on an iTunes that is not the U.S. or Canada, let me know. Because it's hard to go through every single one of those 5 billion country choices and search for them. Um, partly because it takes a long time and partly because it seems really, really uh, just like, oh, I'm looking for praise of me. So if I know it's there, I'll go look at it. But I don't want to sit for all that time and search because I start to feel like I got a big head. Um, but we like them. And thank you for them. Um, and don't forget, folks... Um, after Eleanor is on uh, the Free Buddhist Network, we still have people who are saying, we thought you stopped producing them. Um, we didn't know you were on the Free Buddhist Network. We've been on the Free Buddhist Network for months now. So now you can check that out if you like 30K. Uh, lots of great shows on there. Please remember to check out our Patreon page. Um, thank you to the 1% who are so generous with what they're doing. And before we go, we should thank the newest patrons again, Doug Griggs and Big Jake, one more time. Um, Thank you much. Alex. David. We done. We is. And uh, I'll I'll talk with you after the show so we can figure out what little bit of something we're going to put out for Adepticon. Because, folks, this was five hours. Next one won't be. Telling you right now. So, uh, and on that note, until next time, folks. Only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at GarageHammer. And Alex, that's me, is at SomeKindOfGeek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the GarageHammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums, that's tga.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.
Well, this is only about an hour's worth of material after we edited out all the bullshit I screwed up. <laughs>